impact is staggering. Never in the history of motion pictures has one film been so popular. But the craze did not stop at the box office. In 1977, Kenner launched the Star Wars collection with a massive advertising blitz. And thanks to your efforts and faith in the force, the response has shot sales right off the ground. Welcome to the Vintage Rebellion Podcast. I'm Stuart Skinner, your host for the show, and you are listening to episode 28, Who's Scruffy Looking? Joining me to complete the rebellion, as per usual, are my normal sexy sidekicks. First up is our vintage and modern loose completist, an R5 focus collector, and lover of duck-related collectibles, it's Richard Hutchinson. Good evening, Rich. Good evening, lads! <laughs> wow, you've got what was that? personality. Where's Rich come from? Who's stolen the real person? Rich, hello, I don't know what to say. Next up is our TIE Fighter Pilot Focus Collector, oddball enthusiast and Star Wars completist. It's Grant Criddle. Good evening, sir. Oh. Uh, next up, our loose and mint on card collector with a side interest in Empire Strikes Back oddball items. It's Peter Davis. Good evening, Petulia. Why, hey, Petal, what's going on, Lake? And finally, our Luke X-Wing Pilot Focus Collector, who could maybe now be considered a trader. I'm sure we'll hear more about that during the show. It's Jezebel. Good evening, Jez. Good evening, Stu. Good evening, lads. Good evening, everyone. Just first of all, an apology to our listeners. We're a bit late this month, and I wanted to say this before Richard points the finger at me. I've had no internet for 26 days, so it's been me holding it up, and the boys have been very, very patient with me to record this show. Right, well, although we discussed our celebration purchases on the last show, we didn't discuss our general purchases, and it's been probably about three months since we last discussed them, so we're going to go back to that today. So let's start with Jez. Well... What have I been purchasing? Yeah, Stu, I've only had one thing enter my collection, uh, which has been part of my Luke X-Wing collection, and that's been my model trim, which I did very briefly mention last month, so we can gloss over that if you like. But I do have a Luke X-Wing model trim. You always wanted to be considered a minon car collector. Now, in my interest today, I've had to just call you a Luke X-Wing focus collector. Why is that, Jez? Well, because, yeah... Lots happened in the last month, whereas I must have had, no, I don't know, 70-odd carded figures. I've pretty much sold almost all of them because we're, uh, yeah, me, me and the family are buying a house. And uh, you know that thing when you're collecting, I don't know if other people have said this, but I always used to justify it to the wife by saying, oh, it's an investment, love, it's an investment, you know, don't worry, it's, it's all fine. Yeah, it's turned out to be a very good investment, but the most important thing for me investment-wise is obviously my wife and kids in order for us to be able to put a deposit down on a house and do everything else. And the fact that I won't be able to display my collection in the new house because it is going to be so small. I've went to Father's Trump and I've sold pretty much the lot. I've kept the loose collection 
and I've kept the Luke X-Wing collection. So I'm still in the game, totally in the game, but I needed to free up some funds. Fair enough and a good reason. I'm expecting the other three and myself to all have at least one item from you. So it'd be interesting to hear as we go around. So, Grant, what have you purchased? Uh, that's a bad segue for me. I didn't buy anything off him. <laughs> <laughs> I've got two pieces I would mind having a little chat about. Mm-hmm. First one, I came up with this idea a couple of years ago of if I was looking for something, I'd put it in my signature on a forum. Yep, um, Yeah, I thought that was a good idea as well. So I put in there, Empire Strikes Back, a sea baggy TIE fighter pilot. Five years that's been in my signature. No one has ever contacted me. And do you know what? I thought it was the most common type pilot baggy. I didn't think it'd be a problem at all, but it's not that I've been actively looking for one every day. Uh, it was the last one I managed to find. So finally got one of those. And um, way back in the day when I was a little kid, I remember standing at a bus stop. And then, you know, you got those big bus stop posters and they had one for the Rancor Keeper Mail Away. Big Pally Toy poster. I reckon it'd be worth a fortune these days. And for some reason, I've always found it difficult to find the Pally Toy Rancor Keeper Mail Away. So I picked up one of those the other day as well. Nice. Yeah, it looks nice in the old GW acrylic case as well very nice finally got one indeed pete well young sir i've been buying bits and bobs as per usual do you remember pete gowdy from the forum he was selling some tops card boxes and i picked up uh, the empire strikes back ones the, the blue yellow and the red ones they look really nice on display actually and a couple of unopened sealed cards which i haven't quite yet opened up because i'm you know what i'm like i might sell them uh, before i open them i went and interviewed the guy at the uh, leicester vintage toy shop and bought off him a box vintage speeder bike it's really nice i also found something which i got from celebration which i completely forgot about it was given to me by nick rayner and that was some rather odd swedish empire strikes back little mini cards from back in the day which i, I put in a little pocket in my bag and left and then found them which i also bought off him a farthest from a trilogo fx7 for a very very bargain price which was so ridiculously bargain i can't even mention it, it was too bargainy he really did have some cheap items didn't he at farthest from? <laughs> he did it was very tempted to go mental and the lot i was talking to people who had, who had just gone there and just bought mocks they didn't really want but they thought it was so cheap they just had to have it so mocks that maybe they're not interested in like some of the jabagoons but they were so well priced but the fx7 just i mean all right, I'm going to say it, 25 quid, and it just looks brilliant. I cleaned it up, flattened it down a bit. All it has is a little bit of tear at the top where the, uh, the hanger was, and it just looks beautiful displayed. It really does look amazing. I, it's just one of the, the, the funniest car backs. I love it because it's just FX7 floating in space. And then recently I got a, um, a German Empire Strikes Back storybook, which I'll be putting on the latest acquisition soon because the cover is hilarious. And I think that's it, but I'm bound to have forgotten something, as I normally do. But oh. I didn't buy from Jez either. You didn't buy from Jez either? No, there was There's there was something I wanted, but it already gone. So. so there's Jez trying to raise funds for his family and his future, and he could be homeless, he's got real issues, and you, you just couldn't support him. Well, you know, I was heading towards the power droid, and FX7 was waving at me, so I popped in there, and by the time I got out of there, the power droid had gone. Now I remember it, that's what friends are for. Now, talking to Nick Isle of White's stall, we come to Rich now, who I know for a fact also purchased something off there and flipped it within a week. What?! <laughs> Well, yeah, I'll come back to that. Well, I hope you do, young man. I mean, I did support Jez this month, and I hope Jez really appreciated that, because yeah. um, I bought two copies of The Big Issue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. It's good that's for Rich. Good. What's happened to Rich? Has he had an injection of humour? So, for my R5D4 focus, I picked up 20C, which was from um, Nick Alloway. I picked up a 47 back, which was a reseal, but it was a great price, so I'm pleased with that. 
I got the Sigma R5D4 Pepper Pot from the Salt and Pepper Shaker set. Ooh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I just want to stop you there because I saw yep. that. Yep. Have you broken up a set of them? Nope. It was for sale only as the R5D4, so that's why I purchased. If they'd come at a set, I would have bought the two together. I got the Sideshow Collectible 1.6 scale R5D4, which I wasn't really that impressed with, so I'm glad I didn't pay full price on that. I got an Empire Strikes Back corded Hoth Stormtrooper. From Jez, I picked up Jedi Klaatu Skiff, a Jedi Tebow, a Prune Face, a Reyes, and a Tri-Logo Nikto. I picked up a Jedi corded Klaatu. I got a Loose Jan Torbell, a Sealed Palatoy Emperor Mela, a full set of Turn the Jedi record disc erasers, and a Wonderbird Shelf Talk and Shelf Wobbler, so... I've been pleased with them items this month. One question, Rich. Did you buy any ducks? No ducks. <laughs> no ducks at all. No, no, no more. But going back onto that 20C that I bought and I flipped, I purchased it from Nick and I paid £10 for it. Now, people got to understand that it was it was beaten. It was, you know, the bubble was taped back down. So I paid £10 for it and I made a promise to Nick in that if I had a 20C, I would sell it for the price that I paid for. So I put it up on Facebook. <laughs> Quite quickly, some guy posted on there, if that was me, I would be ridiculed for stealing a corded figure from a seller, which was just absolutely ludicrous. So I sold it to Rob Marsh, and Rob will verify this, I sold it for the exact price that I paid for. So I didn't flip it, I just passed it on because I already had one. So somebody else now has that for £10 in their collection. It's the kind of card you would have bought, Pete. Did he offer it to you as a mate? Oh, you proved that you some chance. Rich, have you ever heard of Star Tours? Star Tours, yeah. Brilliant. Because Star Tours actually offer a Star Wars Disney Donald Duck as Darth Maul mint on card from 1995. We've got Simon McCurran coming up a bit later on for our interview. I've been chatting to him the last week or so and uh, I was going to him, can you believe Rich bought that duck thing? And then he went to me, oh... I've got a bit of a confession. I was in America and I sent uh, Rich an image of it. Does he want me to bring him one back? And Richard said yes. And Simon also bought himself one. So there's two of these lunatics out there. <laughs> what? <laughs> I thought he made two of them. Not so, so we much were, um... an exclusive card now, is it, as well? You must be really <laughs> I'm also going to go back onto the forum as well because I posted this picture of the, the R5D4 on the forum and I put on there, unfortunately, I've already had this one. So Rob Marsh... PM me and said, you know, look, I'll take it off your hands. I didn't even put it up for sale. I, you just said, I'll take it off your hands. I went, yeah, fine, whatever. And then another guy in the forum starts getting the disc for private deals and, you know, not making it available to the public. And, and it's only because he's a newbie that he's been screwed over. And you know that so it's twice now I've put an image of that R5D4, so I think I'm glad it's left me collection. I'm sure it was tainted for me. Did you just That's completely like... ignore everything we were talking about? Did this Star Wars duck actually comes in Stormtrooper outfit, Death Trooper outfit, Han Solo outfit. My favourite part of last month's podcast is when I say who owns the duck thing, you go, not mine, and then everyone else says it's not mine, and then you have to admit it. It's like, <laughs> even you're embarrassed by it. I guess he's embracing Disney, isn't he? Was it a large bill, Rich, to buy? <laughs> Did you put a down payment on it? I don't get that. Well, Rich, your, your collection must be quackers. Uh, I got a case <laughs> for it when I bought it home. Hey, Stu, what about you, man? I have actually knocked off my 20-back Greedo off my Christmas list. Yeah, I got a nice mint one of them. And I bought a Greedo baggy. Don't ask me which one, because I haven't actually looked at it since I bought it back from Farthest From, but so. I can't get excited by a baggy. Like you, Pete, actually, I've picked up a couple of the Tops display boxes this month. Oh, they're lovely, aren't they? I got one off Sunboat on eBay and the other one from Darren Simpson. I did support Jez's big move. I bought uh, his Return of the Jedi Warus Man, which I love, Jez. And I bought his uh, Sakuda Chief Chirper. Now, Jez, have you got a Chief Chirper mock? Uh, well, I, I actually still do have a little Chief Chirper Ooh. mock. It's uh, it's not a three and three quarter inch figure, um, but it is a very small vintage item. 
still in its packaging, still on card. So, uh, yes, I do. <laughs> it's an eraser. I am denied about that all day. <laughs> you did, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. I have bought a couple of other bits and pieces, but we'll we'll ship over them and just go into Richard's question, I think. But I was going to Tosin Station to pick up some power cables. Hello! <laughs> Oh, rubber ducky, you're the one. You make bath time lots of fun. Rubber ducky, I'm awfully fond of you. Vovo Bodio, rubber ducky, joy of joys. When I squeeze you, you make noise. Rubber ducky, you're my very best friend, it's true. Right, are you ready? Go on, Rich. Okay. So this is how this is going to work. It's based on Dave Tree's idea at the failed, miserable, farthest from Christmas quiz that we had two years ago. Okay, so what we've got here is I've got lots and lots of different things that all relate to vintage Star Wars collecting. No trick questions. All you've got to say is higher or lower than the previous number. And you get one point if you get that correct. And you get another point if you get the number exactly right. Now, you're not going to be given a lot of thinking time. I don't want, uh, 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 okay, because I'm just going to move on. Well, order I'm going to go in is Stu, Grant, Pete and Jez. That's purely because that's the order I typed in in my spreadsheet. Okay, so Stu, you're first. So I'm going to start you off with a random number that I'm generating now. Your number is 20. Okay, so what I want of you is either higher or lower for one point, And if you get it smack on, you get another point. Are you ready? Is there how many ducks on your toy? So it's all to do with vintage Star Wars action figures. So your number's 20. Okay, so here we go. The number of Princess Leia action figures. This Lower. is just you. Lua, yep, with? Five. Good, two points. So Grant, one, five. The number of Kenner 12-inch action figures that were released. 12. Higher or lower? Higher. Good. Okay, two points for you. Pete, one, 12. The number of skin-wrapped Sears Canada exclusive figures. Higher or lower? Uh, <laughs> lower, seven. Perfect. Okay, we're all on two. Oh. Jez. Oh! <laughs> So we're number seven. The number of emblems on a TIE fighter pilot. Four. Lower. I didn't realize this was so hard. Right? Higher or lower, and then the number. Yep, correct. So we've all got two points, but for some reason I give you Jez four, so I'm going to take two off Jez. Stu, the number of figures stored in a bandolier strap. Oh, well, it's higher. Okay, you were right with higher. The answer was ten. Grant, the number of grenades with a 12-inch IG-88. Lower, eight. Yep, was four. Pete, the number of characters designated pilot. Okay, so we're numbers four. Uh, I think it's lower. No, it's it's the same, isn't it? Four. No, nope, I'm sorry. It's oh. higher, and it was six. So you can see oh. the Jez were on six. The number of figures storable in the laser rifle carry case. Higher. Yep. Nine. Nope, it's 19. Stu, <laughs> the number of Kenner Death Star play sets needed to be put together to make it completely round. Uh, lower, two. Yep. Nope, the answer was nine. You get one what? point. <laughs> oh, Kenner! Sorry, you meant Grant, the number of droids released in the second wave of Star Wars carded figures. Oh, lower three. Perfect, two points. Oh, well done. Eat, the number of boulders with the Ewok assault catapult were on three. Oh, I don't know, I think it's higher than four, I have no idea. Nope, it's lower than two. Jez, the number of peg holes on the Cloud City <laughs> playset. Um, yeah, higher than two. And... We're already on two, so it can't be higher than two. Yeah, yeah. It... Yeah, it can be. It's higher than two. Yep. Yeah. And eight. Ooh, you were so close. It was actually six. Stuart on six. Now, if we get six peg holes on a Cloud City playset, how many pegs came with the Cloud City playset? If there's six peg holes... Yep. Six. The same. 
Nope, sorry. And they, they were all higher or lower. The answer was seven. There was actually one more. Grant, the number of droids which can be built with in the droid factory at the same time. Uh, lower six. Ooh, close. Lower and five. Pete, the number of eyes on Reyes. Uh, lower three. <laughs> Perfect. Two. Jez, the number of figures that can be stored in a C-3PO carry case. 32. Higher, well, obviously. it is higher, but it's 40. Stu, the number of Power of the Force coins available is a can of meal away. Oh, jog on. Um, it's it's <laughs> higher. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say 64. Nope, it's lower, and it was 27. These were the coins available as a meal away. 27 is a number. Grant, the number of figures that can be stored in the Darth Vader carry case. Lower, 25. No, unfortunately, it was higher, and 31. Pete, the number of Luke oh, Skywalker... Stop, can I, can I interrupt you? Pete's just had Ooh. how many simple boulders were on the Ewok catwalk. These are random. These are random. I'm going to knock the point <laughs> I you. I was going to say, right. what's the next yeah, Reese, always, and then I'll stop him. Pete, the number of Luke Skywalker action figures were on 31. <laughs> well, I'm going to go lower. Yeah. Uh, was it? Uh, five. There were no, seven. Six. The number of toes on a red snaggletooth. Six. Higher. No, it's no, higher. Six. Eight. Stu, the number of teeth on a rancor. Is lower, and I'm going to say five. Nope, it's higher with 13. <laughs> Grant, the number of parts, removable limbs, C3PO can be broken into. Uh, lower, five. Perfect, two points for you. Pete, the rating of Megatome fired by the Imperial Trooper Transporter Cannon. Uh, higher, goodness knows. You're close, higher in 50. Oh, yeah. Jez, the number of Ewok action figures. Lower. Mm-hmm. Seven? Oh, eight. Oh, you don't. Stu, the number of immobilisation units on the Imperial Tooth Transport, our number is eight. Uh, lower? Mm-hmm. Six. It's lower with two. Grant, the number of gun barrels on an Imperial shuttle. Higher, four. Higher, eight. Heat what? The number of stickers needed for the wings on a TIE fighter. Lower, two. Higher, 24. <laughs> yes. The number of figures <laughs> can stand on one piece of the display arena meal away. Lower? Yep. 18? It's 14. Uh, Stu, the number of backdrops available for the display arena meal away? Um, it's lower. 8. It's, <laughs> it's lower in 4. Grant, the um, number of Power of the Force planet remaps? Uh, lower 3. Sorry. Perfect. Pete, yep. the number of missiles intended to be shipped with the rocket firing FET? He's <laughs> <laughs> had some easy ones, hasn't he? Yeah, he really what? has. Low one? It was lower two, so one point for you. Two? Listen um, to the podcast, yes. Pete. <laughs> the number of arms on an FX7. Eight? Higher? It's Eight. higher. It's nine. Uh, Stu, so we're on nine. The number of accessories in the Mail Away Action Figure Survival Kit. Oh, what are we on? Nine? I'm going to go yeah. lower seven. Oh, it's higher with 12. Oh. Grant, the number of tools on the vehicle maintenance energizer. Um, I would say higher 16. It's lower and it's 8. Damn Pete, it! The number of playsets. <laughs> uh, place, oh, uh, higher oh, 10. Higher and 15. Jez, oh. the number of Kenner promotions on carded figures. Lower. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> 8. Lower and 10. I had 10 in my head. Oh, I should have <laughs> Stu, the number of cannons on an X-Wing. Right, lower four. Lower four, two points. Grant the number of cannons on the palatoid desktop. Uh, lower two. 
Yeah. Pete, the num- maximum number of action figures that you can store in an Atat body. <laughs> this is according what? to catalogue description. Uh, higher, ooh, uh, oh, 12. Oh, you are so close. It's higher in 10. Oh. And, Jez, to round it up, the number of bandolier clips on the 12-inch action figure Chewbacca. That's a very good question. In fact, I was thinking of that the other day when I was walking the dog. And, um, As he's Googling. I think <laughs> I think it's lower, and I will say 10, because there's been 10 in the last two questions. Nope. It's higher, and it's 16. Brilliant. Oh, oh you know everything, Jez. So, the <laughs> uh, final that, score. Rich, can I just say, I love that. I could do that for another two hours. Yeah, well, I've got another 20 questions in case we're tired. Oh, tired. my God. But never mind. Moving on. In joint... Second, third, and fourth place <laughs> are Stu, Pete, and Jez with nine points each. Hang on, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, hang on a minute there, mm-hmm. Rich. I'm listening. I have been accused of knowing nothing, but yet finished the same as my two accusers. Yeah, good point. I think I need an apology there. there. Wait there, you had questions like how many heads does Boss have? <laughs> yeah, how many right? boulders does the two boulder catapult come with how many eyes on the three i I don't have those things i don't (laughs) have those people care about them (laughs) can i just say that pete also had the number of megatomes in a in a rifle cannon you know yeah so how many was that jez sorry out of interest in you know it all and you there Stuart? i don't even know what that means yeah no did i i just went blah 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 it's in the catalogue description. Apparently, it's a 50 <laughs> megatome cannon. What so, catalog? Stu, Pete, and Jez are joined second, third, and fourth with nine points. And our winner in this truly exciting quiz was Grant with 13. Well done, Grant. Well done, Grant. You win nothing. So, listeners, here is a little piece of music while you go and make a coffee to wake yourselves up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to Rebel Briefing. Always prefer a short queue to a long one. Selling up and selling on. Tales from the dark side. Javier does PBP correctly. Adios, Adolfo. Ragusa brings out the interview in you. Naked Jowers worth two or three ponies. Really? The rebel base is on the moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. Uh, Rich, I always prefer a short queue to a long one. Celebration? Yeah, it would have been great, that, wouldn't it? No, it was a post in... Oh, why do we always give ourselves these titles? A post in Matthew's La Gueule des Toys group by group member Darren Hinton. <laughs> Highlight... <laughs> You're going to set me off, so shut up. Uh, I'm just imagine Matthew pissing himself laughing now. So Darren Hinton was highlighting what appears to be a nice, skin-wrapped Canadian hoth look. Now, his query was... Where does this eBay seller get so much top-end stuff? And initially the thread focuses on the seller, who is, you know, none other than somebody who's alleged to be quite shady, who trades by Dallas Vintage Toys. And if you want to do some research on Dallas Vintage Toys, by all means, head off to Rebel Scum, Google it, and, you know, make, make your own mind up. We're not going to go down that path. 
But the piece in question, as previously stated, was as what we now refer to as skin-wrapped, not shrink-wrapped. I think Clive Cast has been very, very clear on that. We refer to them as skin-wrapped. So a skin-wrapped Empire Strikes Back Luke Hoth, and it was graded an AFA Q70. And it was available for a hefty sum of $9,000. Now, guys, can we just focus on the Q rating first? Because I've seen Q ratings before, but I've mainly seen them on ships. What does a Q rating mean? Where do we usually see them? Jess? You don't see them that often. Now, I wasn't sure, so I, uh, I did a little bit of Googling, and uh, I actually went to the AFA website uh, for the first time to have a little look at what they say. And whilst I was doing my research as well, there was, um, there was a lot of stuff on Rebel Scum. There was a lot of stuff on RS from posts going back to 2011 and 2015, and they were talking about the different coloured stickers and what the different stickers mean. But going back to AFA, it says qualified. Certain items which are graded under our qualified scale, such as opened, but new vehicles and play sets, autographed items, rare items, missing accessories, and certain handmade prototypes and pre-production will be encased with a blue grade label rather than a red or a green label. We will also designate a qualifier or Q or qualified on the grade label, example Q nm for near mint on a classic label or qualified on a clear view label Does that clear things up that is perfect that jez because i'm going to give you what tom darby's first response was as to what the hell a q meant qualified simply means there should be an accompanying document with further information always ask for the document on blue label to understand what other information AFA feels is important to convey now i don't know if that is simple to anyone but to me, I read that as being there's a whole load of ifs, a whole loads of buts, a whole loads of possibly maybes that could be put on a separate CUA type document to accompany the piece. Do you think I'm wrong on that? It's used, isn't it, for things that aren't sealed using yep. the typical standards in seals, stapled figures and stuff like that. Yes. Which which is why we see them on these um you know, the boxes where the, the tape has perhaps dried out a bit and it's snapped yeah, yeah. and you know it's been Q graded because the seal is broken, although it may not have been opened. But you're you're right, Grant, on the you know, the, the cards that you see with stapled seals on them. Probably some of the bootleg items are Q graded. Those Hungarian ones are stapled, aren't they? Yeah, 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 I think the bootleg ones, yeah. Yeah, so that's what a Q-grade is, and I was a lot happier once Tom come back on and, you know, re-explained what his first statement meant, which wasn't simple to me. So, my second question is, well, surely doesn't the AFA label mean it's genuine? Well, with the alleged Toy Tony scandal, we know that mistakes have been made in the past, and uh, mistakes have been made with regards to weapons, uh, and, and legitimate or reproduction weapons, so no. Everyone makes a mistake. As soon as you introduce human factors into the equation, a human being can make a mistake. Simple as that. Oh, Jez, can you write that down? I need to use that and work tomorrow. <laughs> a couple of guys initially queried the legitimacy of the AFA label because, you know, that, that blue label isn't as common as some of the other labels. And concerns were in particular raised about a few points of it, but Tom Dorby came to uh, online quite quickly and said, look, guys, I authenticated it. And he discussed some of the possible concerns we're going to come back to in a moment. Now, can I just go back onto the seller, guys? So $9,000 for a skin-wrapped Hoth look isn't the best place to hide a fake amongst a load of gems. Uh, yeah, and I think that's what everyone fears, don't they? That, that's what we've always talked about in fakes and repros and all that sort of stuff is that people will shove them in amongst a, a large amount of good stuff 
and uh, that's a good way to pass them on off, off isn't it? Stu, would you buy an item for nine thousand dollars just relying on the fact that it's going off a grid? No. <laughs> Did you want more? <laughs> I, I well, why not, seen, Stu? We have seen a Affa make not just with Toy Tony, but a fair few mistakes. So uh, to take it as gospel would be very, very uh, risky. Well, risky is, risk is a word we could use, Rich. Yeah, we'll go with risky. <laughs> so yeah, you need to do a bit more work, especially dropping nine thousand on something. Yeah, without a doubt. So, obviously, the photograph was scrutinised. Nice item, you know, not, you don't see too many of them about. But this is where it starts to get interesting. Because if you look very carefully, there appears to be a small rip near the strap on the rifle. What could have caused the rip? Um, I don't know. I read this a couple of days ago, so I can't remember. But did they say something about moisture? Yeah, now that was a really, really interesting topic. Uh, Scott Bradley, who everybody knows as one of the, you know, the, the long-time Canadian collectors who's, who's really knowledgeable, knows his stuff. And Joe Fiore, I'm probably butchering his surname, he's finest comics on Rebel Scum, so everybody knows him. And there was some great debate about moisture inside these items and whether the moisture could have caused damage, could it have caused the rifle to move if inside of the item was perhaps a little bit damp. There was a lot, a lot about the moisture. What's in the back of these card backs that really should have addressed the moisture issue? The perforated, the perforated holes. Yes, Jez, the perforated holes. Now, if there was any moisture, one would have to assume that the moisture would have escaped out of those perforated holes. But I don't know from reading both points of view whether moisture is even possible inside these items because I've I've got a you know quite a long lengthy message from Scott which explains how he doesn't believe that moisture could be in there due to the way that the plastic is heated up and the way that the plastic is formed, um, the way that it's attached to the card back. He's he's dead against the moisture idea and doesn't believe that that caused a problem. Um, it's just, um, sorry, it, it just depends whether they're packed as well. I mean. I mean, normally in factories, you would have temperature, con- well, in decent factories, temperature controlled areas where you pack stuff in so there's no moisture or the relative humidity is, is, you know, a certain level. But if this, I mean, I'm assuming these weren't really packed in factories. They could be in packed back of a shop, for example. It could be, there could be slight moisture on, on the back of these figures or attached to the cards. And then when the, the wrapping is put over it, that would trap it. I mean, I mean, these weren't factory assembled, were they? I'm well, assuming. Yeah. What, 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 in a proper factory? Yeah. That's very strange. I'll just discuss the, the sealing process first of what Scott. So this is this is from Scott. This is not from me. The process used to seal these figures requires a sheet of plastic to be heated by an element first, and then immediately lowered directly onto the cord with the figure and accessories. It is firmly sealed using compressed air to seal the plastic tightly to the figure. The applied heat would dry out any moisture that may be present during this process. So he believes that the the moisture is gone. But you've got right. so many variables there that because you've got heat, you've got air being sucked out. I mean, that's that'd be some high tech stuff for the, the day. But you know, there we go. It's interesting that we've got three collectors, Joe, Tom, and um, Scott, who are all quite respected, all having different viewpoints and putting forward some great arguments about: is it a reseal? Could this have lifted up? Could that have moved? And Scott's put some interesting facts in about these Canadian gin-wrapped figures I just want to share with you at the moment. The adhesive used to hold the figure and accessory in place wasn't a regular tape. It's a very, very sticky adhesive. And even after 35 years, some loose card backs have been found which are still incredibly sticky and tacky. 
So he said that because of that, there's no way at all that the the blaster had any right to move. It couldn't have moved. And there were two strips of adhesive on that example. So therefore, it should have stayed in place. It's travelled way too far, which was approximately two centimetres from its original position. And it couldn't be attributed to moisture. He believes if you look at it, it probably would have required quite a bit of force. And perhaps from the corner where the tear is, there may have been a lift slightly. Could the figure have been removed? We don't know. Stu just said there, we haven't seen this figure, so we can't really tell. But there's a possibility that the bubble has been lifted slightly. Okay, and he said there that the figures, they just didn't move once it was sealed. And there's no damage to the back of the cord, which suggests, you know, that removes any chance of anyone putting a paper clip in to move the blaster, or why anybody would do that. It leads into a great discussion on delamination techniques and reseals and about how these figures you've got to be really, really careful of because there's at least three methods of resealing these items and all of them are tricky to spot. I'm not going to go into any of them, but if anybody does want to read it, we'll put a link to Scott's Facebook post up there which discusses the problems that you've got with these figures and how easy it is to reseal them, how easy to use different types of sealants and, you know, they're just really difficult to spot. He concludes it that there's just way too many unexplained inconsistency. There was a lot of, really, is this legit... Has a mistake been made on Afar? But as Tom said, nobody's seen this item in person other than Tom. He was totally happy and he believes it's a legit item. What I don't want to conclude with is, is it legit or is it not legit? I just want to point people towards a discussion because we've got three people with different viewpoints and it was absolutely fantastic discussion and it's one of the best things I've read on Facebook in months. The moon with the Rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. Selling up and selling on. Tales from the dark side. Oh, sorry, Rich. Tales from the dark side. Uh, what's this story about? <laughs> nice one, Stu. Well, um, actually, from time to time, you know, when we're query why we brought Jez into the podcast team and he drops a <laughs> he drops a kind of, here I am. Well, Jez has done that this month, so this one's mainly from Jez. We've got some, some tales about selling up and selling on, and I've got a couple of questions that I might ask Jez later on, as I'm sure you guys have. So, Jez, do you want to take it away? Yeah. Okay, well, as I, uh, as I said at the beginning... Having uh, lived in military accommodation for a while, it was about time I pulled my finger out. And uh, a forced job move has now made me reconsider uh, what's going on. So myself and my wife, we're, yeah, we're buying a house. And it's uh, it's going to be quite small just because of the location, which we've got to live in. So the, uh, the carded collection had to go. Now, first of all, that was my decision. In fact, Jules was really against it. Uh, but, well, I just... I, I want everything to go great on this move. Um, but there was a few conditions which I set myself that I uh, I wanted to remain in the game. This wasn't me selling up entirely. And I always intended to keep my loose collection. Uh, but then uh, I looked into it. I looked at the values and stuff. And I thought, right, well, there's a possibility that even if I can't display it for a while, I keep the Luke X-Wing because that is so sentimental to me. And it absolutely will keep me in the game. And I'll still be scanning um various different sources and stuff for Luke X-Wing stuff. I may not be able to display it straight away, but I still want to be in the game. And also what was important in that is is the ethics of selling and just actually uh, keeping your integrity and being, a, being able to do it right, being able to do it appropriately, and you look at it now. And it's a bit of a minefield. There's so many different ways that you can do it. You, know, you can do it, do it locally. You can go on forums. You could try eBay. And there's now so many different facebook stuff so you need, there were the the groups which i could have just done with a set price and we've discussed before the facebook auctions so it's a massive thing but one of the biggest concerns of mine as well was taking all of these mint on carded figures and posting them you hear all these horror stories 
And I just thought, right, the reason I'm doing this is because I need the money. I don't want to be wasting money on, on poor packaging and poor postage. And we'll come on to that in a minute. So timing for me wise, it was perfect. Father's from was just around the corner where I knew there would be a, a massive amount of vintage junkies just waiting there um, to get a fix at a decent price. But at this point, I really, really must thank Stores Forum UK and in particular Ian Sanderson because uh, it was a couple of guys, but Ian, Ian in particular, who I sent the entire list of uh, carded figures, descriptions, I think about 204 photographs. I sent him on a um, photo bucket account. And Ian, knowing the market, knowing how things are, uh, I said to him, I want you to market, to price these at a price that will sell. Um, but it's a, it's a good price for me and the buyer as well. So that was the first thing. So I managed to sell, I think, about six grand's worth of stuff cash in hand, which was perfect because then you don't have to worry about packaging. People can see the items and, uh, you know, it's, it's first come, first serve. Very interesting that the first time I actually put this, and this wasn't a fishing post, but before I even committed to buying the house, when I said, look, guys, I'm looking at this, uh, I'm not looking at selling, I'm just looking at valuations, you'd be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't be, with the amount of people who did contact me saying, oh, yeah, uh, sorry, I'm to set up, by the way, <laughs> what about this one? Can I, uh, can you bear me in mind for that? So um, how do you guys feel, first of all, about if someone's there talking about potentially um getting valuations or what have you, would you contact them straight away with a, hey, this is me, I know you're not selling yet, but can I have first dibs? Would you do that? Definitely not. But I think if if you said to someone like Ian Sanderson, he has 204 photographs, he has 80 mocks or whatever it is you've got, um, would you go and do all of the research and come back with prices for us? If he had a turn around and said, okay, Jez, yeah, he has all your prices, now, do you mind if I get these five off you at that price? I think I would be more than happy with that one because he's actually doing oh, some yeah, work. Absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah. absolutely fine. But for you to put a valuation thread up and for them to start receiving PMs, I don't, I don't think that's right. I, I don't, I don't agree with that one at all. It, it didn't concern me. It didn't upset me. I just thought, all right, I, I have made it quite clear though that at this point I'm not looking at selling. Um, but so that was that. No, it all went fine. All went well. And uh, in fact, I've got a few to hand deliver on Friday when we all have a meet up in London on Friday night. Uh, so then I was left, I think I must've been left with about 30 carded figures. It was a case of, right, I'll put them on the forum. And again, at Ian's prices, most of them were uh, really, really flying out. And the fact of the, yeah, 70 or 80, I've just got the one, which is now left, which I haven't been able to sell yet. So in, in about space of three and a half weeks or so, that's a significant amount of carded stuff is gone. But then we get onto the whole post in them. And uh, I must admit, I think I must have taken about half an hour per carded figure to make sure that each one was wrapped up, properly bubble wrapped, tons and tons of packing peanuts and bubble wrap and stuff, um, just because I wanted everyone, everyone's prized piece to arrive. Um, but it was the Facebook groups, which I was kind of confused with a little bit and a little bit, I don't know, it, it was just really weird. All, all the rules and various different bits and pieces that... Can we ju- can we just talk about it? Because in, in the past, I think it was episode 16 where we had the uh, rumble in the Internet jungle. It now appears that there's it's, it's not the Facebook versus the forum so much. But what I've seen is there's been a lot of inter Facebook rivalry. It, it appears that generally the forums and Facebook seem to um, to get along quite well. 
but the the difference between some of the some of the selling Facebook groups was really quite remarkable. Now, Rich, you're involved in in Yavin. I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Oh yeah, I totally agree, Jez. And I think most groups form as a splinter from another group. Now, what causes a splinter? We don't know. Sometimes it could be just somebody's been banned and thought, right, I'm going to set up a rival group. Other times it could just be. Look, I just don't agree with the rules. This group's not for me. It's too heavy-handed. It's over-moderated. I'm going elsewhere where it's more fun. Uh, you know, there, there are different, you know, completely different reasons why people would set up another group. But it's certainly one of my bugbears. And I, I think what you're referring to is probably the name and date or something along those lines, where somebody who's well-known in the hobby is posting on 10 different groups, um, which is ludicrous in itself, but is posting on 10 different groups and saying, these are what I've got left after father's from. You know, everybody and their dog would vouch for you. And then you've got somebody PMing you on one group or five groups or however many it is saying name and date if it wants to be on this group. It's it's madness. It is absolutely madness. I could understand if it was somebody who was brand new, somebody who, you know, just comes in the hobby and won't get a clue who he is, but not for somebody who every everybody on the admin team knows. Rich, can I ask you a question? You just did. <laughs> Very good. Oh, he's on form. Oh, my goodness. He's <clears throat> Has there been a history of people photographing stuff they haven't had and then taking the money? Definitely there has been. We even had one on Yavin maybe about three or four weeks ago where somebody had stolen an eBay picture and put it up on, on Yavin and said, you know, this, these are the items. It was Sky Payne who actually found that one out. And he PM'd me and said, Rich, I think there's something going on here. This guy has bought from me. Uh, sorry, the way around. I've bought an item from this guy. Um, thankfully, Sky paid him using um, the extra 4% so he was covered and he got his money back but this guy just disappeared the next day and there was one guy who come on and said he'd lost about 180 200 pound and you know at the end of the day he was trying to save some money which I don't know what it would have cost him 7 pound I think I worked it out as so for 7 pound he's gone and lost 180 190 pound by buying some something off an item and he just didn't have a clue where he was so that's where the guys who go well we do the name and day thing that covers that but equally you know what, there's nothing stopping somebody having an item, taking a photograph, whacking a name and date on it, and still not sending the item out. So it's not a foolproof system. But yes, yeah. Grant, it does exist. Yeah, I also want to say how important something like Father's From is, um, considering we just had this discussion on, on Facebook groups. Um, but I'm, I don't think you would have got that kind of sales without Father's From. I think it's a, it's an utterly crucial part of the vintage world. In the UK to have that because uh, you know that those things you know pretty much have gone to people who really really value them. And I think online you obviously can't 100% tell that. I was only going to raise. Jess was just talking about issues on Facebook. One thing that always annoys me is if I'm selling an item, being dictated who I'm selling my item to. I understand that there's a some rules in order, but say two people message me at the same time on there and about five minutes apart, and it was one of you lot. Of course I'm going to sell it to more to you, one of you lot, because I know you and I know the deals can go smoothly and you're friends and you make those friends in the community. And we just heckle you for months. Well, yeah, but you know what I mean. No, you, you, right, People go, oh, I'm new to the community, you know, not going to sell to me. How do I do it? Well, engage with people to start with. It's not – you get better deals as you get to know people, so make a bit of effort. But uh, go told, from. there's a couple of groups that are like, are you selling this? No, you've got to sell it to that person. They put something in the first. Well, no. It's my item. I can do what I like with it, really. <laughs> yeah, that kind of leads us on 
to the uh, to the point you said about your R five D four that you got and then wanted to sell on. There was someone almost insisting that hang on a second, I, I asked first, that means I, I should get it. That's that's a problem which you had and, and yeah, I certainly felt that that oh hang on a second. Oh that guy, yeah, I don't really know that guy so much. And um yeah, it, it is a strange thing. But if I've got something listed on a group but I've also it, it's not selling, so I also then put it on eBay. And then if it sells on eBay, and then I just write on that group, sold, will I then get a load of abuse saying, oh, who'd you sell that to? No private PMs, this, that, and the other. I guess the, uh, I guess the Facebook groups must be protecting themselves in some way. There must be an awful lot of back and forth of people complaining to the mods and stuff. Absolutely. I'm sure, I'm sure some of these, some of these admins have, a, have an absolute nightmare. It's like a second job for them, I'm sure. But, um, possibly with, I don't know. I think there's a lot of people who are just trying to do the right thing. But by trying to do the right thing, um, we get more process driven. And by being more process driven, then we end up, um, having to cover it more and having to look at it more. And it just becomes almost like a, a self looking like, well, just, everything just gets difficult, doesn't it? Whereas if you've got a bit more of a, a laid back affair, things might be smoother. But then there is the opportunity for people to get ripped off, I guess. Yeah, it does. I mean, you- Talk about the Facebook groups and how they they kind of don't, uh, you know, amazingly always work very smoothly. I mean, I mean, the whole point of people going onto Facebook was to get away from eBay and the fact that transactions didn't work very well or, or go wrong. But in some ways, it kind of proves the point that that eBay does work quite well. If you know, I mean, nothing's foolproof, but uh, people say that Facebook groups work so wonderfully. But I mean, there seems to be more and more issues and problems coming up with with Facebook transactions than, than they used to, well, they haven't had on eBay. I mean, I wonder if we'll see a swing back. Touch wood. I've never had oh. an issue. I've bought and sold several things on Facebook, and everything's always gone smoothly. I just sometimes think a couple of the groups overcomplicate things. And by just making it maybe a bit more laid back, they find life a little bit easier. Well, to wrap up this section then, I mean, I know, as I said, we've had the Rumble in the Internet Jungle, which was one of our most successful podcasts, which has been downloaded uh, countless times. Maybe it's about time we had Rumble in the Internet Jungle 2, maybe the sequel. And, you know, Empire Strikes Back sequels are often better than the originals. Death Star approaching. Estimated time to firing range, 15 minutes. Uh, Rich, Javier does PBB correctly. He certainly does. He does a lot better than Jez does. So I have contacted Javier about his new book. And unfortunately, Javier is quite ill at the moment. And he's read me questions and he's promised he is going to respond. But we're not going to put Javier under any pressure. So as soon as he's feeling well enough to answer the questions, he's more than happy to come on the podcast. And hopefully we'll have an interview with him either in the Spanish special, if it ever gets released, or in next month's show. But I do want to touch on his book because it's only fair that we've talked about other people's books and we are a huge community podcast trying to involve as many people as we can. So I first saw this book in Celebration London. I think, Stu, were you there with me? And it was, who was it was bringing it? It was Jose that was bringing it around, wasn't it? So Jose brought the book around and let us have a flick through it. And I've got to say, I was absolutely stunned. It was fantastic. You ordered it either there and then or very shortly after. So my book hasn't arrived yet, Stu, but I think yours has done. Have you had a chance to flick through it yet? I, I have, actually. It's a, it's a lovely book. Um, one of the nicest things in it is about 20 pages in, 
he's got uh, an interview with the operations director from PBB, which lasts about six pages, and that is fascinating stuff. Absolutely fascinating. But the book is beautifully done. Each figure has like a double-page spread. And on the left-hand page, it's got, you know, things to look out for, the differences. But on the right, it's got the figure standing alongside the Kenner counterpart. Oh, right. Uh-huh. It's got, and then it's got zoomed in of the head, zoomed in of the legs, zoomed in of the weapons, all that kind of thing. So you can literally see the, uh, while you're reading, you've got the pictures on the other side so you can see what they're talking about and what the exact differences are. And every figure has got a double-page spread in the book. So um, it goes through really nicely if you've got a figure in hand. You can sit down and uh, determine what's what. It's really, really nicely laid out. Well well worth the money. I would recommend it. Javier, and I think Horsey, has at least co-authored part of this book. They've been collecting POC PBB since about 2008, and they've been actively involved in Star Wars collecting since the 90s. And if I just flick through the contents page of this book, it's just absolutely stunning. It covers the history of action figures in Spain, the history of the companies which formed PPB, the production of the PBP company and its production characteristics, approximately 200 to 250 descriptions of all figures and all known PPB variants, a complete checklist for collectors, catalogues of images, descriptions of PPB items, carded figures, ships, images of toy adverts, toy catalogues, etc., etc. It just goes on and on and on. And Javier has said quite clearly in that every item that they've identified as PBB can be traced back to a family who is a non-collector or has been a collector from a very, very young age, and they've always used more than one example. So it's not as if to say, oh, this one figure was found in Madrid, it's definitely PBB. They've really done their research on it, and they've done they've done really well. So congratulations, guys. Stu, how heavy is this book? Because it, it was quite big and heavy when I saw it. it it's weighty. I was... um. I went in with James Martin to combine our shipping over to half the cost of it because it was the same for two than it was one. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's a weighty old book. Uh, I like it at the very back page. As you go to the very end, you turn over from the last figure, which is the Biker Scout. And then on the back, it's just got the comprehensive PBB pop catalogue will return. So it kind of suggests there's going to be a follow-up book, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, where can I get this book? Right, well, initially he was only going to print about 150 copies of the regular book and he was going to do 50 special editions, but I don't know if he's actually headed down that route. You can order this book by sending an email to ppb.book.reserve.your.copy at gmail.com. There's a lot of dots in that. And that's 55 euros, which is a fantastic price for a book that's got almost 200 pages and all of those high-quality images in there and great descriptions of what Stu's just alluded to. Now, that's excluding shipping, but as Stu's just said there, he teamed up with James Martin to save on the shipping costs. So, by all means, send an email to Javier at that email address, um, reserve your copy, and if you said that the Vintage Rebellion pointed you that way, then we'd appreciate that too. I'm really looking forward to my book arriving, which I hope you arrive any day now. Rich, what I love about this is, looked on Rebel Scum and Javier's first post was on the 21st of November 2013 about this book. So this has been well over two and a half years in the making, just saying what his initial plan was. And as you quite rightly said about the special edition, which was going to be leather bound cover with extra material. But what was really, really lovely to see is almost straight away on that first post, you had Stefan and Matthias go straight on and give him advice and, and talk about this, that and the other. And it was really like it was a, 
the community were just wishing them on all the way through this entire project and giving them ideas. And then the Facebook thing was launched. Then it would go quiet for a bit. And then he'd come back again in January 2015 saying, I've now done this. And all the updates all the way through. And then uh, coming back again, there was a long pause um, coming back towards the end of 2015. Kept on hoping it was coming. And, and loads of um, loads of stoppers all along the way. Uh, but just with complete, complete desire to get the job done and get it seen through to the finish. He's now done this and, and produces really, really beautiful books. So, um, yeah, massive congratulations and a nice one to the whole community for uh, being offering their support all the way along. And that's why the Spanner Special episode isn't recorded yet, because we're doing just as much research, honestly. But uh, <laughs> did you say two and a half years he's been working on that book? That's not yeah, well, that's nothing with yeah. Star Wars books, is it, Jez? I think we all know of one that's been worked on a lot longer than that. Adios, Adolfo. Uh, Rich, what, what's going on here? Well, I'm just going to start it off by saying that none of us really know exactly what's happened in this situation or this deal, so we don't want to say that one party is more guilty than the other. In all actuality, it looks as though that both parties are perhaps a little bit guilty of not honouring original deals, etc, etc. But, unfortunately, it has come to a sad end. So, the story that I'm talking about is that we featured this way back as a boom story, perhaps on episode 3 or episode 4, about the $10,000 carded Lily Lady Bib Fortuna that a guy on Rebel Scum called Scott had sent $10,000 as a down payment, and then that was it, nothing else happened from then on. Well... 18 months after that initial post and there was a little bit of tune and phone between Scott and Adolfo and plus a lot of other people chiming in, it went quiet for a very, very long time until Adolfo made a post on Rebel Scum and I think his post has shocked quite a lot of people. Now even taking into account that English isn't his first language, there's still a lot of things in this post that's made people go, what? So I'm going to just paraphrase some of the points that he's put in there. These are questions that he's directing to Scott. And what he said was, the money's been seized. Okay, so that $10,000 that's been sent, it's been seized, and he's fighting for it to not happen. So I'm assuming by that is he knows where the money is, but he can't access it, and he's fighting and get access of it. He's had some money cut off. He's been heavily taxed, plus several fees and lots of fines. He believes that the agreement has been breached. He's believed that Scott's caused a problem that sent red flags raised for wire transferring of money. He believes that, you know, there's been miscommunication problems due to having wrong addresses and etc, etc, etc. And in a nutshell, he says that he may send Scott some money back if he gets that far, but he might keep it for his compensation towards the harm, um, the stress that's caused, the damage to his reputation, etc, etc. And that's what shocked everybody in the community how on earth could he think that he could if he does get any money back out of this keep it due to the stress and the harm that he suffered so guys if you sent ten thousand dollars to somebody and that was their response how would you be feeling i'd feel foolish <laughs> for sending money to someone who i don't really know right i'll just stop you bang on there because these guys have done a few high trades in the past and there never been a hiccup and Scott and Adolfo were in regular communication. By all accounts, they were good friends and they hadn't met face-to-face but there was a lot of high-end transactions between the two of them that went off with no hiccup at all. £10,000? I must be living in a different world. Fool. <laughs> can, he, can he legally hold ten grand of someone's money? 
Well, his argument well, is is that he isn't holding it; it's been frozen by yeah. the Mexican authorities. Was this to avoid uh, tax? Um, yeah, like now, capital gains tax. Or exactly. Now that we're getting down to the nitty and gritty, we think we know what's happened here. Now we believe that Adolfo had contacted Scott and said, "I want three five thousand dollar payments." Adolfo or Scott, I can't remember which, made it clear that anything around the ten thousand and above would set a red flag warning for international money fraud. You know, it would trigger some kind of threshold warning. Watch out. So, what happened was, Scott sent $10,000 as the first payment. And surprise, surprise, the red flag went up, warning, we're holding this money, we're checking out, we're investigating it. So that obviously annoyed Adolfo. Annoyed him big style in that he was going to be hammered for taxes, and we believe that Scott did that to avoid some kind of fee that he would have to pay if he sent three smaller amounts. Okay, so for Scott to save some kind of money, he's end up costing Adolfo a lot more money. But the problem is, is that because it's such a high amount and they've investigated Adolfo to a higher level and queried quite a lot of high-end transactions that's went through his account, now Adolfo believes that that wouldn't have happened if Scott had stuck to the original agreement. Obviously, this is going to be flagged for money laundering. Mm-hmm. This is why they would do it. And if there's been loads of transactions to avoid tax, you've already committed the the problem, the flag there anyway. Yep. It's your responsibility. You've made that decision to try and not state the amount of income that you're having. So therefore, I mean, it's your grade that you don't. I agree with that. I agree with everything you said there. And I think probably both parties would agree with that. But what Adolfo's big problem is, is that he doesn't believe that would have happened if Scott didn't transfer more than what the original agreement was. doesn't matter. I, I agree with that. I don't think it matters. I really don't think it matters. I think, you know, Adolfo... It's, it's, it's a type of it's a type of fraud. So it, if you're committing fraud, and just regardless of how you got caught, you're committing fraud. Yeah. As we know, Adolfo disappeared. I think we were all getting quite annoyed with the whole. I don't have time to go to the bank. It's a it's a two hour drive to go to the bank. I can't check up on the money, and and that was going on for months and months and months. So we're now at this point where we believe we know where the money is, but there's a dispute with the fees. There's a dispute on how much Adolfo is going to get. He's obviously, whatever he gets, he's obviously not going to think, well, my Lily Lady Bib Fortuna is not worth that amount of money. And he's not going to get any more money off Scott, even if he's got the item. Uh, I don't think I've read anywhere where the item is. I'm assuming it's still with Adolfo. I don't think there's any happy resolution to this, although it was made very, very clear to Adolfo, there's no way you can ask for money back. You, you can't ask, you can't keep any money for compensation for stress. You can't keep any money for compensation that damaged your reputation. And he was given, Quite a firm warning from um, Tommy Garvey, the Rebel Scum moderator, in that you got the money, you send it back. There's nothing else that you can do. How much is the fees? He doesn't state what the fees are, he just says they are hefty fees. Now, what I'm reading into that, in that these are fees including all of the penalties that he's had, where he's been caught up on all of the transactions that he's done over how many years... I think they've all caught up on him and he's been hitting one go and they've taken it or they're going to take it out of the 10,000. Well, why not send the 10 grand back and then split the fee on that one transaction? I mean, he can pay his other transactions. I don't think the 10,000 is there anymore. I don't think he'll be able to send the 10,000 back because the Mexican authorities, if it's their money and it's their tax, they're going to hold on to that until they get their cut. And I think that that this is what's happened. There's a money or a pot of money that's ready for Adolfo, or it's even in Adolfo's bank, which is Scott's claiming, but he's not accepting it because it's not the original amount that was transferred in. Let me just ask you a question then. If I want to purchase something 
from someone for £10,000, what is the best way of going around getting that person? Especially if it's in a foreign country. Like in the UK, maybe I could withdraw the cash over time. But if I was going to send that money abroad, how would I do it? The answer is to send the money through banks and pay the fees. You know, Isn't the yeah. answer just to go there? Well, I, mean, yeah, I don't you, know how easy you, this is. You can't carry you can't. ten grand for an, air, for an airport. Yeah, it's too much money. Um, that Joe Fiore, who was also on that thread, he said that he was, you know, interrogated over some comics that he was taking into another country. Uh, it may have been Mexico, where you know they, they really grilled him about what he was doing, what he was doing with the money. But he said that the problem with it all is, is because of the historical issues. Perhaps he's suspect, suspected that this was going to happen, which is why they've agreed the three-part payment. So, uh, any idea? Any idea what the fees are on ten grand? Is it like four percent or something? I think I read somewhere there was a five hundred dollar amount bandied about, which isn't a lot of money really on ten thousand. And ten thousand was only par payment. I think I believe the full payment was fifteen. I'd feel sorry for that guy in certain respects. Well, feel sorry for both of them in certain respects. It's, you know, it's so easy to get yourself in the, uh, into a mess like this. Yeah. How many times have I bought something from Americans? Say, oh, just put on it. It's worth twenty quid. You know, and it's obviously not, so... Well, how many items have we bought off each other and put friends and family? <gasps> don't tell, don't broadcast that, Rich, what are you doing? Well, I've never done it, I'm thinking of you <laughs> four. But if PayPal investigated <laughs> you four and checked all of those friends and family transactions, right, and then, you know, looked at hey, Pete and they, said... they're all friends, they're all friends, man. Yeah, yeah, friends and family. Yeah, yeah friends and family. You're allowed to do that up to a point. Up to a point, up yeah. Point. There has yeah. to be some kind of trigger, though, hasn't there? There has to be a threshold. I think it's, I think isn't it over here? It's it's in the tens of thousands. If you if you want to give a gift from like your sibling to or whatever, it's you know twenty grand or something before people start getting suspicious. I can't, I can't remember. There the, 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 the were definitely laws. I was just just looking at the Mexico individual tax rates. So it's completely different to ours. Even in this country, I certainly know I was interested in buying an item, and it was around about January February time, and the seller wouldn't sell it to me until April when it went into the next tax year because he'd hit his limit on his sales yeah. for that year really? and he would go into the next tax bracket so although I said well I'll send you a deposit he absolutely refused and he said no I'll just keep that item to one side contact me in April and it's yours Would it, would it be a good idea to sell a Lily Lady uh, Bib Fortuna through eBay instead because then you're covered by eBay aren't you but you've got, you got have huge fees on that though wouldn't you Yeah. But, but, what's the fees on eBay Depends There's what, a maximum, what, isn't there? It yeah, but the, the, the it, same depends, it depends what, what you're selling in which category, though. I mean, uh, I think for that sort of thing, probably, you know, I mean, what was it, 10 grand, they'd probably be paying the best part of a grand, probably, in fees. There's been yeah, no I mean, winners in this, has there? No, definitely not. <laughs> oh, definitely, no, no. definitely not. And and there's no, I would not like to be out of pocket $10,000 for 18 months. Would Rich, you, can we have a happy story? Well, I was going <laughs> to ask you, would you feel any different if Adolfo had kept in contact and hadn't went quiet for the best part of a year. Well, I don't, I don't think he really was ever going to send it back, was he, anyway? I could have just kept saying, I don't know what's worse, really. Keep saying you're going to send something back and then saying nothing. How about coming out and saying, right, the problem here is we agreed on three fives, you sent a ten, this has caused a problem, it's with me solicitor, I can't do anything else. I mean, I mean, you have to say that some, you know, both parties have had an incident here. With if someone said, "Do not send me huge amounts of cash," and they have, then you can kind of see a bit of a, a bit of an issue there. Yeah. <laughs> Just to close on that one, you know, I don't think there's any kind of happy end in that story. I don't think Adolfo's in a position to send ten thousand dollars back to Scott, which is obviously what Scott's going to want, or 
to come to some kind of new agreement. We don't know what the fees are. We don't know what the penalties that's been imposed are. There's no way Adolfo is going to, or isn't even entitled to anything. So Adolfo, unfortunately, has now been banned from the community. He's been ostracised from um, a lot of the Facebook groups. So it's a warning to everybody out there. If you're going to do these high-end value items, you've got to be really careful. You've got to know your rights and responsibilities and keep it legal. Guso brings out the interview in you. On Facebook, it was on Jabba's Palace a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a live video stream of John Paul Ragusa of TIG. Question answer video session, which he's he's done before in the past, and I must have missed that first one. So it was 90 minutes of, of John Paul answering questions from the community. It was really good. I found it really fascinating and intriguing. So I wasn't going to put it 90 minutes on this podcast. I've cut it down to about three or four minutes of some of the really good questions. So I'm going to cut that audio right now. Uh, do you think 3D printing will make finding original stuff impossible eventually? Well, I don't really think so yet. If you look at the material that gets put into 3D printing and the way that it's done, I think it's still in hand is pretty easy to decipher. Uh, that doesn't say that the future will be any different. Years ago, people thought the float test was going to be this infallible way, and they got smart and they figured out a way around it. You know, um, people UV lighting, they figured out a way to make certain things reflect. I mean... Unfortunately, for every good thing that's out there in the hobby, you tend to find that people want to corrupt it somehow, right? So I don't know what the future is. Um, I will tell you this. As long as we're around, we'll be documenting, finding. Whenever someone gets a new, something that we haven't seen, I always encourage people to mail it to me. And it'll be photographed and put up on the site because we want to keep an active inventory. And kind of what I said earlier, I want to have a more fluid a website where we're constantly evolving it, and as we find out new things, we're always moving uh, in the right direction. Why do you think Star Wars fans are so anti-repro as opposed to being more accepted from Rich? You know, it's funny. I don't know. I have no clue. I honestly think that the hobby just went that way, and I think when a hobby gets to a point, it sort of sets its own rules. And, you know, maybe the nostalgia, maybe the fact that I, I would easily say that Star Wars impacted the collecting world more than any other toy line probably has, like a G.I. Joe or Transformers. But I know, like, even lines like Mego and stuff like that, they just kind of go okay with it. I just think that a decision gets made among the community when you start seeing um, growth in the hobby, and that just sticks. And I, for whatever reason, Star Wars people were purists. Um, you know, maybe it's because we're all vintage snobs. I don't know if that plays into it, but I think that was just a choice that was made by the community. I don't think there's really anything that exists and gets accepted or not gets accepted. It's mostly because the collectors themselves set their own ground rules. I mean, there isn't in the, there's no governing body that says, um, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. I mean, when those repro boxes came out recently, that guy just got his head handed to him and but, I mean, you should have known. I mean, you're you're going into a hobby of purists, and then you're pitching that you're reproducing things. I mean, you should have seen that coming a mile away. And, and um, as far as I'm concerned personally, I do follow the adage I'm not a fan of reproduction or anything. And that's not because I own the gunnery or anything like that either. It was before I even kind of got into the public view of collecting when I was just privately buying stuff. I just, if you're going for nostalgia, there has to be nostalgia. And something that was made 20 years later that doesn't feel right, look right. In some cases, the coloring isn't right. Um, I just don't see the appeal personally. Um, if, if somebody out there does, sorry, I don't agree with you. I, I'm not going to condone it because I do think that 
even if you are a private collector, uh, you're not going to own this stuff forever, and eventually it can get into the wrong hands. And when that happens, that's where the real problems start. Going to Tom McGill. How would you say collecting has changed since the rise of social media? Okay. I think it's been, you know, like anything, there's good and bad. So I'll break it down into two parts. The good is obviously reaching audiences at a massive rate. You know, for a while, at least for me, I know there's others. I apologize. My life revolved around Rebel Scum, Imperial Gunnery, uh, Star Wars Forum UK, and um, shoot, there was a fourth one. And I can't even remember what it is now. Uh, Creature Cantina, maybe? And, you know, because I came after the net days, you know, like RaskNet and all those things, if that's even how you pronounce it. It was before my time. And my world revolved around that and eBay. Um, I think with Facebook, the ability to get to people is so much easier. And the, the, the way you can reach an audience, because it ties in with other aspects of people's lives, you just have, uh, you know, an unfettered access to people. I mean, I can put up a for sale and reach, you know, by posting, let's say I post across four pages, you know, I have access to 25,000 different people. Um, now, are they all active? Of course not. I mean, you know, I know that there's a lot of lurkers and the active posters. Kind of the same with a forum. I mean, uh, Rebel Scum might have 25,000 people signed up, but there's, you know, the same eight, ten people um, posting in certain pieces of it. And I understand that rule applies everywhere. But um, it's still just in mass, you have a lot more access to people. You start to see items that were a little more, um, a little rarer, not be as rare because you're finding out other people have. And that's, again, not a bad thing. It's just there's access to new goods, stuff like that. On the bad side, I think typical of, of any social media platform, people can be kind of nasty to each other. There's a lot of anonymity. You know, say, again, same as Rebel Scum or Gunnery or, or Star Wars from UK. I mean, there's always fights and drama anywhere. But um, you tend to see people kind of fly in, stir the pot and leave. Um, and because there are so many pages, you could just be a jerk to somebody, leave, and just sign up to 500 more pages. I mean, um, so I think you see a lot of people get a little more, you know, a little bolder about how they about how they act. I do feel that the knowledge base is a little diluted on a social media platform. I mean, stuff like this is fantastic where I can just interact with people, but on the negative side of it, um, you know, searching for things. I know there's search buttons and I know there's ways to find information, but the forums themselves are a far more regulated and far easier from a, an archiving perspective. And if I could be so bold, generally the people that are on forums are probably a, a different breed of collector. And that's mostly because they were probably there before the advent of social media. So I think you find a lot of people, maybe the level of experience on average is a little bit better. The best story I could possibly uh, do is, you know, I put up, um, I had an Uze uh, Blue Stars, I'm um, sorry, Headman, and I put it up for sale and I got lambasted by people like that I was selling some nonsense figure that didn't really exist in Star Wars and, you know, people were PMing me to, you know, I was a tro you're a troll and I'm like, guys, you have no idea what you're looking at, do you? And, you know, finally people kind of came to my defense and were like, do you guys know what this is? And I think um, someone linked maybe to uh, either um Meta's site or Joe's, somebody who had a write-up on Uze, and um, then everyone kind of went, oh, okay, now I know what it is. It was frustrating. I'm like, guys, you know, this is, you know, this should be, people should be kind of going, wow, there's a grail piece for some people, and, and you know, maybe this is my chance to grab it, and instead it was met with a lot of ridicule, because a lot of people just didn't have that level. Again, not good or bad, just what I've noticed. So, great question, Tom. Do you think with the rate of repro weapons, eventually there'll be more in circulation uh, than originals, or are we there? Uh, that's from Tim. You know, 
I've kind of wondered that because, you know, you see people selling repros just in these 25, 50 packages. I'd probably say there were a lot, but you got to remember if let's say people kind of throw the number 250 million around. So if you average just one weapon per person and, and, you know, we obviously know the number is probably a little like 1.1 because you know, there's a few that come with nothing and there's a few that come with two, three. So if it's like 1.1 or 1.15, it's probably not going to be more than that. A quarter of a billion weapons floating around. It's hard to imagine that there's a quarter billion repros, but you never know. Let's hope not. So guys, if you were interested more than that, by all means, go and check out TIG. Go and check out uh, Jarrah's Palace. Um, watch the whole video. I believe there's another one scheduled very soon with Alex McGraw, who goes by General Khan on the forums. I'm sure that one's just going to be as interesting, just as great. Get your questions prepared, and those will be hosted on Jabba's Palace Facebook group. I believe Pete is doing one about Amidala's figures Ooh. in the future as well. <laughs> I'm not. Rebel base, one minute and closing. Okay, and finally then, naked mallards worth two or three ponies, really? <laughs> Yeah, so naked Jawas. My God, I, this is something that I just didn't expect to happen. So, um, once again, it was over, oh, it wasn't Jawas Palace at the time, it was Jawas Court. So, Pete, Jawas Court is an auction place, an alternative to eBay. Do you want to describe what happened with the first Jawa? Uh, no, because I'm not on those groups. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what happened with the first Jawa, in that. <laughs> you, you are. You're yeah, on those groups. There was a Jawa, advertised as the correct figure for a vinyl cape no vinyl cape no blaster so it was just a naked jawa in very very good condition okay i'm not disputing the fact that it it could get an alpha 95 it was graded that's not under dispute two guys got into a bidding war how much did this go for any ideas can i guess 91 that was a perfect guess you 91 <laughs> pounds obviously if this was on ebay what would you accuse the seller of doing jez shield bidding that's exactly what we'd accuse uh, the, the EBSL of doing. But this was on Jarrah's court, and the guy who was selling must have just been watching this going, right, somebody's not paying for this item, I can see what's happening here. Somebody's going to win it, they're going to leave the group, I'm never going to see them for again. And it just went on and on and on, and by all accounts, the money uh, transferred absolutely fine, and the guy is now in receipt in his mint naked vinyl cape Jawa. I don't know about you guys, but to me, this is just absolutely bonkers. But it puts a, now puts a value on what of actual the, the final cape is worth. We know it's worth about you know 350 to 400 pounds just for a very small piece of vinyl. And what about the blaster? Well, I mean, how how different is the vinyl? Sorry, is the Jawa in the vinyl cape Jawa Jawa? I never remember the the right way around, but one of the Jawas has small eyes and the other one has large eyes. And there is, a, I believe, a separate COO for the vinyl cape Jawa. But I had a quick look on eBay. And these naked Jawas, and yes, you've got to go through looking at the pictures, working out which one's which. You can pick them up for anything from eight right up to about twenty, twenty-five pounds. I suppose if money is no object, the ninety-one pound isn't that really. You know, they probably don't care, knowing that they've got one and it's in great condition. But if money was no object to me, I still wouldn't be spending ninety-one pound on a naked Jawa. Who's got a vinyl cape Jawa here? I do. I do. What? what? What's on yours? What's the what's the the markings on yours? You know what? I couldn't care less. I really couldn't. I'm oh, just just, I don't just know. wondering. No, I don't know. I, I don't know where it is. I haven't even looked because I don't know how you feel, Grant. But I just wanted a vinyl cape Jawa on a Jawa, 
And I don't know if they documented well enough to say that the vinyl cape only came on that Jawa and not on the other molds. I don't know. I can't see how they would have stopped production and changed the figure just because there was a change in cape. It must be a mix. You, you, you would assume so, wouldn't you? Yeah, I'd assume so. I mean, I'm sure some of the big eye ones have got vinyl capes and cloth capes. Surely. I don't know. I tell you what, just have a look at all the carded ones, I guess. It's something, it's something that's not really ever kind of occurred to me. I just assume that, like you just said there, there's just a bunch of jowers and some had vinyl capes and oh, some they, didn't. Apparently the blast is different as well. Yeah, that's right. There's a bump in the no bump. Mm, we need to speak to a jower specialist. We had one lined up, didn't we? Was it Stu you reached out to? Is it Josh? Yeah, I'm just trying to get the guy's name now. It's not Josh. Josh it Blake? Jason oh, West. Jason, Jason West. West. Uh, but the story doesn't end there, Pete, though, does it? Doesn't it? No. Doesn't it? No. <laughs> where, does it where does it keep going? It goes because on Echo Base, some guy posted up the bargain of the century. So, did any of you guys see the bargain of the century? And are you kicking yourself that you missed it? Was it another capeless vinyl cape jawa? It was another capeless vinyl cave jawa. And how much was this bargain of the century capeless vinyl cave jawa going for on Echo Base? 50 quid. 50 quid. Bang on. It went for 50 quid. Woo-hoo! And guess what? It sold. It sold for 50 quid as well. So not only have you got two guys who are bidding for this, um, you know, really mint naked vinyl cave jawa, bang, done, deal, gone. Bargain of the century, naked vinyl cave jawa, 50 quid, echo base, bang, deal, done. Unbelievable. I am staggered. And does that suggest that there's too much money in the market and not enough research? It certainly does for me. Good 
That lightsaber was Luke's. And his father's before him. And now... It calls to you. That lightsaber... It belongs to me. My guest this month is Simon McCohen, a familiar face within the UK collecting circles, a collector who has been in and out of the game since childhood, from trader in the 90s to being a butcher in the present, now a Palatoy and Trilogo collector, as well as many various oddball lines. Simon, welcome to the Vintage Rebellion. Thank you, Stu. It's, uh, it's a privilege to be here. Luckily, you gave me some nice bump, so I'm, I've smashed the intro. I know it's all correct. Factual. Is it, yes, I, I I forgot I put the bit about the butchering in there. It's funny you being a butcher. FX Seven is your one of your favourite figures, isn't it? it? It is, yeah. Is it because it's the most likely one that's shaped like a sausage? No, no. I I, I in fact, let's let's turn this round, Stu. Where, where did this butcher idea come from? I need to know. And joining us tonight <laughs> to go through his uh, addiction to vintage plastic is Jezebel. Jez, good evening. Good evening, everyone. Uh, can I have three pounds of beef, please? Uh, I'll, I'll put it on the slate, Mr. Mr. Jez. Simon, I've got so many bits and pieces to discuss with you over the next hour, um, from your childhood and your trading, and of course, items you collect currently. You often featured in the latest acquisitions on Star Wars Forum. I've seen you make some amazing purchases since I've known you, but there is one item that stands out as having to be top of the bill tonight. Now, on last month's show, Richard, after a bit of badgering, finally <laughs> admitted to making a purchase of Huey, Louie and Dewey. And after some digging, it would appear that you were behind the whole thing. <laughs> so, did Richard ask you for this, or have you been, like, pimping out Huey, Louie and Dewey toys? It, it was a chance occurrence in Orlando in April. Uh, I was out there with my wife and daughter on holiday and happened across a Disney store. I walked in and was confronted by uh, Huey, Dewey and Louie with the remains of R5-D4. And, and I sort of jokingly stuck up a picture on Facebook and tag, tagged Rich. And he said, yes, please. Well, there is one other thing about this, though, Simon, isn't it? Because I believe, I believe Richard isn't the only one that owns one of these, is he? I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Simon, did you buy yourself a Huey, <laughs> Louie and Dewey Star Wars toy? Look, it, it was hot out there. Um, I'm not blessed with hair. I, I can only I can only surmise that the sun must have got to me somehow. But I I did end up uh, dumping two of these on poor Ian later in the holiday. Is that because you're embarrassed about carrying them through customs? <laughs> I'd run out of uh, boot space by that time, let alone luggage space. So Ian kindly. Uh, offered to uh, help repatriate them. On on reflection, I should have just dropped them at the nearest swamp. I think. Uh, Stu, can I just interrupt a sec? It's quite early in the night. Sorry, do you mind just putting your hands over your ears for a second? Um, yeah. Stu, mate, between me and you, seriously, with Rich and Stu, this is the Vintage Rebellion. We don't need these two freaks. Uh, should we just move on and find something else? It was Sunstroke. There we go. That's what it was. Sunstroke. Jez could probably um, feel your pain there because he's got the same sort of head. He knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. It's just, sorry, his head is slightly closer to the sun than mine, just because he's so much significantly taller than me. So, uh, yeah, he, he burns slightly more than me. What I do want to go on to next is, is something that we were meant to discuss in the newest acquisitions, which will be coming up shortly. You bought yourself a box, a display box complete of HC Ford record erasers. Oh, they're brilliant. Now, you're quite a greedy git, aren't you? Because you didn't just buy one or two, you've bought three of these, haven't you? 
They were like buses. They really were. The, the guy that I got the first box off, uh, I'd seen it at a car, but he's a sort of part-time trader about a year ago. And I bought a set of the four erasers off him, the record-shaped ones, just, just as a novelty because I thought they were brilliant. And this time he's unpacking his boxes and he's got the box containing a couple more sets. So I thought, oh, I wouldn't mind that. Did a deal, got it. And then I, I looked at it and the box was a bit shabby and they, they were missing erasers. So I went online to try and find the, some more to fill the box. And I came across a complete box. So I had that. And then at the same time, I also came across an empty box, which was in mint condition. So I had that because I thought I could probably complete the set. And it just, it, it sort of snowballed, really. Got out of control. They are quite nice. Do you want to describe these for anybody that might not know what we're talking about? You've got four different colours. They're all sort of shaped like LPs or, or, or singles, old vinyl discs, except they probably measure no more than, what, two and a half inches, Stu? You're probably familiar with that. About six centimetres across. Uh, they come in pink, blue, grey and yellow. And you, they're, they're, they're in little cellophane packets. From one side, you can see the record. And from the other, they've got one of two different labels on. Very basic sort of arty labels. And they come in a box of, I think it's 48 to a box. Uh, and it's got the uh, the best of the lightsaber jewels, the final jewel with Vader and uh, Luke on from Return of the Jedi. You've got three of these boxes, and they actually only hold 36. I perhaps you want to go and have a little look at your boxes. Oh, maybe I've got three complete boxes then. It says it on the end of the box, 36 pieces included. I'm not displaying the end of the box, I'm displaying uh, the front. But great grey is a funny decision, isn't it, for a cover oh, one of these things? What, what were they thinking? Uh, and even a, an eraser shaped like a record, but when I did a bit of digging, do you know what, there was quite a few different type record erasers back in the, the early 80s, so it's obviously a bit of a fad. And do you know the, the one on the yellow and the blue sleeves, you know it's got the picture which shows George Lucas's hand holding the blue lightsaber, that's the image, quite a famous it, image, used on a lot of, um, lot yeah, of Jedi um, merchandise, Jedi yet post. we never see a blue lightsaber in Return of the Jedi. Well, there you go. Well, there you go. Um, I hope you didn't pay too much for these because um, cause they're quite readily available, actually. They come up quite often, don't they? They do seem to come up quite often, which is how I managed to acquire three in a week. But no, I, I didn't. I, I think I did rather well. I, the first one I paid about £2 per eraser and got the box free. Uh, the second one, I got the whole box in really nice condition for £70, I think, or £75 delivered. And the third one I paid about... 13 quid for a mint empty box oh no it wasn't empty it had it had five in so i was very pleased with that but no they they don't go for a lot you can pick up a, a complete nice box for around about 70 75 quid no problem that's a great price isn't it in today's prices for items. i think so yeah yeah it's, it's one, of the, one of the few items that isn't worth a great deal more than it was when it was new if you take into account inflation in July, no, end of August, there was one a box which sold with six razors for just £16.66, and that box was really tidy. If, if you're patient, you could probably fill that for next to no money, couldn't you? You could pick them up for a couple of quid if you're patient. On that may well have been the one I bought. I'm going to have to check now. <laughs> 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 I thought it was about 13, 14 quid, but yeah, that sounds about right, yeah. It's since July. Three display boxes have actually sold on eBay since July, so... Oh, I see. That was probably all me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, they're great. They're great. I, I love all those uh, those bits and pieces. Random, random bits and pieces. They're just and in this this market at the moment, where everything is so crazy expensive. If you look what you get for your sort of forty, fifty, sixty quid, I just think you get so much more than um, a, a low end mint on card figure. It must be quite strange for you because um, let me just go back to this email you sent me. You've sold up two or three times, haven't you? Generally with collecting. Yeah, 
Uh, and that's not not counting the old childhood collection. Yeah, it's two or three. In fact, it's let's see. Uh, yeah, it's it is three times since my childhood. So back again. But I've discovered what the secret is now, you see. The last time. When have you been collecting since? I believe March, only March last year. So that's not long, is it? That's what, uh, 18 months, 19 months? And you sold up previously in 2007. So prices from when you were collecting back in the mid-noughties to now, it didn't put you off collecting? No, not at all. I mean, there's a lot of discussion about price rises. And yeah, of course prices have gone up since... 2007 personally as, as someone who's, who's been out of the market for for those eight years in between i didn't find them as scary as i thought they would do and in actual fact as in 2007 i was just picking up the odds mint on card here there and everywhere it, it didn't really matter what it was as long as it was something different at uh, the time before that when i was seriously collecting in 2000 i was trying to put together a run of last 17 so i have quite clear memories of how much figures were costing then and i've got to say for the power of the four stuff it hasn't really changed that much i think there's a lot of skewed perspective and i think there's a few a a few notable items that have rocketed up that make people peg the whole thing as as uh, scary price rises but i i just don't see it as someone who's been back a couple of times to be honest so you were trying to put together a last 17 run back in the early 2000s Yep, 2000, 2001. Um, Did you get there at the time? No, absolutely not. I was earning £40 a week, working about 70-hour weeks. Uh, that was when I was with working with Daytree on Ultimart.com. Yeah, uh, so I had very, very little money indeed, um, and I was just picking up what I could. I typically was spending 60, 70, 80 quid on a carded figure. Now, uh, obviously, you can't buy much in the way of last 17 now carded for that, but they were Power of the Force, because I despised Tri-Logo at the time. And they weren't the best quality either. The condition wasn't amazing either. So I don't think we're that far off, probably an extra 20 or £30 per figure off now, really. It just so goes that you've just completed your Trilogo last seventeen, haven't you? Yes, yeah, that was that was really satisfying actually. It was um, because I I know they get a, an awful lot of flack the last seventeen figures, but I like them because I was I was pretty much entirely out of Star Wars then, and I, I remember my brother and I got yak faces, and it just went straight into the box of figures. I was not bothered one bit. I, in fact, I hated that figure, particularly as it didn't come with a weapon. Uh, really hated it. So that was the end of Star Wars for me. So the last 17, to me, are still, they're still new. They're like new Star Wars figures. So um, they, they, still, they still excite me. Was it difficult to put together the last 17 of them? Uh, on the whole, it was, it was okay. It was difficult getting them at the right price. I was say, none of them are overly rare, are they, on Trilogos? But That's right. some of them are quite expensive. A yak has risen quite substantially, hasn't it, in the last probably 18 yeah. months? Yeah, and, and completely undeservedly so. I got lucky on a trade with him. Well, I guess I got lucky on a trade. Um, uh, but to be honest with you, finding a, a, a reasonable, reasonably priced a Manaman or R2 pop-up saver was harder than finding a reasonably priced Yak face. But yeah, the price rises on some of them have been absolutely stupid. There we are. But it was a fun run to put together. It was great to, to go out looking for them. Um, and uh, it's, been, it's been great tracking a few of them down. And, and friends from the forum um, have helped, which has been super. Power of the Falls, Trilogo. Yeah, I'm just admiring yours now, actually, and... And having a little look at your collection, which you've got on Stars Forum UK, are you a glutton for punishment? Because I'm sure I'm reading something here. Uh, I would also like to get a, st- a set with the sticker and without. So are you going to double up here? Is that right? Is that what you want to do? I'm toying with the idea. It depends. 
I've got a sort of love-hate relationship with the sticker because I I love it because it's it's new, it's exciting, it's a new figure, one pound fifty-nine, and and just to see that is quite exciting in its own right. And yet at the same time, let's face it, it is one ugly ass sticker, uh, and it does cover up a bit of that beautiful Chai logo. I like it, and I like it with, and I like it without. So yeah, it would be nice to go back and try and finish off the uh, finish off the run, the mirror run as such. I've got what have I got? Here? Two, six, six with stickers. Not even, not even half of them, and they're the ones that were on sale in the UK. So no, they're the ones that I I would like. But yeah, I think that could be unrealistic, particularly now that, as you say, Yak has just continued to go up and up and up. I'm not paying fifteen hundred quid for a Yak. You can get several of the last 17s, probably for under £100 on Trilogo, can't you? Yeah, you can certainly get things like the, the Ewoks, which, you know, Stu's, you know, a man who loves his Ewoks, um, that for some reason they're just not that popular. Uh, so you can certainly get the Ewoks for under 100 Uh Anakin is probably the cheapest. He's, I'd say, readily available at about 50 quid. And then you're up into the sort of Baradas. Uh, and A-wing pilots, which are typically and and well, dignitaries just sub one hundred, but A-wing and Barada around about the hundred mark, and then you go up from there. Quite a doable thing. It's just finding, like you say, those rare ones. Luke Storm, you must is that quite a tough one to find? It was it, quite lucky in a way with Luke Storm because uh, when I started collecting. In my, again, in March last year, I was just going hell for leather, really. You know what it's like. You start, you get back in, everything's new and exciting, and you just want it all, and you want it now. Um, and I found a Luke Storm, a graded Luke Storm, on eBay uh, by a, a well-known seller. Uh, and I contacted him direct and said, look, any chance you could do better if we went direct? And he said, yes, yeah, sure. And at the time, I paid an awful lot of money for him. I paid £410, pounds for him. Uh, he is AFA 80, and at the time, that meant something to me. Now it means absolutely nothing to me, and I despise graded stuff. But on reflection, now, it, it was quite a good deal. You, you wouldn't find him again, AFA 80, for... 110 quid that's for sure just as a, a quick point why have you turned so against the grading pathway to start you, you, you you're gonna get me wound up now i do that it a lot has... so you don't ask sweet cheeks <laughs> <laughs> uh, it has absolutely no credibility whatsoever none uh less than none i i i look down on graded stuff now because i just think someone has paid some money to diminish the protection of that figure whilst having a few people give their opinion on it. A few people who, half the time, don't even seem to know what they're looking at. I think JC had up his uh, pop Han, they'd they'd listed it as Putch, P-U-C-H. You know, and the whole thing with the Toy Tonys, not only grading them, I can forgive them for that. Nobody was looking out for you know, newly sealed figures on original cards with, in some cases, original bubbles. No one was looking out for that. So to a degree, I can give, forgive them for that. What I can't forgive them is the absolute lack of admission of guilt afterwards and putting their hands up and saying, you know what, we, we got it wrong. Sorry about that. Uh, here's a list of everything that, you know, we think was wrong or, or, or just at least saying we got it wrong. But they don't. And, and the arrogance of that is ridiculous. Um, and why the hell should I pay someone to give an opinion on my figure? If I'm happy with it, I'm happy with it. Couldn't give a toss what they think. You're you're currently focusing on Palatoy and Trilogo figures generally, aren't you? Yeah, those, that's definitely my main foci. I think you told me that you own 55 of the Trilogos? Yeah, that that's uh, probably increased by a couple since the last we spoke. I think probably around about the, uh, the 58, 59 mark now, but yeah. And you only sent me this email on September the 14th. 
Yeah, so. the, 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 the couple of acquisitions are probably just upgrades or nothing particularly special. Uh, one of them is a, is a duplicate. It's a, it's a squid head. He's not up on the, the latest acquisitions. Got to, got to stick him up there, actually. Uh, he's a squid head tri-logo, which in itself is completely unremarkable. But what I like about him, this one came from the States, is it's got a it's got a couple of price stickers on it for Lloyd's, seventy nine cents, and then the one below it is two for one dollar, and that's exactly the same with the same stock code as the KBs had on their tri logos. So it's just it's an interesting little sort of journey again in the tri logo story, because it, it shows that somewhere else other than KB was selling, you know, old stock in in eighty six eighty seven. Although they were undoubtedly associated with with KB, but yeah, so nothing too exciting since we last spoke to you, don't worry. Do you think completing the tri logos is going to be unachievable? Uh, uh, no, uh, and I'll tell you why. Because uh, <laughs> I will not spend the money on Maybe. God, I hate that figure. I I hate that figure so much. And to find out that I would now have to spend what what are they up to now six seven eight thousand pounds on one I I do not imagine a time that I will ever spend the money on that so no realistically probably not but uh, I guess never say never and what about your your Palatoy run how's that you told me that you originally put together a, f- a first twelve you decided to sell that on why was that I I was putting together a I wouldn't call them, they certainly weren't beaters, but they. I was aiming for, if you had got them graded, they would have graded around about 75. So by no means perfect, but not beaters. Uh, with, and the intention was to put together a run of 12 for less than £12,000, uh, which is still a phenomenal amount of money, but I was in no rush. I started doing it, and I got up to four, and I, I'm, I think I was doing really well. And then a couple of uh, big spenders came in and and said that they were going to wanted to complete a run of 12 um, and they were spending silly money on them and I thought you know what I don't know it just all of a sudden became a little bit tasteless so I, I lost the passion for it and I looked at them and thought yeah okay I'm I'm still doing well and not spending that much money on them but the, but they still you know six seven hundred pound a figure that could go to an awful lot of tri logos and, and lower down the scale palatoys. So I, I sold them and, and bought other things. And you've you've told me you favoured the forty one and forty five back palatoys now, yeah? Yeah. They they at the moment I think they they're really good value for money. If you look at Commoner Garden Kenemox in, in nice condition at uh, fifty or sixty quid now, um you can get some really nice and really quite rare forty five Bs for 150 160 pounds so a you've got the advantage of them being a, the very cool empire strikes back logo uh b them being palatoys and, and c being really quite rare but they're they're sort of at the moment they're under the radar and that's the way i'd like them to stay so just cut all of that out uh 41s are much more expensive still i think quite good value for money and 45 a's some of them are, are really quite expensive but they just they just look so cool it's the only one with the with an offer sticker on it and the Panatoy logo and i, I like that they're just more affordable than the, the 12, 20s and 30s. While we're all at celebration, you know, a few drinks being <laughs> sunk the night, you, on a whim, well, I, I say on a whim, I suppose only you could say this, I went outside for a slice of pizza and when I came back, you had made quite a substantial purchase, hadn't you? Um, yeah, it, it wasn't, in my defence, it, it wasn't a whim, it was two slightly opportune moments. I, I think Ove had been waiting and just watching me drinking uh, and struck twice brilliantly the first time he struck was in the room sales and i say he struck he had no idea who i was and i pounced on him because he was he was carrying not one but two brilliant carded figures the first was a 
absolutely trashed Biker Scout on R5D4 miscard, Shy Logo. Let's just stop there for a sec. Let's just, let's just um, reminisce mm. about this card because Jez was there trying to buy this for his good friend R5D4 Focus Collector. True Richard. story. He True said story. you kind of pushed him out of the way and said, I'll have it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I don't remember it the same way. And I also knew Rich already had one. See, he that... said he was going to rip my arms out of my sockets if I um, if I said no. Let the Wookiee win, Jess. Let the Wookiee win. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, he had it. It was battered. I, I did know that Rich actually had one. And the time um, Jez said he was looking for Rich, well, uh, it was in my grubby mitts. And he wanted a massive £40 for it. And you can, you can slide the figure out the top. You can slide the figure out the bottom. You could, you know, you'd probably come out sideways if you give him a hard enough shake. But I just like it because I didn't have a miscard. And it is such a cool miscard. It is. It's a great combination, isn't it? Yeah. And, and Joe got, uh, Joe, uh, Brian got a bit excited about it because he had seen, I believe he'd seen it some years before. But, he said there was no proof about miscards being sold in the UK, and yet this one had a 79 pence or 99 pence UK price sticker on it and a shop name. So um, apparently it was, it's a bit relevant again in the, the Tri-Logo story for that reason. So the, there was the Biker Scout miscard, um, and that was that was a very reasonable and, and pocket-warming £40, and, and I wasn't going to miss that. And then in his other hand, which he was in no way proffering, uh, was a 30-back FX7, Palatoy 30-back FX7. Now, this is the same one that sold at Vectus for 7,018 months ago, wasn't it? Not the same, actual same one, but... Exactly, yes. It was the, the, the same car back that it sold for 7,000 in, I think that was in early 2014, or if not 2013. Um, it, was, it was a fair while ago. And that was obviously the first one that had surfaced forever. Since then, there'd been... I think Ove's one was the third one to have gone through, and he got it at an astonishingly reasonable price. Uh, and I think it probably got let down by the description, in all fairness. They described the card as good. I wish all my cards were this good. It's, it's, a, it's an appalling description. It's not good at all. It's, it's bloody brilliant. It's got a, a, a very small, not even one centimetre square bit of sellotape in the top right-hand corner that's not torn, not lifting, not doing anything, just sat there. As, as Ben pointed out with almost glee, uh, one of the, uh, well, the, the stem has got very slight crush on it, a very slight sort of crease on it. Um, and that was it. And that was it. And, and I, I felt the auction description was really harsh, so it went almost unnoticed. I've got himself a, a great bargain. I got myself a, the most expensive card of figure I've got. So expensive, it actually stops me fully enjoying it, I think. I've come to that realisation. I love it, and I don't want to let it go, but it's it's just so eye-wateringly expensive that it does rather... It's like having a, a, a £100,000 car on the driveway. You just wouldn't want to drive it in case you scratched it. I was going through the forum earlier on, and I found a post... Which, uh, a thread which I started on the 10th of September last year. And it was titled, Removal of New Figure 159 Sticker, How To. Goes on. <laughs> okay, this may get me criticised rather than praised, but I thought it'd be worth sharing nonetheless. In fact, I'm not going to say any more. <laughs> I want Sai, tell me all about this poll which you started, which was left kind of, I don't know, 52% versus 48. So it was definitely... A bit of a, uh, a bit of a. It was a referendum call, wasn't it? it was well, I was, yeah, I was just about to say it was a Trump Clinton thing going on here. You know, a bit topical. Uh, let's not put 
political uh, politics in Star Wars, though, because we know that that ruins things. Yeah, tell me all about this thread because uh, you just um, ripping stickers off. You might as well be you grading discuss. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I didn't like it, Jess. So I, I peeled it off. It was one of my changes. No, come on now. Be fair. That there was. I was on a mission to get a pop up R two, and at the time they were going for four, five hundred quid. And I thought I'm, I'm not having this. Six months ago they were two hundred, two hundred twenty quid tops. So no, they're, they're no rarer now than they were then go and find a good one for cheap and a seller up north somewhere had three pop-up r2s uh, in various states of stickerlessness and what had happened was i guess he he says he didn't do it he reckons he, he just bought a load of clearance stock and they were in there like this and they're all pop-up r2s and the bubbles on them were perfect and the cards were, were pretty much perfect but some buffoon had tried peeling off the new figure 159 stickers on two of them they had partially peeled the sticker and partially peeled the litho and then on this one the third one they had somehow managed just to peel the top sort of plastic layer of the new 159 sticker off and left the white backing paper with the epoxy resin on the cards so it looks bloody awful i mean you may as well have peeled the litho off for how it looked because it was neither one nor the other but it, it was it was cheap ish it was like what was it 200 quid 220 quid something like that uh and compared to everything else at the time i thought well it is nice and the bubble is perfect and hey come on how hard can it be to get the rest of that off so i bought it and i bought myself some goo gone and i sat down and i tried to remove the rest with a degree of success Aren't the stickers slightly under the bubble? Not always, no. Uh, because they were essentially applied in the factory, in the Panatoy factory, uh, they yeah, were applied okay. They're sometimes by, different heights and... by hand, exactly. So sometimes they got the bubble, sometimes they didn't get the bubble. So I, the, it was unfortunate. I think, I think it was just a badly worded question. I should definitely never work <laughs> in politics. Uh, but <laughs> essentially, I was trying to ask, do you think this figure looks better with this great big nasty white blotch in the top left-hand corner? or this lack of white blotch but slightly messed up litho in areas. And it came out, I think it was 52% saying should have left it alone. Um, and I just went away and was quiet for a couple of days. I think you've done a great job. You restored it. You brought it back to some sort of glory. It was left in a transitional phase because it was neither one nor the other. And uh, no, I think you I think you righted the wrong there. So do not worry. Uh, I think that's worked, worked well, mate. Cheers, Jeff. That's, that's, that's good to know. I, I didn't go completely insane. Just just stepping back to where we were talking about was obviously your FX7. Is that your favourite card in your collection? Um, you know what? I I don't think it is because, as I said, it, it was so eye-wateringly expensive. Um, I bought it because I was mildly drunk. When I saw it, I, I was slightly tipsy. And then the next night, when when because we I'd left it with Ove, he said, "Well, I, I'm offering it for trade against a I think he was after a proof card, a Power of the Force proof card. Uh, I'm hoping he's going to take it as trade. Whoever it was didn't take it as trade, and and I'd left it with him. I said, look, if if he doesn't, he he'd been talking about X thousands, which was which was which was a silly amount of money. And I said, if he doesn't take it, I'll offer you this much, and let me know by the end of the weekend. And anyway, he pounced on me in a um, a slightly squiffy state the next night and I gave him lots of money and he gave me a very nice garden figure but no it, it's not my favourite because it costs so much money why don't you build a um, FX7 focus around it to make it take the emphasis off it a little bit well it's funny you should say that Stu um, because I had actually considered an FX7 focus oh, yeah. uh, 
some well about three months before that even came up but i'd written it off very quickly having thought well yeah well i'm not going to spend seven grand on a 30 back am i so right that's out the picture and any focus i have has to contain all the palatoy cards without a doubt because that because i love them so they had to be affordable and achievable and now that i ticked the biggest one off the list it was it was back on the cards so i thought yeah well why not so i have started a a little side focus but um, i have difficulty maintaining focus which is why i collect trilogos palatoy oddball items made in mexico figures uh boxed ships and, and, well, pretty much anything else that grabs my fancy. And now FX7 as well, really. I mean, it's it's another little side focus. But, yes, there is there is a little side focus going on. Oh. Could me and Jez just have... Let's both have a little game here. Jez, let's both just have a guess what we think is his favourite card in his collection. OK, just one guess. Very quickly. What, what are you going with? I'm going with a Leah, randomly just... Uh, Leah Hoth. Oh, on a Tri-Logo. Has he got that? I'm going to go... That's with, the point. He might not even have it. I'm going to go with something like maybe... I'm going to go really out there. Cloud Car Pilot on, let's say, something really random. 45A. What is wow. How did you guess? Which well, one? she Which is one of kind us? of fit. Oh, Jess, I'm sorry, mate. You're right. I do have I do have a Tri-Logo Leah Hoff, um, which I like very much indeed. But no, it... Hands down, winner has to be 45A um, Cloud Car Pilot, which uh, I got got from a uh, very nice chap on the forum, which I'm very grateful for because it was even a sensible price for it. So uh, yeah, that is it is. It's just so 70s. It's just so cool, and it is one of the the sort of harder 45As to find. Sort of, it's certainly up there in the the top of the middle tier of of, of toughness to find. So yeah, yeah, love it. I just got totally set up there, didn't I, voice Chew? Why is it you love the Cloud Car Pilot? It's just such a. It's one for a start. It's, it's one of those sort of almost made-up car backs because, as I understand it, the Cloud Car Pilot that they never even made a costume for it uh, for Empire Strikes Back. It was that there was no actor that played the Cloud Car Pilot. It was just a model, which is pretty funky. And so the the card back is is almost a, a, a massively airbrushed, sort of blown up image from the movie, and the colours they're just. I appreciate it came out in the early 80s, but just so 70s, that white and that orange. It's like disco funky dude, man. Very cool. And because he's such a bugger to find loose, complete. Um, and he's there, sealed forever in his plastic. So I, I do like it. It's got, it ticks all the boxes. Well, so it'd be great talking about your mock. If we go back to 1977, you were a 20-year-old boy. <laughs> How old were you when you saw the movie? And where did you see it? Uh, I was one, and I was in Dover, and I didn't see it, although I was present. My mum tells me I slept all the way through in my um, whatever the hell they had then Moses baskets or something. I don't know what what was you carried children around in, in the seventies. So yeah, I slept all the way through. A new hope. What kind, what kind of collection did you have as a youngster? Was you quite inundated with the toys? No, not really. Um, my dad, uh, got. God bless him, was uh, a bit of a Victorian dad, believed in good, healthy play and outdoors and not spending silly amounts of money on, on plastic. So I had a very sort of moderate collection of Star Wars stuff. I don't think I had any more than about 40-odd figures. I was only ever given mini rigs. Um, I bought. I remember buying my own ATST on clearance in Manorgrove, which was part of Quick Save in North Wales, uh, for about £3.70. And that was the biggest vehicle I had. So I really had a very small collection. But I, I lived through my friend's collection. My, my mate James Roberts was one of those annoying children that had everything. 
So he had the Palatoid Death Star and the Atat and the Millennium Falcon, and that was it. So we used to just go around and play around there and play with his all the time. Where are you now, James Roberts? <laughs> it's still on Anglesey and still has his collection. I bet he hasn't got a Palatoid 13 FX7. I bet he hasn't, but I know for a fact he's one of the only kids I knew that had a blue Snaggletooth. Oh, I do want to go back to another thread that you posted up on the forum regarding your childhood, and that was your old notebook you found, um, which, yeah. to be honest, I, I thought the age you were, I thought you'd still be on Slate, but this was this was a notebook. Now, this kind of find, to me, would would be the, the best thing in the collection, because, written, what, what was in the notebook? I was at primary school at the time, and every day we had to keep a little diary of, the first thing you did, you sat down with your, your little school book, and you wrote about nine lines of what you'd done the previous day, and you had to draw, or you didn't have to, but you were encouraged to draw a little picture, which you got extra house points for. And I found these things, because I, I used to keep, that, that got me started on keeping a, a diary for the next sort of three or four years. So I think I was keeping a diary between about 84 and 89, 90, something like that, if you include the school stuff. And in there, I'd recorded that a friend of mine by the name of Randall Guelfo, um, which is just an awesome name an American was going back to America. His dad's job was moving back to America. So he had, he'd been told in uncertain terms to get rid of all his Star Wars stuff. They didn't want to take it back. Uh, and he was flogging them off at 25 pence a figure. This was in about 85, I think. Um, and I just, that was, as far as I'm concerned, that was the best thing ever. So for three days out of four, I think in my diary, I just recorded how I was buying Star Wars figures off, off Randall Guelph for 25 pence. And I, I drew a few of them. Uh, and it was I'd completely forgotten I hadn't forgotten I'd bought the figures but I completely forgot that, that that anything had been recorded in the school diary so when I went flicking through a chunk of old junk um, and found my diaries and just sat down to see those it was it was just amazing absolutely brilliant I love that thread on the um, forum because that's the kind of stuff you know takes you right back there and uh, with your permission I would love to put a couple of those pages on our Facebook page when we release this podcast but yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's, um, it does make me smile every time I, I even think about it. It's just, it's just, it's just what Star Wars is. It's, it's, it's about your childhood again. About that age when the most important thing was when you were going to get your next figure, or, or, or were you going to make it home in time to watch Dungeons and Dragons or whatever. It was just, it's just brilliant. It sums up everything about Star Wars for me. Just complete childhood innocence. Something that you discussed earlier that you brought up, which we haven't spoke about yet was you mentioned something called Ultimart earlier mm. now let's get some information on this what what was Ultimart? Ultimart was uh, I guess the the modern equivalent to sum it up would be a price comparison website but it was an idea I'd had in about 1998 97 98 um, I was touring the country uh, at the weekends with a friend of mine who was who was selling grey import power of the force 2 stuff so he's it's going to memorabilia in Leeds and blue coats in Liverpool and doing all the comic marts and toy fairs but he didn't drive so I drove the van for him he was making an obscene amount of money just to make any power of the force 2 collectors cry uh, some of you used to pay 25 pounds for new figures when they came out because he was getting them months before Toys R Us was. And I thought, wow, this, this is amazing. What an amazing business model, because this is just going to carry on for years. Wouldn't it be great if you could have a mart, you know, a, a convention every single day, and you could just, just, you know, go online and you'd be in this mart and you could have a hundred different dealers there to choose from in one place, and you could just automatically choose the, the lowest price to, to save money. Because, you know, it was his business, he was making the money, and he was equally charging the money. And I, I did, as a collector, I really did feel for people who were spending a, a, 
outrageous amount of money on these things. So it was all about trying to get the price down for the collector. Um, and so came up with Ultimart, but I was a student at the time and poor as 50 men. Uh, and it was only after I started work and finding that I really didn't like working for other people, I thought, well, maybe now's the right time. It was the, the dot-com boom. Maybe now's the right time to try and set it up and get running. And you, you did set it up. You set it up alongside Dave Tree? Yeah, well, that was a, that was a... That was a happy meeting of minds, that was, because I'd just quit my first job after nine months with Royal and Son Alliance, which was tedious in insurance. Uh, and I'd gone off to do some sales training in the middle of Dorset in a place called Chantmile, which was an old, the old Dorset Police Training College, a 15th century manor house. It was amazing. And it was for this, they were nearly a cult, for God's sake, uh, called Octagon Training. Uh, and they used to work you God knows how many hours a week and not pay you any money in the, in the guise of training you to be a, an effective salesperson for three months. And Dave was running one of the projects down there. I think he was some shelving, Dexian or something like that, shelving. And I'd, I'd run it past the boss, you know, do you like this idea? And he did like the idea, but he wanted to take it on wholesale. And I would, you know, I wouldn't be involved. I'd retain a part ownership, but I, I would not be involved in it. And I wasn't keen for that. And then Dave came to hear about it because I think he'd spoken to Dave. And Dave started talking to me about it. Uh, and it just went from there, really. We both went off and did our own thing for the next nine, 12 months. And this was bubbling away in the background. And in the end, we, we just both reached this point where we were unhappy in the jobs we were in. And we, we said, right, let's, let's give it a crack. So he, he ran it from his end in, um, in the New Forest for, uh, near Falling Bridge. And I, was, I deliberately moved back to Anglesey. Jesus. Um, I, I, yeah, I moved back to Anglesey where I'd been living um, before university because I knew it was pr a pretty desolate place in terms of social scene and friends at the time. They'd all moved away and I knew there'd be no distractions and it was bloody cheap as well. So I moved back there uh, and we, we gave it a crack for, for 12, 18 months, but it, it wasn't meant to be. You both put out some cash in, and you got some sort of grant from the government, didn't you? Yeah, they were. They were. The government were very keen to encourage new business. So they would. You would apply for a loan through a bank, a small business loan through a bank, a uh, high street bank, and the government would guarantee uh, a loan of up to, I think it was £25,000. They would guarantee the bank that they would receive their money back if uh, we failed to pay them back. And we, we made full use of that facility. So why do you think it failed? Uh, it was a number of reasons. One, we, we uh, you see, if they'd been Dragon's Den, we, we could have been ripped to shreds buy them in there because we, we didn't have an effective way of actually making any money it was a lovely idea and and our customers loved us and even at the end the dealers were warming to us and liked the fact that we were bringing them in thousands of pounds of revenue every month for them having to have to do nothing at all but we just we didn't know how to charge people for it when we approached the dealers and said look we're thinking about charging you know one maybe two percent of the sales Oh, no, I don't think so. And, and we, we thought, well, maybe if we charge the customers a, a £10 lifetime membership, we floated that idea and we received 30 quid in the post. It was all pre-advertising. There was no sort of, you didn't really get click banners, um, you know, pay-per-click banners. It was all, um, what were they, sort of like web rings, I think they called them, whereby you put on someone's banner on your site and they'll put their banner on their site and so on and so forth. So there was no, there was no revenue being generated. So... We had no effective way of getting any money in. We blew, Christ, 20-odd grand on traditional print advertising. I think we advertised in... We, I think we were in the Star Wars magazine a few months. I'm desperate to find the paperwork, actually, because 
looking back, the, the, the adverts, they were really inventive. They were, they were really creative, but neither of us were, were graphic designers and neither of us were terribly good with computers. And this was in 2000, which although sounds very modern, was 16 years ago. So it was, it was pretty Bobby basic stuff. Um, but, and we spent an awful lot of money doing that. So yeah, we made it, and we, neither of us, in fairness, had much in the way of business acumen. We had no previous experience of, of running, running a business. So it was, uh, we didn't have enough capital to allow for all the mistakes we were making. In hindsight now, if you were to do it again, would you know how to change it and how to make money from it? Or is it one of these yeah. kind of things that there isn't the money to be made there? I still think it would potentially be a goer, but I think now everyone is just so, so confident in being online and making purchases online. They don't mind going to half different dozen sites that's half the fun almost and also the 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 big pull there wasn't the vintage stuff at the time even though dave and i were both massive vintage collectors i say massive you know we loved vintage didn't necessarily have big collections the main revenue stream as such from the dealers was for modern it was all power of the force 2 or power of the jedi episode one at the time all that sort of stuff so if you look at the market for that nowadays it's not a I don't think it's a fraction of what it is. I mean, I don't know because I, I don't go out and buy the buy the new stuff. Really, I buy bits and pieces of it when it's on clearance, but I don't buy it like I used to. So I just don't think the market's there for, for it, the the market that we were targeting. And with vintage stuff, it doesn't hang about long enough to even warrant updating the site anymore. Grant was a big user of Ultimart back in the day, and he was, yeah, yeah, and a competition winner. He was, he was. He said he found purchases for using you. He found things like freeze frame figures, which you couldn't find in this country, and yeah. the episode one US stuff. And like you just said, he he won a competition. What what was the competition that he? You know, I I can't even remember what he had to do. It, it, it was nothing too strenuous, and it's certainly nothing that required Dave and I to to have to think about much in terms of choosing a winner. But it was, I think, it was for a for an ATST. Power of the Force to yep, ATS. It was, it was a Power of the Jedi, Power of the Scout Jedi. Walker, and it also came with an Ewok and a speeder bike. Wow, that that was a good bundle. He said that when the page closed down, uh, you named a few collectors on there, and he he did get a mention. He was a he was a good customer. There were there were several. Uh, we had several good customers, and we actually made a couple of friends. Um, well, yeah, Grant's a great example from it um they would because that was the great thing people appreciated or they seemed to appreciate that we weren't a professional outfit and we were just mad star wars fans and we were we were taking all the pain out of the purchase for people which is why we were working 70 odd hour weeks because it was all done manually on the other side it looked automated but it wasn't and i think people appreciated that we were certainly we were never cut out to be a business i remember one lad i got a phone call in because uh, we had like an 0800 number to try and encourage phone calls and all the rest of it. And I got a phone call in from some lad in a in a, in a hostel. In, I think it was either Warrington or up that way anyway. Saying, you know, giving the sob story, I'd really like this figure. And it wasn't much. It was like six quid. I'd really like this figure, but I, the, they won't let me send a check out this week. And I don't get my pocket money till next week and all the rest of it. And um, I said, look, like, I said, I'll tell you what, I said, if you promise to send me the check for six quid, I'll, I'll get the figure sent to you. And I did. I posted him out the figure. Never saw the money, little shit. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you wouldn't get a business doing that, would you? So we weren't, well, I certainly wasn't cut out for business. It was, it was, a, it was a fan site run by fans. It could have gone somewhere. It really, really could have gone somewhere. We just needed someone knowing what the hell to do and how to run a business. Your career is very successful. Is there anything that ever... That's not how my boss describes it, but go on. (laughs) 
Is there anything that you ever sit there and you envy Dave Tree for, for sticking with his dreams with those? He's got that toy shop and he's got these uh, conventions and There's shows not. he does. Is is there anything... I know I know he works extremely hard, but do you ever look at him and think, ah, oh, wish I'd stuck with it a little bit? Shoot, honestly, there's not a day goes by where I don't sit and envy Dave. I mean, I, I envy him for the fact that he is still, he's still living the dream that he, he, he wanted sort of 15, 20 years ago. But more than my envy for what he's doing is my admiration for, for what he has done and what he continues to do. I mean, he's, he's by his own admission, you know, he's not going to be retired by the time he's 50. And Falling Bridge is not the... the the epicenter of the the toy universe for set, setting up a, a very cool shop, such as all the cool things. Uh, but he he sticks at it, and he and he and he does it, and he graphs and the the, the shows that he organises. I mean, if anyone has not been to Farthest from uh, and listens to this podcast, I don't care where in the world they are, they need to do it because it is just it's just so cool. It's brilliant. I love that place. It is the highlight of my social calendar three times a year and and that's all down to dave and dave's hard work so yeah I, I i envy him but i admire him more than i envy him well we are we are getting on a bit here so i did have some more balls and quest stuff questions which i'm gonna to have to scoot over going on to the last couple of questions what are you actively well we've kind of touched this what, what are you actively seeking generally at the moment i know you've just started collecting sigma yeah thanks for that Stu. I've a nice little job lot recently. Bleak, That's a bleak it. I d- it just you wore me down with your postings and the <laughs> latest acquisitions of those god awful figurines. Have you been buying the figurines? Because you were very, very offensive to my Clartu. Mate, they, they are awful. I can remember buying it and you were going to be, what is that thing? <laughs> They're possibly the worst piece of Star Wars merchandising I've ever seen. And that's including Attack of the Clones figures. But. Damn it, I love them, and I've got my first one. And I was most annoyed seeing um, Jacobina's, Neil's, and um, ITFC Ian's, Ian Sanderson's competition threads where they're doing that incredible fundraiser on Star Wars Forum UK. And you posted up two great prizes, both of which I just returned from America with. Like, you're bound to win them as well now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, I, I love it. I love it in a really bad taste kind of way. My wife looks at me like I'd lost my mind more so than normal when I produced with pride my Chewbacca money box and the, the Yoda vase and the, the, the R2 string dispenser. She thought it was absolutely bonkers. But I've got Chewie sat here next to me on top of my term table. He's just so cool. Do you know what? It's one one thing that my um, my dear wife actually likes. I've got all my Sigma alongside my desk here, so it's. But that's because the rest of the stuff's in the garage, Stu. She can't see it. Yeah, I didn't trust the Sigma being out there in case the box <laughs> fell off the shelf or something. Finally, Simon, if oh. if the planet was was close to destruction and we we're being moved to a new habitable planet, space is limited. And there's only room for one piece from your collection. What are you taking and why? I think it's got it's it's got to be the only piece of my childhood collection that I have left. The sole thing that I have. All I've got left is a four-lom chest harness. That's it. You're going to take, you're gonna take a chest harness? I'm going to take four-lom's chest harness. Uh, I would take Luke X-Wing's head if I could find it again. But you know what? I've got a horrible, horrible feeling. I've got a memory of about three years ago sitting at, a, sitting at my desk that I have at home where I used to run a, a business from. Finding the chest harness and this head thinking, what the bloody hell am I going to do with that? And I've got a feeling I chucked it in the bin. I'm horrified. Um, I don't know what to say. I've got this horrible nagging feeling. That's what happened because I can't find it again. But I've got my chest harness, so that is coming with me. Um, as you say, no monetary value uh, attached to it at all, but that is the only bit of uh, childhood salvers that I have. 
So you've been an active member of the community for a while now, been going off to the celebrations, and in fact recently you did the old t-shirt thread, didn't you? Can you just tell us a little bit about that and if you've got plans to do anything else? Well, that was, I blame Mark Daniels for that, because it was his absolutely brilliant design that, that kicked it off for the celebration C3 t-shirt. And he was just after someone to, to do the distribution, do the logistics, basically. So I, 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 it wasn't much in the way of hard graft, just uh, volunteered to do that and, and send them out. And we, we desperately tried not to make any money at all. And we reduced the, the price uh, once, if not twice, actually. And we still ended up with a surface, which was um, the overwhelming voted to go to your, your brilliant Make-A-Wish um, marathon run, Jess, which was epic on a grand scale. Um, and it was it was great to be able to contribute towards that. But no, I mean I am not I am not an ideas person. I had one idea twenty years ago. That was Ultimart. That was my last idea. So I'm I'm not an ideas person at all. But I'm I'm always happy to help out people if they if they if they need something doing or or they're doing something like Mark did, offer out a great design. You know, it's what he does for a living. It's his it's his profession, and he he did it for nothing at all. So. Um, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to help out at times like that, but I'm, I'm not proactively doing anything, no. Well, I think, mate, everyone on the forum really appreciated it because, you know, there's a lot of people who do sit by and watch people do stuff. You did it, you pulled your finger out, and you, and you created it, and you made it happen. So thanks very much on behalf of everyone who got one of those shirts. They do look with business, and, yeah, also to Mark. May I also, very quickly, Stu, very quickly talk about car boot sale this summer. Coming towards the end of the car boot scene, which is a massive thing, obviously, in the U.K., You've picked up a couple of bargains as well as obviously your more premium priced ones, which we had at Celebration. A 12-inch Luke Skywalker for a pound and yep. a baggy R5 for two pound, yep. Yeah, the the Luke, he, he's a beater. He's had his feet chewed. Although that's the second one I thought that's had his feet chewed. What was it about? Nutty kids in the 70s. And I, I've since found a better one, actually, at a, a, an antique centre off in Shrewsbury. And he at least had his jacket and his trousers and his boots. And he cost me a whole nine quid, I think it was. £8.59, quid, something like that. So, uh, unfortunately, car boot Luke has been relegated to the shelves. But yeah, the the R five baggy was just a lightning bolt. It was just bizarre. Walk past a, a regular dealer who's been to these car boots longer than I have. I've seen him for the last five years and never bought anything off him. And it was just at the edge, right at the edge of his stall, just sat there lonely against a load of other junk toys. Two pounds. It's it's opened. The, the tape seal's been broken. It's absolutely the baggy, uh, and the R five is mint. So I, yeah, chuffed to bits. I, I would be too. Doesn't happen, does it? No, mate, that's great. You've uh, you've had some good ones this year. Massive congratulations to you. Well, I'll tell you what, I hope you two both agree. I, I thought just having a bit of fun at Farthest From this year. Maybe, maybe you could both come at each other and copy each other's haircuts. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, I think no. your arms are going to be ripped out of your socket if you keep on speaking like that. Yeah, yeah, you're not going to go around offering free hugs anymore, Stu. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sai, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. And uh, thanks for all the like, Jess just touched on. Thanks for all you do in the community. You know, you've become quite an integral part in the UK. So thank you so much for your uh, hard work, mate. Not at all, mate. The, the, and it's it's just, this is the key. The, this community is the key. This is why uh, this time I've, I've hung around my two previous three periods of collecting attempts have been because there was no community didn't realize that until i got involved with uh, with the forum and you bunch of nutters and it's been uh, it's been a pleasure to speak to you tonight it's been like father's from except without beer which makes it a little bit painful but uh it's still been uh, it's been absolutely brilliant mate 
Thank you for having me on. That's a pleasure, mate. Thank you ever so much, Val. Thanks very much, mate. Now over to Jess for this month's newest acquisitions. Hello, what have we here? Ah, good. New acquisitions. I absolutely love this bit because one of my favourite bits about being in the community is going through and seeing what people have got. And it just doesn't stop, does it? Absolutely doesn't stop. Completely overwhelmed with what we're seeing on a daily basis. Going to start off as we always do with Star Wars Forum UK and on page 1972, which is going back now about 25 pages, believe it or not. We've got Palatoy Junkie, it's got his boxed Yoda hand puppet. Now, we mentioned this just a podcast or so ago because we uh, we listened to the advert, which was the advert for the lightsabers, which was the same advert as this Yoda. I mean, it's absolutely cool as anything in the Palatoy box, he is just there. Now, Stu, I sent this one over to you saying, what do you think about this, pal? Your step must be quick, your action sure. That's the beginning of the advert, and it is a quality advert. Back to the piece in mind, John, a.k.a. Palatoy Junkie on Star Wars Forum UK, has got himself a factory seal Palatoy Yoda hand puppet. And when I state that this item is a, is a beauty, I truly mean that this is a beauty. Those of you who know John will be aware that he's a huge Palatoy collector, and he stated that he's never come across a sealed Palatoy one before whilst he's been collecting. So to find a factory sealed one appears to be quite the find. Now, the chap who John purchased this item off worked in his local well-known toy shop called Jennings, and he told John that he had hand-picked it out of the factory case 35 years ago and stored it since, so you can see why this item is so mint. 
released in 1981, the Yoda hand puppet was a one-piece vinyl puppet, regards to have little play value, but it turned out to be a very good seller. Uh, the puppet stands at just over eight inches tall, and if we're being brutally honest, it has very little movement. Um, do any of you boys have one before I carry on? Yes, it has loads that. of movement. You're saying yes. Well, to be honest with you, Pete, I've, I've never had one of these. Oh, and um, awesome. When I was looking at this, it, I think the wording on the box is choosing its selling points, yeah? Well, th- these are its selling points. Pretend you are Yoda guiding your friends in the way of the Jedi Knights. So basically what they're saying is put it on your hand and do a silly voice, aren't they? Right? Yes, but you, but you can move well, yeah, that's head the next, all is, over the place. the next you, one. You've got big hands. You can make Yoda come to life by moving him in various positions. He can move his head slightly and bend it forward a little bit. And this is the third selling point, which I love the most. Yoda can stand unassisted. Well, if that's a major selling point, Rich can stand unassisted. He should put that on his CV. <laughs> because uh, <laughs> to me, that's not, not a selling point to me. Grant, would you best to <laughs> say something? I can stand up. <laughs> No, um, do you know what? There's there was a another Yoda doll that kind of made that they it was produced. They didn't actually release it, uh, and it's very much like the this puppet. It was like a a talking Yoda doll. Yeah, I came across this. Yeah, real cloth, similar. Uh, cloth sort of body. Look, yeah, yeah, and it had like lines from the film. Yeah, it was too expensive to um to produce, wasn't it? it you're talking about that. I came across a post while searching this from 2014. You boys might remember this from a bloke called uh, Robert Short came on Facebook and he was the creator of the Yoda hand puppet and he oh, came wow. onto the Vintage Star Wars action figure group and he still had the prototype. What I found quite interesting with him was, do you know, he was actually working for Lucasfilm at the time at repairing costumes on the set of Empire Strikes Back and he was playing C-3PO in commercials and he did this on a whim in his spare time, just made a Yoda hand puppet and then presented it to Kenner. So a bit of a different format wow. to how it normally go. And he actually went on to make some sculptures for Don Post. So that's got a, a bit of a time with the toys. Yeah, good stuff. Dude, I'm, I'm going to film myself with my hand puppet. I, I entertain my niece for hours with this hand puppet. It's so cool. Do you know what, Pete? I know I'm saying it's got a lack of playability. But oh, um, as an adult collector, I do think it's actually a very, very good mould of Yoda. And they do look stunning boxed, don't they? I mean, that, uh, that is just ridiculous quality, isn't it? The, the one he's got. It's yeah. so pristine. Like I said, it's not something I've owned, but I did today <laughs> take a peek on eBay and buy one. So, uh, <laughs> You'll love it. Love it. <laughs> this is the problem with this podcast, that you get distracted. Oh, um, mate, you guys are just going to love that. When I... <laughs> Yoda. You seek Yoda. When I, when I started looking on eBay... Now, this is a really, well, I'm not talking about John's one being a factory seal, but this is a really, really um, affordable item. Loose, mm. they are mainly selling between 10 to 20 pound. In a Kenner box, they're mostly selling for between 15 and 40 pound. Really? Um, it, and a real, a real minter, not, not a sealed box, but a real minter has just sold for 30 pound 86 in a Kenner. And then the Palatoy boxes, they were going from as little as 20 pound through to 160, of course, it's varying states of the box. So, it is an item which you could pick up. Oh, that's pretty cool. In a really reasonable price price range. Stu, it, it appears to be that the value because I, mean, I bought one of these years ago, and it seemed to be it's one of the first things I bought like back in the vintage 
of my vintage re-vintage days just purely to entertain small 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 nieces and nephews but it seems to be that the value seemed to go up with the hair it, the more hair was still plugged in the back of his head the more the value was but i mean mine's hardly got any hair left uh the one i've got i know my niece pulled a few bits out in in when we were having a laugh with it but um it seems to be all all down to the hair the quality of the hair yeah no it feels <laughs> Jez is only worth a pound. <laughs> well, if you think about this, when, going back in time, I mean, this this coincides with the whole Punch and Judy shows, don't, don't it? I mean, I know this is probably just a UK seaside thing, but it, it's the same time. I remember um, going to see Star Wars, going to see Empire Strikes Back, but also seeing the old Punch and Judy thing. I mean, that's exactly what it is. I think well, they're great. The, I think it's really, the, really good. Or the, or the Muppet Show. Indeed. Do you, do you remember these being sold as no. kids? No. No. Nah. Because I, I was trying to find out today, I'm sure you saw my post, I was trying to find out if it was sold worldwide, but the only one that really responded from a different country was Derek Ho, did say they were definitely available in Singapore, so I kind of get the feeling that they probably were quite widespread, generally, I would think. That is an assumption, but that's what we do on this podcast, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we get, yeah, we get a headline and we fill in the gaps, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, nice one, I think is absolutely awesome, page 1972, and for all the information, pretty much, which you, you've got, Stu, and Grant as well, what we've seen with regards to the unproduced uh, cloth hand puppet and even the Yoda hand puppet first shot, check out the Star Wars Collector's Archive. Uh, they've got plenty of stuff there. As you say, the Robert Short with that fantastic photograph that he's put on, as soon as you just put that in Google, you'll see it. Um, really, really great, and something which we haven't mentioned before. So, yeah, congratulations, Palatal Junkie. Awesome. Stuck-up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder. Moving on, page 1973. It's just a quick shout-out. We're going to come on to more of these later on. Miss cards. Yep, I know I've been talking about having one for ages, but we they just seem to be everywhere at the moment. Now, is there something happening with miss cards? They definitely seem that they're in the market a lot, lot more than they were. It was Waltham Wookiee on page 1973. Got his tri-logo miscarded Dev Squad Commander on an ATST card. So as we said before, a tri-logo Dev Squad Commander. Not something you see that often, if at all. And Mateo, tri-logo miscard squid head, but it was a double miscard because it came with the wrong weapon on a reuse card. Absolutely fantastic. Guys, well chuffed for you. Awesome. Who's scruffy looking? Turned over the page to page 1974 and there were some vintage soaps. It was Adam P. Booth for 99p. Got himself a vintage soap set. Now if you picture the scene, this was a cracking soap set still in its packaging with Jabba's Palace in the background but it didn't have anything to do with Return of a Jedi on it. It just quite simply said Star Wars and had C-3PO and R2-D2. Now, I've got the one standard Luke X-Wing soap, but Grant, I immediately wanted to come to you about this because, well, I think we're all familiar with soap on the podcast, but you more so than the others, possibly. Yeah, I want them cleaned up for dinner. What can you tell me about this? Yeah, the the Luke Exxon one is made by Omni, so that one would be an American one. This is made by Addis, which is like a UK one, and these are known as the Star Wars character... Uh, classic character oval soaps. Uh, this is a two-pack with C-3PO and R2-D2. There is another two in the set, one with uh, Luke and Vader, and the other one is like an Ewok set. Uh, that's the full set for the oval soaps, and you can also get like a larger pack as well, which comes with uh, bath foam. So it's just another one of the uh, another one from the Addis range. As you said, 
just under the Star Wars logo, so it's carrying the Return of the Jedi imagery, but this is sort of like you're looking into 1985 now, and everything has come underneath the Star Wars logo umbrella, so it's it's quite late in the vintage run. You know, we're, we're talking about this, I mean, did this guy get a really good deal? We look at a lot of the British stuff, and you look at Helix, and the fact that that's just come on loads now. Um, 99p, Adam P. Booth. Is this the bargain? Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's only 99p. Uh, when it comes to the soap stuff, it really depends what it is. If you look at some of the Clyro stuff, some of it, like the Figural uh, C3P and RTD2, you'll see them on eBay every day from £5 to £50. But the Clyro uh, bath foam sets that come in, uh, come in a, a range of bottles, they, they never turn up. So you look at £50 minimum for, for one of those. Right. It depends what it is, you know? Yeah. No, I just thought it was a cracking set. And for 99p, I'd be absolutely delighted with that. He's uh, he's cleaned up. Oh, dear. Stuck-up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder. Right, and we'll move on. Page 1975. Bruce White put up there. Yeah, you know, I've, I've found this kind of beat-up Leah. She's got this, she's got not, no that, no COO, sort of, you know, no biggie. What did he have there? That was something pretty special. Uh, yeah, he's picked up a layer hand-painted, hand-glued first shot. So um, I contacted Bruce because I, I, you know, it just looks like a beater figure, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And he said, uh, "Well, thanks, mate. I don't really have much info on it. Uh, she's hand-glued together with hand-glued with hand-painted details. No dates, no COO. Uh, this, he says that the sculpted detail on it is actually a lot better than the." The, the standard figure but then he also said they might be just down to his eyesight and his age um she does have footholds right but they are deeper and slightly different from the production ones uh the cape is made from a thinner material and is hand cut and you can see where the the paint from the hair is rubbed onto the cape over the years um he's completely obviously over the blue with it i mean uh, bruce white's princess a collection is world class isn't it i mean is, is it the best one out there's probably by far the best one out there um and he said it actually he's been you know he's jumping through hoops he's happy that he's managed to get it but he did have to sell quite a lot of stuff in which to get it and it kind of reminds me richard i want to ask you about this can you remember when we did a thing on the podcast years ago about um capes and there was like a, a brown sock used as a jawa oh yeah yeah remember that. Yeah, do you reckon this is related to that kind of stuff it could be couldn't it yeah um wait that brown cape's just appeared again on something else recently. Did we talk about it last month or I think with a Facebook group? Ah oh, man, I can't remember. Is, you know, he says the, the cape is different anyway. Yeah. It was it was from um it was from the guy taking the photographs, wasn't it, for the for the catalogues really early on before the before the capes were, were actually made or there was nothing to hand cut. Right. Well it seems a bit strange that he was glued as well, this figure's being glued. Mm. Does that make it, you know, I have no idea. I didn't know they glued them. Oh, well, for the benefit of people who might be listening and just thinking, hang on a second, what's the first shot? I mean, I'm still, we've got loads of books between us, collecting books, and just taken out of Gus and Duncan's Guide to Star Wars Prototypes, um, going through the glossary, just to get their pure definition on what they say a first shot is. It's the first samples generated from production moulds, frequently referring to mould injection plastic samples. So, yeah, very, very cool. Very good. Ideal for a focus collector. As you said, uh, he is the first person I think of when someone says about um, Leah Organa. Focus. Absolutely cracking. Yeah. Yeah. You think of Bruce Spade first, Carrie Fisher second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you uh, think, what about, what about first shot? I always think Greedo first. Chespo Kututa, Krista Krenko, Oscar. 
Yes, I bet you have. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, what I loved about it as well is the uh, the first post immediately afterwards was, I think, you, Grant, just saying, take me to your dealer. <laughs> now, I'm sure you've said that before in the past, yeah? Really? Did I, did I, is that what I wrote? <laughs> yeah. And I just thought, mm, yeah, Grant said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, congratulations, Brute. Mate, absolutely delighted for you. Awesome stuff. Who's scruffy looking? And page 1975, Spoons goes on to have his die-cast twin pod cloud car. And I was absolutely delighted for this because he brings it up and puts a lovely picture on there saying, here's my latest, it's a bit tatty, but I'd never found a picture of one of these before it turned up on eBay UK. Kenner Canada cloud car. The fact that you've got someone who's collecting as much as Spoons and knows as much as he does about these he said he's never seen one before. Yeah, he's he's coming quite the diecast collector, isn't he? He really is. Wow. Any Kenner Canada diecast is, is a pretty special piece, but the Series 3 Empire Strikes Back harder ones are pretty tough to find in any condition. Um, as we know, the diecast line of small vehicles, the first debuted in Canada in 1978, and there was a set of seven diecast vehicles were created for the Star Wars line, and then the, the other three were for the Empire Strikes Back line. Now, Andy Norton, who was Spoons, as you say, they shows off a Canada Empire Strikes Back 11A cloud car. And what's special about the 11A is that it features two yellow starbursts on the front of the packaging, informing the buyer that these are die-cast metal shapes featuring high-impact plastic in both English and French, which is obviously, you know, a sure sign that these are Canadian. Um, so, a very nice item. Well done, Andy. Crack and buy. It's an awesome picture of the cloud car itself as well. Just something, you know, you don't see that imagery much. So I really, really um, you know, encourage people to check it out. Page 1975 of the Star Wars Forum UK. Once again, you don't have to be a member to check it out. You can see those images and, uh, and you'll see something pretty special. Stuck up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder. Now, the final thing I wanted to show you on page 1975 is a post by a guy who goes by the uh, name of Yoda. He says, I don't normally put up many buys on here, but these are a few over the last while which I've been lucky to get. These are the figures I hope to build up my dream of having a full, complete collection of mint figures. I hope no one spots anything suspect and says I have something repro or I'll end up going for a quick vacation to the bin. I know these figures aren't rare like some of the bits you guys have, but they're figures I always wanted and are just within my budget. And that's the whole point of this. He's saying, oh, yeah, these, you know, these aren't that special. These aren't that rare, but they're good to me and they're within my budget. Well, congratulations, mate. They look absolutely stunning. What he's displayed there is the C-3PO fixed limbs, C-3PO removable limbs, blonde-haired Luke Skywalker with a complete lightsaber with a tip and the three versions of the primary R2-D2s. Looks great all lined up. He's obviously delighted with it. And, and I just look, love looking at stuff like that just to see the delight on someone else's face um, or to see the delight on someone's post that they're just dead chuffed that they've got something in there within their budget and it's enhanced their collection. So Yoda, anyone else, keep on putting those posters up of, of whatever loose figures you get. We just want to see people enhancing their collections and enjoying collecting. You know, there's a lot of hard luck stories out there and there's a lot of, lot of stuff going on at the moment which is quite tough to read. But it's posts like this which are really, really good. So Yoda, congratulations, mate. Who's scruffy looking? Right then, page 1976 
Gary Smith again. What is this? Every podcast we talk about Gary Smith stuff. Pete, this is another miscard. So he's got his Troy logo Rebel Soldier on a Luke Gunner miscard. This is the business. So Pete, uh, I need to discuss miscard market. Because as I said, I've seen more. What have you been seeing on eBay or does Star Wars Tracker cover these much? I don't have a, a section for it. So there's no, I mean, we have a section for, you know, mocks, loose figures, vehicles and all that sort of stuff and coins. But um, I think the miscard thing seems to be kind of a bit more popular recently. I mean, I mean, especially this year on, on Vectis, there's quite a lot. Um, the prices are all over the place. I mean, it seems like Jabba Goons on various cards. So Klaatu skiff on normal Klaatu cards seem to be kind of popping up. Um, you seem to have a lot of Jabba Goons appearing on Ewok cards and stuff. But and then you suddenly get a, a monstrous one. I mean, th- those don't go for a lot um, in comparison. They usually go for like one to two hundred pounds. But then you, you'll suddenly get something as crazy as a Jawa on a Boba Fett card back. Um, that went for four grand uh, only about two months ago on Vectis. There was the was it the Return of Jedi Anakin Skywalker charcoal first shot prototype on an 8d8 card and that went for five and a half thousand pounds and you get something like uh, rebel soldier on a luke bespin return jedi card that went for 1400 i mean the price is just you know i, I guess there's not really a, a consistent market to it that's probably why star wars record doesn't cover it but um and also the fact that we don't really know what's out there do we i mean we know what stuff that's been sold but if things are going to keep appearing and and that doesn't cover of course things like uh, the bubble in the sort of top right-hand corner, um, the various bits and pieces all over the shop. It just seems to be a regular figure on a regular card, but not the right figure on the right card. So I don't know. I mean, I think Gary Smith appears to be the, the sort of master of the missed card at the moment, but um, it's something that I think is going to come more 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 prominent, judging by the fact that there's so many have appeared in the last um, nine months on auction sites. Now, you know, in the past when we were seeing all these mint cards getting produced and getting sold by a certain someone in Brighton and people were saying oh I don't know he's getting them it's almost like he's you know he's got his own factory he's got his own production line is there any chance that there are people out there just producing these miscards because they just seem to be coming out of the woodwork all the time it was almost like their whole quality control was just shot to pieces because you must see one mint on carded figure with a quality control sticker for every hundred miscards so uh I don't know because I mean, uh, did he did he actually do trilogo cards? Because they mostly seem to be on trilogo cards. But you do get, I mean, uh, just looking down the list here on Vectors, there's an Empire Strikes Back card, uh, Return of the Jedi cards, uh, mostly mostly trilogos. The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi ones will be a lot rarer because they are unintentional miscards, but uh, they lapse loads on the trilogo so there are plenty of examples on trilogo but to find an empire strikes back one really hard and return of the jedi is, is really difficult as well even though one's popped up today on the forum that's the whole thing when you see the empire strikes back ones and people will say no actually that's a sample card or you know because that's a uh, testing bubbles and, and doing various different bits and pieces i think there's quite a lot of info on trilogo uh, info isn't there with regards to the that, cards. That's a dominant. That appears from if you if you're looking at the auction sites, the the dominant one is Trilogo cards, miss cards. Yeah, you know, it's nine out of ten appear to be those. So I guess that's why the the pl- price are affecting it. It seems to be that virtually all the all the ones that are Trilogo or between the one hundred and two and well a fifty and two hundred pound mark, and everything mm-hmm. else is over and mm-hmm. and then well, just slates. Yeah, I mean, the, the a lot of the miss cards on Trilogo are just. 
to get rid of uh, stock. So a lot of it was just to smash the stuff out. When you see something like uh, a couple of years ago, I saw Lobot on a Hoff Stormtrooper Empire Strikes Back card. I've been seeing something like that. That doesn't come along. There's been a couple on the Return of the Jedi's as well that have come out recently, and I don't know where people were saying that they were first attempts or like uh, Nikto on a Warus Man. I've seen that one recently. Anyway. But there we go. Congratulations, Gary. Your one in particular does look awesome. Yeah, loads of miscards we're seeing on the forum at the moment. Stuck up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder. Moving on to page 1977. We just heard from scruffy-looking nerf herder earlier on in the interview when he had completed his last 17 Trilogo run. I mean, it's awesome to do that. My words. I cannot imagine. And I don't want to embarrass the guy, but I cannot imagine how much that would cost nowadays in today's market. Now, I know that we're all quite shrewd and we we look out and we try and get a good bargain, but Pete, tell me, what what are we looking at? Well, do you want to guess? Do you want to guess what? I'll tell you what, I'll I'll give you two options, right? If you've collected this over the last two years, what were you averagely paid for a last 17 carded carded amount? And if you've done this run in, let's say, this year... What would you pay? Go on, have a, have a, have a little guess. Should we all have a go? Last 17 Trilogo run. Yeah, go on. Go on, Jess, just give me a figure. Okay. Over the last two years, we've assembled it. £2,400. Interesting. Grant, what about if you'd assembled this this year? Ooh, gee, I reckon... Mm, this year. This year, I'd say two uh, £2,800. Oh, interesting. Anyone want to go above that? Yeah, I will go I will close at five. Interesting. Five. Seventeen figures. What did Jess say? He said just over <laughs> two thousand four, two three, I think. I don't think Jez is too far off. I reckon. I reckon slightly more expensive. Maybe just pushing more towards three grand, just under. Just because of yeah, mm. really, I guess. Good. Well, Stu's pretty much spot on. It's, it's, it's just it works out averagely about two thousand nine hundred pounds. That was two thousand eight hundred. Um, Stu, Stu and Jez went for the uh, for over the last two years. You went for the last. Last year, if you if you did it over the last year, probably I think uh, Rich, you you were more correct. It's just over four and a half thousand pounds if, if you've done the same run over the last uh, during this year, which is wow. incredible. So that averages out two hundred fifty three pounds per figure, and obviously the yak face massively construes it because yak face um, over the last two years eight hundred nineteen pound carded. This year, it's it shot up to one thousand four hundred two pounds average, which is incredible, really. Anyone want to guess what the what the cheapest one is? What's Rom- the easiest? Rombo, anyone else? Any other? Lumat, Imperial Dignity. Anakin. Yeah, that's pretty cheap. Anakin's very cheap as well. And it is it is actually Lumat. So, uh, uh, average at 48 quid. But that, that's come down considerably this year than it has been over the last two years. And that's I think, one of the only ones that's actually come down in price. And to know my, my old, my old favourite thing about the A-Wing pilot, um, that's actually now become the, the closest to loose and carded. Um, so now, you, if, if you're after a um, the average price of a complete A-wing pilot in this year, so you'll be paying 104 pounds. If you want it carded this year, 108 pounds. So there's a difference of wow. four pounds carded and loose. Right. And there's no there's, there's no other figure now which is anywhere near that. Everything else has kind of, you know, as you'd imagine, gone up slightly. But I think it's it's just, just a reflection of the craziness just in the prices. But the app face is the biggest climber. I mean, that that's that's almost doubled. In price, great knowledge, mate. And uh, wow, that's unbelievable. That's a Star Wars tracker chap. Yeah. Well, I'm looking for I'm looking for an A-wing pilot. You need a pilot. 
I need a pilot. I've got no pilot. I've got his gun. No, I try logo. Oh, actually, yeah. I mean, but I mean, it's it seems that they're, they're reasonably cheap. I mean, I mean, they they've actually actually I haven't said that they've actually doubled a little bit in price uh, for the loose side of things. I mean, that's gone fifty six to one hundred and four, and the card has has only increased by twenty quid in two years. Grant, if you're after a, uh, a tri logo A wing pilot, put it in your signature block on the forum. No. Oh yeah, going <laughs> in four years. Who's scruffy looking? Moving on to page nineteen seventy eight. Um, Ian Sanderson. Clipper Palatoy combo. I mean, this is cool. So yeah, so it's not only is it a Palatoy, but it's got the Clipper sticker on it as well. And have you guys seen this on page nineteen seventy-eight? Well, it's it's even crazier that it's on the ESB. Yeah. What is it? Forty-five B? Like is a, it? No, it'd be forty-five A, wouldn't it? Forty-five. Yeah. Oh. Excuse me. So I, I have looked at this. So so Clipper, but to be we call them Clipper to be more accurate, it's Clipper Benelux. Um, as you know, they were the Star Wars licensee in the Benelux countries, and the 12 and 45 backs were released with their own logo, but like the majority of licensees, they imported Kenner and Palatoy to keep up with the demand. So the imported cards had the large sticker placed over the bottom third of the back of the card backs, which wrapped around the front, hence the clip I wrap around is what you know, I've heard quite, quite a few times. But finding Empire Strikes Back carded ones with a clip wrapped around on it is quite tricky. But what's even more unusual is that Ian's is the white sticker as opposed to the more usual black one. So overall, it's in beautiful condition and the sticker looks to be fully intact um, and is an absolute cracking piece. So I'm really pleased for Ian on this one. Sorry, um, how, how, how in-depth is Ian's clipper collection? I mean, is he one of the, the, you know, the, the, the more detailed clipper collectors? Because I, you know, I know a little bit about clippers, but... He seems to pick up some amazing bits and pieces. I mean, is he one of the le- is he the leading clipper collector? There was a guy who, who created a clipper website a number of years ago who had a hell of a lot of clipper stuff, but it hasn't been updated for a number of years. Yeah, so I was thinking. I if, uh, yeah, that's um, a great source. That is that the uh, www.clipper-toys.net. And sounds a, like it. Yeah, there was possibly. a significant amount of stuff going on there, and it would tell you all about the different uh, varieties. See the twelve back. 45, you get stickers with the Boba Fett, you get yellow stickers, black star with black writing, black star with red writing, two different versions, white mm-hmm. circle with a white back, white circle with a black back, tearaway catalogues, and then additional small circle stickers and rectangular stickers. I mean, Clipper is something where you can really go to town on and, and, and really look at so many different things. The variations yeah. are immense. Yeah. Now, on, on this uh, particular Clipper Toys Net website, it details all the different figures which are available, and it details against the different known Clipper card combinations. Now, what figure do you would you guys think has got the most amount of known Clipper combinations on? Um, well, I'll go uh, Biker Scout. Right, yeah, you see that one quite often, don't you? Yep, okay. Vida? Pete? No idea. An Ewok. An Ewok. Chief Chirper. What the most common? What figures are there the different variations of Clipper? So, for example, you could get one with a yellow sticker, one with a black star, black writing, black star, red writing, white circle, white back, white circle, black back, and and different card releases. How many different? Um, So, certain figures. There's one figure which has got seven different known Clipper sticker variations. I'm going for an Ewok. Leah Hoth. Ooh. Leah Hoth. So Rob P. Marsh 
Unlucky, bud. Um, yeah, Leah Hoth, <laughs> there are seven different uh, clipper variations. Han Bespin, there are six. Imperial Stormtrooper, there are six. Luke X-Wing, pilot, there are six. Now, this could be down to the fact that the contributors to this uh, particular website have all been particular focus collectors as well so there might be other very variations out there which just hasn't been put down on the west this website but it's really, J- really in, interesting jets in fact you're very true because there's that one i've got which grant found in the in belgium is not on that list really well yeah the prince i did but then never got changed but there we go ian congratulations mate it is awesome looking as you say with the white sticker on the reverse of the card as opposed to what you've Typically, with that wraparound, it is the black. But the fact that it's a clipper and a palatoy combo, you've done really, really well. Stuck up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder. Grams, and then on page 79, what is it? Another miscard. I refer back to my previous statement. Is someone knocking these out in the back of some sort of seaside town? Because these miscards are everywhere. I mean, this one is something else. Mateo's got Yan Solo Luke Jedi miscard. So, Yan Solo Luke Jedi. No cape, no saber, but with a palace blaster. It's absolutely awesome. Page 1979. Good on you, bud. Who's scruffy looking? Moving on to page 1980. Have to mention this. And this goes back to our competition for the review. Darth Bobby won the review. And we'd all put together and gave a uh, voucher for Ian Sanderson. Now, what did he get? A blue snaggletooth. Lads, anything to say about this? Well, yeah, I'd forgotten all about this, Jez. Um, but I was at the booth in London when Scott Cato came up to me and said, um, I won the competition. And I looked at him and I thought, what the bloody hell are you talking about? And I think I grabbed Stu. Possibly Stu, can you remember this? I grabbed yeah. Stu and I said, he's won the competition. Yeah, have you got a set of postcards from... And I looked, I could see by his face that he didn't have a clue what I was going on about, and I had no clue what he was going on about. He was, I won the competition. I was, I was there, Rich, actually, because I had, I was the one that had been dealing with him. Yeah. Kind of knew who he was, but yeah, you you did make yourself look like a... Move, milker. <laughs> so I said, you look, <laughs> look at, um, I've won the competition, I need to see Ian Sanderson. And I went, oh, Ian Sanderson. And then I twigged on what he'd won, I was like, oh, yeah, right, come on, I'll take you over. And he's like, like, you know, he was a bit unsure. He'd never met Ian before. And I said, look, he just looks like Bungle of Rainbow wearing a white moped helmet. <laughs> and he's like, well, I'm not going to, you know, especially with his beard. Come on. He does. With his beard, he's, he looks like Bungle. So we heads over to JW Acrylic. And I says, Ian, this is uh, this is Scott who won the competition. Ian, Ian went, what competition? <laughs> so Scott was to thinking, what the bloody hell is going on here with these numbers? And I went, you know, the competition that we all chipped in money for, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And he's like, oh, yeah, I've got it now. So it was great to introduce Scott Ian. That They hit it off quite quickly. And I think Scott, either didn't realise it, bought stuff from Ian in the past. Or there was some history between the two. But then Scott went, um, I'm interested in a blue snack. <laughs> you could see his face changing different shades of, you know, why thinking, I'm not getting one of them for, we'll have them, it was at 100 quid. Yeah, you don't get one of them for 100 quid. But, you know, Scott was like, oh, no, don't worry about it. I'll just put the money on top of it. So nice to see that, you know, he got something that he genuinely wanted. So he took, you know, the, the competition prize, put extra money towards it and got a great blue snaggletooth. So great end to that story. And, you know, brilliant. Stuck up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder. 
So that was it for Star Wars Forum UK. I went over to Rebel Scum, and as I had said before on the previous uh, podcast, that there's not really a great deal um, gets posted on there at the moment, possibly because the thread itself is in a different area from the main chat thread. Uh, that that could be one of the reasons, because it's not in a main sort of foot flow area of the forum. Uh, but there was an awesome post on page 178. Love 1 had his uh, Micro Meccano x-wing fighter with the swedish price sticker so it's meccano x-wing mint in box absolutely stunning good on you mate it's awesome rich yeah well there's two things of note there jez first of all we've got a french item that's ended up in sweden <laughs> yeah. um you know I'm, I'm not great on me on my trade routes but you know that strikes us a we bit had, surprising we, we had this talked about with matthias last month rich if you paid attention that <laughs> sweden went to all the countries and bought their stock as cheap as possible from other nations. Ah. So, right. a- a- apologies to uh, Matthias and the Houston Stu, because I did listen to that interview. I thought it was fascinating, but I missed that. Um, but the second thing is, is that it's interesting that the first French release was the same as the Palatoy one, in that they got the one with no lights, etc. But from the second release onwards, they got the light and sounds version, just like what the Kenner one was. Um, so that was something that I'd you know, wasn't aware of at all. I thought the French um, X-Wing was the same as what we got in the Palatoy, but it wasn't. Once again, swizzled at our end. Yeah, but it's cracking look, because that is the the one which he's shown is the second, isn't it? Yeah, it's the second one with the late sand sound that we didn't get. Yeah, it looks awesome. And with the Meccano logo, yeah, top one, love one, or however you, however <laughs> you would pronounce that name. Uh, good on you, mate. Cracking post on Rebel Scum. Who's scruffy looking? So, lads, that was it. What I, what I was having a look at. Quick canter through. Rich, you had told me something about Matt George's alternative Ewok toothbrush box flat. What, what's going on here, mate? Well, you see, I'm, I'm not a great box flat guy, but this this box flat really intrigued me. So, as you said, Matt George posted an alternative art box flat of the preschool Wicked the Ewok electric toothbrush. And just to let the backstory on this, these retailed for around $7 and were battery-powered toothbrushes, which looked quite like tree branches with different branches coming off. And they ran on two C-type batteries and were found with two toothbrush heads in the box. And that was probably one one for each of your teeth after they got knocked out if somebody saw you brushing your teeth with one of those. The box features a birthday promotion where you could write in, receive a birthday card, which was signed by none other than Wicked the Ewok. So how great would that have been back in the day? Um, now, I hear you ask what's different about the artwork. Well, the original artwork features a photo of a girl who is quite formidable looking holding her toothbrush. Matt features the photo of a boy brushing his teeth. And it's also the same photo that's used on page 146 of the Kenner Preschool catalogue as shown on the SWCA blog article by Ron on toothbrushes. But it doesn't end there. Matt told me that he acquired the piece through a connection made whilst doing research for a book that he's co-authoring on former Kenner employees. And he actually acquired it from the kids' mother, and it was the grandmother who worked at Kenner. So, great little backstory on that. It's nice to see that all tie up together, and I look forward to hearing more about Matt's project next year. Nice one, Rich. Totally different. Now, where was that? That was on Facebook. It was on the 2D, 3D pre-production page. Nice. Up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder. And Grant, what's been going on with your marshmallow story? Yeah, I really wanted to just add this to the end. It was a late arrival to the recording of the podcast, but for me, 
pretty hard for action figure collectors to get their head around this. But for me, this is one of the biggest scores, if not this year, for at least the last, whatever, like, thousand pages on latest acquisitions. And this was picked up by Mark Daniels. It's uh, made by H.W. Stewart Limited of Glasgow, and it's Star Wars Mallow Shapes. It's an empty box in immaculate condition. I think maybe we could go and check out a little recording we did with this when we talked to the sort of Star Wars collecting British collecting historian Craig Stevens from a few from about a year ago. One of the uh, most unique uh, Star Wars items to be released anywhere, I find, for the the first film was the uh, uh, Tavna Rutledge Limited Star Wars Marshmallows. Sure, sure. Uh, hardly any evidence of this stuff exists today. What could you tell us about them? Okay, they were not sold as, as boxes, and I think that's why the boxes are, are so rare. They're sold um, on the counter as a, an open box, and you pay 3p for your marshmallow shape, whether ah. it be Darth Vader or anything else. And so you didn't really get them in a, in a box. And that, that was quite expensive back then. 3p, you know, it sounds pretty cheap nowadays, but for 5p you could get yourself a, a pack of cards. Yeah. At MP, you get a Star Wars comic. And so it's like a kind of a, a expensive treat for kids back then, the 3P marshmallow sweet. Ah, so that's why there's so much lack of evidence, you know, of that existing. Is there any advertisement or anything like that that we know that, like a point of sale or anything that uh, could be collected for this kind of merchandise? No, I've never seen any kind of post out, um, and I can't see why there should have been. They were sent to news agents, they plonked the, the box on the, on the counter open for kids to kind of take one as a treat with their mum, and that was it. I don't think anything else was necessary to sell marshmallows back in the day, really. For me, I mean, it was a, first of all, it was incredible just to see this. I can't tell you how rare this thing is. There will be people who have been collecting, who, you know, we would call completists who have been collecting for 20 or 30 years who won't have this item. It's really that rare. Mark actually managed to pick it up. It's a box of, uh, an empty box of uh, what would have contained mallow shapes, like a, a confectionery. It was only released in the UK. It's the first time I've actually seen the bo- the sides and the a close-up, you know, decent view of the artwork on the box. They were, you know, the mallow shapes themselves for, for, for three pence each. What is amazing, though, is this came up on a Buy It Now for £19.99. And Mark, you know, he, he bought it straight away. But as far as items go, uh, for oddball items, I mean, this is this is the real highbrow collectible. I mean, I've never even seen one. Uh, but for twenty pounds, I reckon if you got you know a couple of collectors together who were who were chasing after this, it would it would definitely go for a lot more than twenty pounds. Wow, yeah, it's absolutely stunning. And we didn't say this is on page nineteen eighty nine of Stars Forum UK. Is it, have you seen it posted anywhere else, mate? Has Mark put it anywhere else? Yeah, he put it on the Facebook stationery site. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, Obvious place to go, I guess. Yeah, and he's you know he's got it up in his in his glass cabinet. But what a steal! I mean, it, this is a, this is a real difficult thing to get. I mean, even when I was researching it, I couldn't find a picture of it uh, over a year ago. Super, super difficult to find. I'm sure there's one or two other examples out there, but this is mega, mega rare. And you know, a lot of the sweet items and confectionery items. Some of them are quite easy to get. Some of them are real difficult to get. Man, this is unreal. The the photographs look absolutely awesome. I love reading what he's put back um, when he realised it was a buy it now thing. Initially, he thought it was one of the uh, repro box. Uh, he had to look at it twice. He'd never pressed a button so hard or so fast in his life. He was worried that he was going to get backdoored on the auction. I'm backdoor. Huh? But he was relieved when it turned up in the morning. Amazing condition. 
and he was surprised to find that inside the box was a blank piece of card. He thought he'd remove it and see if there was a wrapper underneath. There wasn't one, but on the other side of the card was the same artwork on the lid with the addition of the price 3p. So this was included to make the box into a counter display. So not just a box, but a counter display. Yeah, easily one of his best finds and favourite items, 19.99. Yeah, Grant, thanks ever so much for bringing it up, mate, because it really, really is great. And I'm so glad it's gone to uh, to Mark because, yeah. you know, what, what a fantastic contributor to, to the forum, to the community, to Star Wars in general. So to see stuff like that, it's uh, is it's karma in my book. I'm I'm delighted for him. Mm. Marshmallows. Mm. I, I, honest to God, guys. Like as far as rare goes, um, <laughs> honestly, like ho- <laughs> he sent me a message when he bought it. And he was like, "Check this out," and I was like, "Fucking, please tell me you bought that." <laughs> and the thing is, you, you know, with these, I mean, this is outside the podcast, but it's gonna have mallow shapes in it, so you're gonna have sugary shit all over the box. It's gonna be a wreck. It shouldn't be in this condition. Yeah. It looks like they were just in their loot. Do you think they actually had individual wrappers? No, they were just, they, kind of no, just sat, just sat and loose like cupcakes. So it should be, <laughs> it should be a freaking mess. Like it should be just. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. There's no like, yeah, I mean, like, 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 like I said, no kind of like residue, yeah. scarring or anything. It must have just gone really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Like, Holy sh! <laughs> I mean, why would someone keep this box? Like, oh, I'll keep this, and then in, in 2016, but, I'll sell it for 20 quid. But it's quite a nice. Oh yeah, it probably came in a lot of something. I imagine, wasn't it? Probably someone probably collected boxes or something. No, the guy collects um, like diecast spaceships. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I would assume that it probably came through hands over all those years and probably got passed on. I mean, the box is really nice. So I, I assume someone had it on display. I would, I would think. Yeah, but the, I mean, surely for twenty quid. Well, I mean, it's crazy, didn't isn't it? Didn't they? No, I reckon. If you put that together with three or four collectors, you're looking at four figures. Oh, yeah. Oh, I think so. If you start on Vectors, it'd go fortune, wouldn't it? Yeah, you're right. Because you get some lunatic in America bidding against some lunatic in somewhere else wanting <laughs> this marshmallow box, or mallow box, whatever you call it. I mean, it's, it, it's just weird. I mean, who, who was the company? I'm trying to see what the company was. Oh, it was a company who in Glasgow. It? And they were called HW Stewart Limited. But I think I was chatting to Craig Stevens. I'll give you that edit, uh, yeah. Jez. Thanks, man. But I think, but I think like uh, Craig is like, oh yeah, you know, who knows what the box looks like or something along those lines of like, yeah, no one, you know. If, and I was like, yeah, well, I'll be coming a conversation out of this because none of us know what it looks like, but we'll try. Bam, there so, it is. So, so, you, so no one's ever come across it before, then? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, I've seen a black and white image of it. Um, but it's just unheard of. I mean, it doesn't come up. Most people never know it existed. If you actually go down and read the comments underneath, most people are like, oh, what's that? I've never seen that. Do you think they didn't have a license or something and made it? No, they had a license for sure. Yes, definitely a license. So, guys, uh, yes. a massive canter through. Started off with Palatoy Junkie getting his boxed Yoda hand puppet sealed. I mean, awesome. And going through to see just individual stuff, people buying 99-piece soaps. We've got... Um, Glued uh, first shots going on to the unbelievable amount of missed cards hitting the streets at the moment. Lovely Meccano stuff, but to end on that, wow, what a find! So, uh, yeah, some amazing stuff going out there, guys. Thank you ever so much for posting what you're doing. And, guys, thanks very much for all the research which you've done this month, it's been brilliant. And uh, join us again next month for another section of new acquisitions. Cheers, lads. Somewhere in space. 
This may all be happening right now. Lucasfilm and Gareth Edwards now bring you an adventure unlike anything on your planet. Rogue One. The story of a girl, her team, and a universe. It's a big, sprawling space saga of rebellion and sacrifice. It's an epic of heroes and villains. And sights from a thousand worlds. Rogue One, a billion years in the making. And it's coming to your galaxy this December. You're listening to Droid Funks on the Vintage Rebellion podcast. Welcome to this month's Oddball section. This month I will be discussing collecting vintage Star Wars music with US collector Tony DeMata. Tony, welcome to the Vintage Rebellion podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Tony, what is the major inspiration of collecting uh, vintage Star Wars albums and well, the, music? I, I think, you know, and I... Um... I actually gave a presentation upon this at one of the celebrations, and, and one of the things I'd said, and, and I mean it completely, is that if you took the music out of Star Wars, it wouldn't be the same movie. You know, the, the music is such an integral part of the whole experience of Star Wars that without the music, I really wouldn't think it'd be the same thing. So, you know, watching that, the, the music was so powerful to me while watching the movie, and uh, I, I just sort of fell in love with the music. And then I had the, you know, I started collecting uh, eight tracks, believe it or not. That's how I fell into this. Um, there was an article uh, that uh, Pete Vilmer wrote about uh, Star Wars eight tracks. And I said, I think I can find all those. It was one of those, eh, there's only so many of them. How many can there be? I think I can find them. You know, and about uh, a dozen years later, I'm still looking. So it just, I, I fell into it, but. I, the the music is just really powerful to me. I love it. So, so how long have you actually been collecting then? Well, I've been collecting Star Wars since '77. I saw Star Wars was the first movie that I saw in a theater when I was six years old, and I've never been the same since. <laughs> Amazing. Um, you know, and you know, through my teenage years, I got away from it when I got married, and then eBay came around uh, when eBay first started up. I was like, I can try to get back some of my stuff that was thrown away when I was in college. And then I just started diverting out into other different areas, and I just fell into music. Uh, do you solely collect music, or do you collect other Star Wars collectibles as well? Well, I was uh, initially I was doing a lot of the toys and the play sets and, and uh, loose figures and stuff, but uh, it just didn't have the same appeal to me after a while, so I started getting into more odd things um like uh drinking glasses and bottle caps and uh lunch boxes and tinware 
and frisbees and belt buckles and I did all this odd stuff and then after a while I realized I can't keep up with that and I trimmed it down to like maybe three or four main things I do now uh, one of them is um, watches and clocks uh, like uh, the bottle caps I'm still trying to do from different parts of the world the drinking glasses I still do um, but like I said my two main my two main focuses are really the music and like watches and clocks Amazing. We'll have to get you back on again to do uh, watches and clocks. Sure. Um, how many how many pieces is in your music collection then? Let me see. I would guess um, over four hundred. I think. Wow, that's that's pretty extensive then. Yeah, I think close to four hundred with, uh, and that's also including things like um, uh, the little pieces of paper they used to put in jukeboxes to tell you, you know, which forty five you could play and. Uh, some advertising and, you know, store displays and some other stuff. But between, I think I have over 120 albums, almost 120 cassettes, uh, almost 58 tracks, close to 70, 45s, and then a bunch of, you know, I, I think I even have a uh, piano roll that would go in a player piano. Wow. Uh, yeah. So it, it's there's a there's such a huge range of stuff that was put out as far as music goes. It's all you can always find something else. So so do you have any rules to your collecting, like things that you would dis- disregard and say, no, this isn't going to be part of my focus? Um, mostly anything after um, 1986. <laughs> I, I, right. I stick to uh, the vintage and as far up as like the Ewoks and things like that. Uh, once it got to episode one, um, I'm not really. Anything past that, I'm not really into. I did get some of the the newer music stuff at Last Celebration because they had so they actually had records uh, available, and I grabbed those. But I'm I'm mostly stick to to um, to vintage. Have you found that with the vintage releases? I mean, uh, this if we talk in terms of the core three main soundtracks for the the, the vintage movies. Within the vintage market, they issued every track there because I know uh, from some of the albums that I've got that some of the tracks like when uh, Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader fight in Return of the Jedi, that seems to be missing from the soundtrack. So so can a vintage collector collect all of the music on the soundtrack? You know, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't know that uh, some of it was missing. That's interesting. No, I didn't know that because I don't, you know, I collect them, but I don't listen to it all the time. You know, and I don't, and I don't. A lot of the times, check uh, cross track the, uh, the the tracks across each one, which I might have to start doing now. It's only on some of the releases because that that music where you've got sort of like the choir comes in. I also was one of my favorite bits of music, and I could never find it on some of the uh, early releases. But uh, I'll I'll have to do a bit of investigating on that I one would, as well. I would imagine some of the, probably the special edition or re-release stuff that they put out on CD would probably have it. I mean, maybe they were just crunch for time on a record you know there is only so much space <laughs> only so much space available maybe some of the stuff that was released later on cd might have it right yeah i never no, never thought of that because you did get sort of like uh single album releases and double album releases right yeah yeah some of the soundtrack so, stuff were double albums yeah so as a sort of like a vintage uh, music collector um, do you do you come across sort of like uh, other collectors that collect this, or or other vinyl collectors maybe that would sort of uh, be a part of this sort of collecting environment? Um, I don't think I've ever met another one. I know people collect some. You know, I've seen other collectors grab pieces here and there, and I know a collector that does uh, all the storybooks. 
you know, the, the read-along storybooks where you have a record or a tape and it would play and you'd read the book yeah. along with it. And he's collected a huge amount of those from all over the world, a, a, an insane amount of them. Um, and he does collect a, pe- a few pieces of music here and there, but um, I don't think I've ever met someone who does it as to the extent that I do it. Um, like I said, I think Pete Vilmer collected some. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Yeah, uh, you some, sometimes find in uh, when you collect oddball items, there might be, you know, if you collected something like a razor, you might come across a razor collector that will be looking for the same items. Yeah. Stuff like that. It's a bit strange. Uh, when you're a, collecting. I did run across that with, like, watches. There was a, a few right. collectors I, I uh, ran across. And the same thing with, like, when I was – I actually used to do patches as well. And uh, you do run across some of the same guys. And I actually got to be friends with a few people because we collected the same things. And uh, we helped each other out. But um, – yeah, no, not to the extent with music. I think I'm the only well, crazy person. <laughs> well, judging by some of the tracks you've given me, there is a, there's a little bit of evidence for that. Um, uh, Andy, one of the, the, the first questions I have, if you know, I'll start on sort of like the core soundtracks to the to the original films. Um, when was the original LP for Star Wars released? Do you know? Um, so I'm guessing that's one of the first things that might have come out. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was '77. I'd have to pull one up, but I think it was '77. And that, and that's the double album with the poster, right? And I think also the story of Star Wars, the one that has the picture of um, of uh, the droids on one side of it, and uh, I think Vader on the back side of it. It was more like a, a story, you know. The it's it's dialogue and special effects from the film that that was released in '77 as well. And then, and, and then a lot of the other copycat sort of people came out with. You know, music inspired by Star Wars, and uh, a lot of that is from, it all came out in 77. A lot of people jumped on the bandwagon. A lot of the sort of other renditions, they, you know, you see so many copies and different versions of it. A lot of that was round about, based around about the same time as the original release. Right. Ah, right, okay. Or at, least, or at least later in that year, you know, like... Uh, the Electric Moog Orchestra did a uh, music from Star Wars that was in '77. Uh, the Mecco album, Mecco did his stuff I, uh, in '77. So I think you know as soon as it came out and everybody saw that it was, you know, it, it was big as it did. A lot of people got you know automatically inspired by it so they could make some music, you know, or in, or make some money, you know. Yeah, uh, music and inverted commas there for some of it, I think. Yep. If you're collecting, say, sort of the Star Wars original release, would you be interested then in finding out the sort of international variations of it? Oh, absolutely. The music is mostly the same. I mean, the, the you know the soundtrack is a soundtrack, and if you're getting uh, something with, by the, that's done by the London Philharmonic or you know with John Williams or something, the the different countries all gate put out the same soundtrack, but you can find as a variations of them, you can find them you know, from all over the world. And they're usually the artwork on them is different because it's in the language of, um, you know, the, the local language, but the music is usually the same. Uh, like Japan had some amazing cover art for their albums. And that's, you know, that's the big thing of what I like to find is since the music is pretty much the same, I like trying to find different variations of the covers and all the different things that, you know, in the different languages and, and, uh, yeah, that's the hard. That's the fun part and the hard part is just trying to find them from all over the place. Because I found them, you know, the same 
soundtrack, the blaze, the, the basic black soundtrack with Star Wars on the front and just in the white block letters. I found that from, you know, um, France and Mexico, Japan. Um, let me see where else. Uh, I think Canada. And there's, there's more. There's, uh, South America has a lot of them. So, yeah, I, that, that's, that's the fun part. Just trying to find them from all the different countries. A lot of the uh, Japanese ones I've noticed have sort of like a, a, a sleeve that goes down the side of it with sort of Japanese text on. Is that just an American album with sort of like a sleeve attached to it, or is that unique to you know a unique album to Japan? Yeah, that, those cardboard sleeves usually I think had like um, yeah I think they got like the U.S. albums and then slid the cardboard sleeve over it to give all the information in, in Japanese for the Japanese collectors. Um, but I've also seen that. So I'm looking at a couple examples right now. I see it on the 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 soundtrack and the story of. But I still I think that the the record was still pressed in Japan. Um, I think I'd have to look at it again. But the sleeve they put the sleeve on. But I've also seen that sleeve, and there's all they've also done stickers. You know, I've seen the sleeve on the Mecco album. I've seen it on a Zubin Meta album, and I think they've also sometimes put them on the on Japanese albums themselves. I think they're more like a informational thing that they slide on to give you more information about the record itself they seem to do it on laser discs as well i've noticed oh okay very similar we had a a collector on a few months ago and he was explaining that they have that same sort of sleeve and then you know made the connection there with the albums do you also have an interest in sort of like how things like vinyl is made oh yeah oh yeah i actually on on my uh, website restrainingbolt.com there's i have a whole section on there's a whole section about music and uh in there on the main page, it tells you that you can pick between albums and eight tracks. There's a link there that goes to YouTube where it shows you how to make, that shows the whole process of how records are made. And uh, I got into that as well, and I've actually found pieces in my collection from that process. I found um, what was called a, uh, uh, a stamper, which is the piece that goes into the press itself. I found, let me see what's the other thing. A master disc for uh, a 45, which is the the what they take like an aluminum disc, and they coat it with this lacquer that's a lot like nail polish, and then they put it in a machine uh, called a lathe, and the lathe is what actually grinds the grooves in the record and actually puts the music on the record. Then they take that master, put it into an, this other machine, and spray like nickel nickel. Uh, aluminum, like an aluminum nickel compound on top of it, and then so and let it uh, electroplate in nickel. And when they separate the two off, they throw the master away, and they use that now uh, metal nickel um, sheet as the stamper that actually goes into the press itself. So finding one of the master discs is really tough because they usually throw them away. Once they once they coat them, they throw them away. Uh, the stampers are sometimes easier to find because, you know, I don't think they get thrown away as much or, you know, I'm sure they're out there. But they, those things in the production process are very hard to find. I mean, yeah, I've always been confused by that, how sort of simple grooves in a record could make sort of classical music. <laughs> yeah, it is a little crazy. Do you notice that there's a maybe a change in quality in sort of types of vinyl? You mean between different countries or different pressing methods or... Yeah, um, yeah. I have seen differences. Uh, different, you know. I, I've pulled two records out that are the same record from different countries, 
and one of them was a lot thicker than another. So there is changes in the process, and even though they're created by, you know, affiliates of, you know, you know, like Warner Brothers and and all these different places, like um, like 20th Century Records, Atlanta Records, uh, Buena Vista, DeMille, uh, Mercury, all these different places, Millennium, uh, Music Core, they all make their own records and they all have their own process. So sometimes some of their records might be a little thicker or thinner than than uh, than others. I don't know if there was ever an industry standard on thickness of records. But um, right. and that doesn't uh, it does affect quality too, because I've seen the thinner ones usually sometimes warp uh, a little more than the thicker ones. Uh, is there a change in sort of fidelity uh, due to the thinness and thickness of the albums? I, I haven't I haven't noticed anything, but then again, I haven't played every everything. That'd be something more of an audiophile would know. Um, but every one I've played is sounds good, at least you know through a record player. Uh, and did you notice, I mean, uh, with Star Wars, there seems to be a lot of vinyl. Is it the same for Empire and Jedi, or did they they you know, didn't release as much stuff with it? I think they were slow. What, by the time they get to Jedi, it was in the 80s, and they were starting getting, in, getting into CDs. So there was a lot more for Star Wars. And when it got into Empire, it started slowing down a little bit. Same thing with Jedi. There is not many uh, uh, records for Jedi. There's a lot of compilation albums. There are tons yeah. and tons of compilation albums. I'd say at a guess, there's you know a couple like different Ewok celebration albums, you know the the dance uh, special dance remix, the Lapty Neck song from the Java's Palace Band, and maybe two or three different soundtrack albums for Jedi itself. Uh, the, the John Williams. Um, there's the picture disc one. Uh, yeah, the sound one, the the dialogue and music like the storybook one for Jedi. But other than that, in, no, there was not a lot for Jedi. They they started coming out with CDs, and a lot of people were getting away from records. Same thing with cassettes and eight tracks. They only, I think, I only have eight tracks from from the 70s. Ah, right. Okay. So, was there any actual CDs released within the vintage era? I, th- uh, I think there might have been in the Jedi, during Jedi, and of course they released a ton, you know, after that when they could uh, re. Uh, Reissue, 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 yeah, when they can reissue them, when they can start making everything on CD. Um, yeah, you, you're in the UK, so you guys didn't get uh, eight tracks. Eight tracks are like this hard, you know, you, you know what an eight track is, right? Um, it's a hard plastic cassette about maybe four inches by six inches and an, uh, maybe three quarters or an inch thick, and it would just slide into a machine, and um, it had eight tracks on it. And you could jump from track to track just by hitting a button. It would move down that, uh, move down the tracks, and then it would. Uh, I think it would just replay itself over and over again. They were they were big in the 70s in America, and then they just just went away when cassettes came out. That was actually going to be my next uh, question because I didn't know you could skip tracks on an eight track. That's amazing. Yeah, you just hit a button, you skip down to the next track. So, so what's actually inside the eight track then? Is it like tape or? Um, yeah, it's magnetic tape. Yeah. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. It seems a bit bizarre that the cassette would take over from that because you have to rewind and fast forward. And Yeah, well, there were also uh, cassette tapes were uh, less than half the size. You know, right. eight tracks were kind of big. And, I mean, if you're carrying around, if it's only one album and you want 20 or 30 albums to carry around or store, it's <laughs> it takes up a lot of space. 
cassettes were a lot smaller, a lot more mobile, you know, and then they were thinking about probably making, you know, um, the Walkmans, you know, cassette players that you could uh, carry around with you. You can do that right. with an 8-track player. Okay, got you. So they were mostly in cars and, you know, like cars and home stereos. Amazing. And an 8-track was obviously, uh, judging by what I've witnessed from watching films, 8-tracks are obviously uh, massive in America. Is there a lot of Star Wars 8-tracks out there? Um, they were big in the U.S. and Canada, and I think the uh, – you know, I don't know if the U.K. actually had them, even though you're – I actually found one from the U.K. Let me see. And I, oh, really? and I found one from Italy. And But the Italy one wasn't really Star Wars – it was these <laughs> six guys called the Callops in um, awful, awful, shiny silver jumpsuits doing like a Star Wars theme kind of music. But it was, like I said, big in Canada uh, for soundtracks and Australia as well. But I did have one from the UK. I found one from the UK that was um, – it, it was called The Sound of Star Wars, The Sonic All-Stars conducted by Bruce Baxter. So it was sort of a cover of Star Wars, but it was released in the UK, and that was that's the only one in the UK I think I've ever found. Um, and do things like, I mean, because obviously uh, 8-track is a dead technology, so is cassettes. Do these um, collectibles, do they keep value in any way? or Not just to me. <laughs> I, think I, I think they're just important to me. Um, I've never had a, a, um, any issue or a contest trying to get one from someone. You know, like, oh, I was outbid over this. You know, you see them all the time. Um, and they're great They're great collectibles as far as displaying. You know, because they always have, they have artwork on the front, and it's usually the same as the artwork for, you know, the regular-sized album. A few instances, it's slightly different, but um, uh, most of the time it's the same sort of album cover as, as the regular album. And if you're a collector of, like, you know, Darth Vader or the droids or something, you can always find some of the stuff with them on it to add add to your focus. That that sounds really nice, bidding on Star Wars stuff and not being outbid. That sounds yeah. like a, a wonderful world to live in. Yeah, but it's um, also a little crazy. Like, am I the only person that, that <laughs> am I the only person that cares about this? Why is no one else bidding on it? You know? <laughs> so how it's, how is sort of uh, vintage music uh, valued? Sort of like is packaging important, or artwork, or release, or you it's, know? It's a weird market because. There's still there's so they made so much of it. There's millions upon millions of records out there. I mean, at the time, you know, that's one of the first kind of things that came out. You know, was the music. The music, I think, even came out before some of the toys. So it's there's a lot out there. You know, in other countries, it's harder to find because it wasn't released so as as much. But I mean, if you go on, I mean, go on eBay and look up, you know, sound Star Wars soundtrack. There's hundreds of them. Um, so. Condition does play a part. If you want, you know, a better, a better copy of a free collection, you might end up spending more. But it's still relatively inexpensive to collect it. You know, I haven't seen anything that would be too too crazy. I, every so often, you'll see something from another country, like some weird thing, uh, something unique that was produced in Italy that you've never seen before, and it's like, oh, you you want a hundred bucks for that? That's kind of steep, you know. In it, because you think it's still just a piece of cardboard with a piece of vinyl in it. Right. But, uh, there are some things out there that, that I mean, it, if you don't see something and you have a chance to grab it, it's like, wow, that's pretty cool. I might want to grab that. 
um, because you'll see a lot of one thing, and then it focus it trickles down to some very odd things that you barely see every so often. And so you collect the sort of read along vinyls and tapes. As I have well. some of them. I haven't gone as crazy as uh, as a collector na- uh, named Kevin Lentz. Kevin's gone. Wow, like he's the guy I was talking about earlier. He's got them from all over the world, all the variations, and he's cataloging them and uh, and coming up with every different possible combination from everywhere. It's he's put a lot of work into it. It's, it's to see the collection, to see it all together. It's pretty amazing. Um, but I have some um, that I've, I've uh, picked up along the way. There's a, a there's a small record tote. Um, from Star Wars, out a little you know a little box with a handle on the top that pops open that you could put all your 45s in, and they made one for Star Wars and has the R2 and C3PO on it, and I have all those in there. So you do find them. Uh, I've picked them up in you know in lots with other stuff. So I'm not trying to find them all. I just I think I have all the US ones. Yeah, I got. Uh, they came out in the UK under a company called Rainbow. Yeah, Rainbow. And. Um, I had the Empire Strikes Back one when I was a child, which I played all the time because I didn't have you didn't have, the film wasn't out. Right. I mean, the film was out in the cinema, but it wasn't out on video to watch, so that's the closest you could get. And I remember I wanted to hunt down Planet of the Hoojibs. <laughs> yeah. I think that was one of them. Yep. And something Ord Mandel. Yeah, the uh, Rebel Mission to Ord Mandel. That's it. Yep. Yeah. I still haven't listened to them. I better check them out. <laughs> I think I. I'm trying to think. I had had scanned them because I was going to plan on putting them into my site now i'm not sure where i <laughs> now i'm not, I'm not sure where i have them but uh like because yeah, um, those were i mean those were out at the time you had images with the book yep. and you had the, the you know the tape plane yep. or the, the vinyl it, plane as you read along and that that's like as close as you could get yeah. to the film and it, actually have and, the it, film. and it beeps when it tells you to flip the page yeah um this i mean there's stuff that's on like uh reel to reel you know, it's um, you know, we, we put it on a, a, a reel-to-reel tape player. I have some of those. Uh, I mean, the stuff is just everywhere. So, so how was reel-to-reel? Uh, reel, as I reel-to-reel sold, was that did that come in sort of like a box? Yeah, yeah. it came in. A, it came in a small, you know, maybe about a six or seven-inch square box, maybe about half an inch thick, and it had some artwork on the front. I've seen, I think, three or four different possible uh variations of it with either just the star wars logo they did one for empire with like the um the gone with the wind style artwork on the front um yeah it's but it's pretty rare you know i think you can find them but you know if you even have a reel-to-reel player good luck yeah it kind of reminds me the sort of symmetry again with collecting video because you know kind of reminds me i guess of how the uh, the eight millimeter films were sold. Yeah, similar to that. Yep. Wow, amazing. Well, <clears throat> leaving the sort of vintage movies to one side, um, something I've always been looking for, looking for, is the Star Wars Christmas album. What can you tell us about that? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, the Christmas album. Hmm. Um, it's interesting, and, I, and I've mentioned, I think I mentioned this in uh, when I did my presentation on this. Uh, the Star Wars Christmas album is the first album that um, John Bon Jovi, the the musician, the, the rock musician from the States here, was ever on. He sang on that album. 
he actually were it was produced the the record was produced in like his father uh, his uncle's uh, studio. And he was working there at the time, probably as a janitor or something, and say, hey, John, you want to sing on this and play? He's like, sure. And so, you know, one of the biggest musical acts in the 80s and 90s started off by singing Star Wars tunes on a Christmas album. So uh, it's got it's got some interesting stuff on it. Um, awful, awful things, but interesting stuff. Uh, yeah, we, uh, we always... Use it for our Christmas episodes. We sort of take two or three tracks out of it and plaster it over the podcast. Yeah, it's um, insane. Does <laughs> Bon Jovi actually admit to being on this? He, at first, he did not. But if you look at the album and look through the credits in the back, it has his real name. His real name isn't John Bon Jovi. It's John Bon Giovini or Giovanni, something like that. He, he, he changed it a little bit when he got famous, but that's him on there. It is him. And he finally, I think years later, finally said, yeah, it was him. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> well, my favorite thing of that is actually the artwork on the cover. Yeah, it's, the, uh, uh, the, droid. the Ruffle Quarry. Yeah, helping Santa. I love that. Uh, I think that's a, a lot of the main reason I collect a lot of this stuff is I just love the artwork on the covers. You know? Sure. Well, what I'm going to do now, and this is where from now on in this interview, this is where I'm most concerned about losing some listeners. I'm going to start playing. <laughs> Uh, some examples. So, very briefly, I don't know how long I'm going to edit this for. This is the one with Bon Jovi on it, correct? Ah, uh, I'd have to. You know what? Let me give me a second. I'm going to grab the album and I'll see if the if he's, if he's on a certain track. But I I don't remember which ones he actually sang on. Uh, to tell you the truth, I don't because I don't know if he was on every one. But oh, uh, really? Yeah, I just I do know that uh, Anthony Daniels will submit his voice for anything. Yeah. I mean, anything i've heard he's been he's been alarm clocks and and i mean just they want hey you want to be on this yep i do and uh he's on it so i don't know if john uh if that was the one that he sang on i'd have to hear it again but um yeah he was on a bunch of them okay well i'm gonna give it a play anyway and hopefully there'll be some listeners when we get back all right Uh, Tony, shop displays, is this sort of like something that you go down? I do have a few, yeah. Uh, sometimes they're hard to find. You know, most of the time they were just, you know, as, as all store displays are, they were, when they were done, no one cared about them, they threw them away. But um, I do have a few in my collection. There are more that I'd like to find, but they're just, sometimes they're pretty tough to get to, get, a, get a hold of, especially on a, you know, if you're collecting on a budget. Yeah, I've noticed, you know, I've seen some header cards come up for things like uh, Return of the Jedi on a... And a sort of like a bin with Darth Vader's head for Empire yep. Strikes Back albums. Yep, I have that. I have the backer card for that, the actual the actual back display piece. Not the holder, but the the back for that. Um, there was also one 
maybe about uh, 18 inches tall. Uh, that was R2-D2, and on the front had a little uh, section that you could put 45s in. That one you see a lot more, but uh, yeah. in good condition, they'll, they'll run you a couple hundred dollars for that normally if you can find one. Um, and it's, it's got sort of like if you spin it around, you've got the Death, Death Star. Star on the back side of it, right, yeah, because right. it just so happens that his dome and the Death Star are uh, are the shape the same, so they, they could do something different on the back side. I've, I've got a, a version of that, but it hasn't got sort of like the bin at the front, and it looks like it was used to sort of like uh, to hang. So is there two versions of might, this? Yeah, oh, yeah, there's a hanging version as well. That's just right. sort of flat. There's a hanging version of flat, and then there's a stand-up version that would go on a countertop. Ah, right. Because I put 45s in, yeah. Yeah, I was always trying to see where the the bin part of it would attach, and it looked like there was nowhere for it to attach. And it's got a little hole in the top. No, yep, maybe. yep, there was two. They, they did two different things. One was a hang. One was something they can hang in a store so you could see it when you were walking by or, you know. Something like that, or uh, the more of a, a countertop display. Is it a, sort of like a holy grail item in sort of the uh, music shop displays to find? For a music collector, yeah, it's it's because it's great because it's not too big that it's overpowering. You know, some store displays are, are really large and displaying them are, are tough. But I have I have one of those and it's sitting on top of my. Uh, I built a custom. Uh, display for all my music and it just sits right on top of that so it's not Amazing. too big yeah Amazing. And I, there's other things you can collect too i mean there's uh full-size posters that the uh, record companies put out that you that um you know stores would put in some poster frame and hang outside their uh store or inside the store uh so those are full-size posters there's cardboard just sort of a thin cardboard one-sided uh copy of the album cover that they yep. could put in a window against, you know, the glass, so there's nothing on the outside that people could see that they had it. And when they're walking by, I have a few examples of that. What else? And some other hanging, you know, different hanging kind of stuff. No, amazing. One of the – this is going to be the most interesting part for me of uh, our conversation is you have an extensive examples of international releases. Uh, one of my favorites that you sent me was by Renee Jolly. Oh, Oh my! Which, which is, I that you know. that song will change your life. Oh my! I I when I recorded that, and I'm listening to it, I I wanted to stand up and salute. It was almost like the French national anthem. That's what it sounded like to me. And I don't speak French, but it was it was it was a patriotic. That guy put 100 percent into that song. <laughs> it is ridiculous. <laughs> well, I'm thinking about having it as my alarm clock. Um, <laughs> For, for all of our listeners, uh, I do want to play this. Uh, I now suggest that you turn your stereo up to 11 because this is fantastic. <laughs> and, and we'll be back in a moment. Pour qui les armes, pour 
Just, just a minute for me. Oh my! Oh, you should. I put this on my player and I fired it up, and I'm just listening to it. And I went, "Oh, it's just. Oh my! Oh, it was just. It kind of reminded me. And I don't know if you ever saw. Did you guys ever get Saturday Night Live? Did you? Ever yeah. Watch the American Show Saturday Night Live, the original in the in the 70s when it started. It was Bill Murray, and he used to do this lounge lizard. In this, I don't know if you guys ever had this, but there'd be lounge singers. So in in the '70s in America, in the disco era, you know, you'd go to some bar in a lounge, and there'd be a piano player and whatever, and a guy singing songs, and he'd be singing his version of the biggest songs around at the time. And Bill Murray did this lounge lizard thing, and he did a Star Wars thing on it, and it was just brilliant. And that's what the Rene Jolly thing reminds me of. It's almost like he's joking. Oh, it's just so, so great. <laughs> yeah, the great thing about it, as soon as I listen to it, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's instantly awake. Like. Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is, yeah, life-changing. Now, we, we have some more sort of bizarre uh, music coming up from compilation albums. Do you have any sort of, like, I've, I've bought a few compilation albums, and I like the ones that have Star Wars on the front cover or what could be described as possibly Star Wars, but then some of them have, yeah. you know, uh, Smoking the Bandit on the front cover. Do you have any sort of rules in collecting compilation albums? Um, the compilations, anything, any compilation I collect, if it definitely has Star Wars on the front, like the, the, I have a few compilation albums that are nothing but Star Wars on the front, but like there's maybe one song on the record that's Star Wars. So they use Star Wars to promote it for you to, to buy it, and then you get it home, you're like, well, there's only one song, but... And it's the same song I have everywhere else. So some of them are tough to find because people didn't get tricked. But um, I have some really, really favorite ones. There's one from Hong Kong uh, that was – it's called 16 Great Themes from Great Movies. And the front of it's, you know, the Death Star and all the heroes on it. But I think there's like maybe one or two songs on it. Some of the other compilation stuff I like, uh, I have one that has – it's Vader and uh, it's a combination of – Empire Strikes Back and Star Trek. So there's Kirk and Spock in the Enterprise next to Vader, C-3PO, and Luke and Leia. Um, oh. And that was from Australia. Um, it, it's like, been... If a compilation album doesn't have anything Star Wars on the cover, I won't get it. If it has at least something Star Wars on the cover, even just the logo or something like that, and at least one song on there, I'll try to grab it. Right. Do you notice any in the compilation albums is a reoccurring... Other tracks on there, like um, ones I had when I was a child, would have maybe war themes on there or the planets. Usually, sometimes the planets, and it's usually if it's not like like holst the planets and things like that, it was usually some disco mecco stuff or something along those lines, or all the other sort of soundtrack stuff at the time, like 2001, Superman, Star Trek. Close Encounters. Close Encounters, right. It would be those sort of themes as well. So it was all sort of space, sci-fi, movie kind of themes, which is good music. 
don't get me wrong, it's good. That's good music too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Another international sort of release I'm going to put up now is Dorothy Laplante does Ewoks. Oh yeah. Where did this one come from? Uh, from the Ewok television show that was in France. The Ewoks, really? the Ewoks were big in France. I don't know why. I mean, that's the same country that likes Jerry Lewis, so there's no explaining it. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, it's bizarre because dro- Droids was big in Spain, wasn't it? Yeah, Droids was big in Spain, and uh, the Ewoks were huge in in France. Um, and the, they got this girl Dorothy to do uh, like theme music for it or, or something related to it because uh, there's I have 45s with her singing these songs, and I have different variations of it, one without her face on it, and then one that has actually a picture of her on the album with the Ewoks. You know, her it's a real picture of her with cartoon Ewoks. It's <laughs> its a little odd, but, um, yeah. All right, okay. Because yeah. um, when I was listening to it, I couldn't make the connection to Star Wars. I know it's in French, but I couldn't even, you know, pick up on any sort of... No, it's all them. about the Ewoks, you know, all about the, the, I don't know, the plight of the Ewoks, I guess. I don't know. Well, I, I, I'll play this now, and uh, hopefully some listeners will, can give us some feedback. <laughs> on Um, Anthony, what are the issues with collecting international releases? Is there much documented about this? No, not really. Um, I keep finding stuff that I didn't even know exists. And I'm, like I said, I've been looking. I, I think I've been collecting for maybe even close to 15 years now. So it's been it's been a while, and I still find things I don't I don't have. And I actually uh, my, my my website. Um, like I said, I have a music thing on my uh, music page on my website that first started by me just uploading pictures um, so I can know what I have if I'm looking for something. You know what I mean when I'm searching for something. And then I turned it into a full-blown database with information about each album, just so I can track everything I've found, and so that it's a reference for other people too. You know, so you could anybody else could go onto my site and look at it and see. Oh, look! I'm going to look at every all the different 45s and and you realize how many things are out there and you can find. Um, but I still find stuff that I've never seen before. And I used to do it all on eBay because that was the only you know that was the place to find anything. But a lot of the stuff was very expensive and and you didn't get a lot of selection. And I um, I think last year I came across a website called. Um, uh, Discogs, D-I-S-C-O-G-S, and they, it's a music site for for internet for music, just everything. I mean, you name it. It's it's uh it's a database and a way to buy stuff. So you can upload, you know, just it, it, how do I explain this? You, you don't even need to buy anything on there. You can just go look on it. And for example, uh, on I'm looking at it now on Discogs. Um, for the rock genre, or uh, there's three million albums listed in this database. Wow. Uh, uh, electronic, two million seven hundred ninety-two thousand. So if you do a search for, I would do a search for Star Wars, and it it'll tell me in this database there's three thousand six hundred fifty-four examples of Star Wars music. Wow. 
Yeah, so in a lot of it's the same album in different places, you know. I mean, I'm looking at it right now, and I see five different examples of the the, the, the basic Star Wars album. But they could be from different locations. Um, there's stuff that's newer, the trilogy stuff. There's the re-release stuff. So, and then you can you can sort of cycle it down to look for disco versions on vinyl. Uh, do you want it just from the UK or Germany? And so, when I found this site, I just started going through it, and I mean, I saw in the first probably three weeks alone on that site, I got 20 or 30 albums off there that I never even knew existed. Um, wow. So, yeah, so, I mean, there's still so much, so much out there. I mean, the, the toys didn't make it around the world. You know, a lot of the collectibles did not make it around the world, but the music made it everywhere. Um, yeah. I, you know, Chile and Brazil and Australia. I, I got a cassette from Saudi Arabia. Um uh, there's just uh, from South Korea, uh, Turkey. Uh, so the stuff is just, it's it's everywhere. The music made it everywhere. Well, that must be so exciting as a collector because, you know, if you collect action figures, you know that there's... A limited 90, number of them, yeah, right. And it's all documented. You know which foreign releases there are. But to be like, you know, I could type in Star Wars vinyl on eBay today and see something I've never seen before. Yeah. That must be really exciting. It is. It's, it's fun. It's frustrating. <laughs> No, because <laughs> knowing there's no end game to it, you know, uh, that, like I said, when I first got into this, I was doing the eight tracks and I saw the article on it and there was like maybe 20. I go, I think I can find all those. How many can there be? You know, and then and then I just <laughs> it turned into a slippery slope of I'll get some records, too, and then I'll get some eight tracks. I mean, I'll get some sets and then. And, you know, a dozen years later, I'm still finding stuff. So, yeah, it's pretty – I, I think half the fun of doing it is the hunt and the, and the research and uh, the discovery that you're still finding new stuff that was made, you know, 30 years ago, uh, that you're still finding it. And I get, to, I get to get it and put it in my collection and um, document it and get it up there for other people to see. Yeah, that's 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 really cool. Um, you know, as we discussed earlier, when Star Wars came out, sort of disco was the hottest genre in music. Would you say that the disco genre represents the most used interpretation of the themes outside of classical music? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, Monardo Mecco, that when that guy released his album, I think you could actually find his album more places in the soundtrack. His right. his galactic funk album is just everywhere on every format i have it on albums and 45s on cassette um i have sheet music for it i have uh it's it just went everywhere it went massive and he made he got gold record after gold record for that Um, really so it was really successful oh yeah it was huge everybody had that if you had the soundtrack you had mecco and most of the people just got the Mecco because it was disco. You know, that was right. that was just it. Um, as a matter of fact, I know a collector who has a bunch of his actual gold records who bought who bought them from him. He was, you know, he's getting on in years, I assume, and and uh, he was just selling off a lot of his memorabilia and stuff, and he, he sold, like, all of his gold records, and I know a collector who bought most of them. And so he has them in his collection now, you know. So, uh, yeah. So did uh, did Miko come out at the same time as the the original film then? Just it it came out right after. I I think Mecca went and saw the movie and went, oh yeah, I can make this into disco, 
and then went home and, and wrote it. And uh, I think he was one of the first ones to actually sort of interpret it and uh, and do his own thing with it. And it just went global. Amazing. Um, yeah. Some of, you've given me some disco versions. You give me, you know, I've got the Miko, uh, the Dave Matthews disco theme, Galaxy Forty Two, yep. Maynard Ferguson. Excuse my ignorance, but I couldn't actually tell that much of a difference between them all. There isn't much. Everybody's pretty much copying uh, Mako. It's hard to determine it. Uh, when I was recording them all, I'm like, yeah, they're all sound the same. And I actually recorded a bunch more that sound identical to the rest. And I thought it was, well, it's not really worth copying down. The the um, Menard Ferguson one, I actually like a little better because there's a lot more horns in it because he's a horn player. So I actually like that one a little bit better. But a lot of the... The, the people were just sort of copying Mecca. Well, I'll tell you what, just as uh, just to show the listeners, uh, I'll play the Miko version first, and then maybe the Maynard Ferguson okay. after, yeah. and uh, just compare the two. Tony, there's also disco renditions of other Star Wars tracks as well. Um, I'm going to play Gus's Cantina disco version. Is there is there more versions of some of the other tracks? Uh, those are the big ones, the Cantina stuff and the main the main sort of uh, theme. There's there's some the Imperial March. Uh, one of the guys did a cover of. I'm trying to remember who. Did did Miko do uh, an Empire Strikes Back version? I don't think so. No, I think he just did Star Wars. Oh, okay. Uh, and do you have a favorite disco version yourself? Uh, I lived through disco the first time. It's hard to say favorite. Uh, I, I like I said, I like the Maynard Ferguson uh, one. Um, yeah, I would say that. Well, just just to uh, just to sort of like you know put an end to the, uh, the, the disco versions. I'm going to quickly play the Gaz's Cantina disco version so we can so we can move on. All right.
Oh, the other. Well, actually, one more thing. The the uh, I don't know if you saw the Empire Jazz one, uh, the Imperial March, Empire Jazz. I, I always joke that the the cover art from that is uh, Vader sitting in a jazz club, and on the stage is uh, and on the stage is uh, Chewbacca playing the piano, C three PO playing the stand up bass, a stormtrooper playing saxophone, which I don't know how he can get. The, the mouthpiece through his helmet and R2-D2 on the drums and there's Vader watching him and as cool as that album cover is because it is badass now you look at that and go well that is that's awesome the music is inversely bad the music is just plain awful but the, yeah. the album cover is amazing um, I'm definitely I'm actually going to play the Empire Jazz Imperial March <clears throat> as our outro just Oh, <laughs> just not too much of it. It's it's yeah. it is painful to listen to. I, I got to one minute one second. <laughs> that, that, that's that, that's gonna I'm gonna leave it there. So I'll leave I'll leave that one for the outro. Uh, um, yeah. The, the Ewok themes. Oh yeah. Like we've touched on it before. They they seem to get quite a lot of music as well. Yeah. The the like the the lapty neck was the uh, one of the like the the, you know, the dance version of it, and then there's just the celebration theme. That that final music at the end of uh, at the end of Jedi, they they ran with that as well. They did a lot with that. So um, one of the, one of the tracks you gave me was actually by someone called MB4. MB4. Do do we know much about them? No, I don't know anything about them. Just another sort of cover band. Ah right, okay. Well, if we have any listeners left at this moment in time, I'm going to put this on. This is actually my second favorite that you you've oh, okay. uh, given to us. So I'm going to. Play this, and then hopefully we'll we'll still have some listeners at the end just to finish <laughs> off. releases for the holiday special no 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 they didn't release any music for the holiday special well the only thing they did release was uh jefferson starship did a song called uh, i think it's called fire in the sky Let's see if we can pull it up um that was it it's uh there it is oh i'm sorry light the sky on fire that was the name of it uh and it's a single from their album but it was also heard on the holiday special so that's the only music from the holiday special that actually got released was the one single from Jefferson Starship called um, Light the Sky and Fire. Right. What's that uh, on that release? Can you tell it's a Star Wars affiliated release or anything from uh, Jeff- Jefferson Starship? No, no. It's just I think they just took their their song might have been popular at the time. I don't know. Um, I haven't watched the Star Wars special since probably the 80s. And I, I won't, I can't do it. I just, I, I just cannot put myself through that. I've been to Iraq 
and I'd rather go back to Iraq and <laughs> oh, listen God. and watch that special again. <laughs> it's that bad. Wow. So, uh, yeah, so it was just they had some sort of tie over with them. And I found, I think, two different versions of the, uh, the album cover or the 45 cover for that, like the sky on fire. And they, they say on it, as seen and heard on Star Wars holiday special Friday, November 17th. Wow. Um, yeah, they, they, it's a, and I have a promo version of it and I think one that was released. So, um, so yeah, yeah I, I think they were sending these out to record companies to play to try to tie them into the, uh, to get some, you know, playtime from the, the popularity of Star Wars. But they didn't realize how bad that Star Wars special was going to be. <laughs> right, right. Well, I, I can actually, I can only find it at the moment on uh, CD. So I'm still, still hunting out for a, a vinyl of that one. On what, uh, the Light the Sky on Fire? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's also another podcast I listen to called Galaxy of Toys, and they play it throughout their podcast, and it never clicked to me that it was from... The holiday special. Oh, okay. It all makes sense yeah. now. When I used to listen to it, I was like, why did they grab this random song and put it in the podcast? <laughs> things I always look for, like I said, is international, international stuff. There's a lot of stuff in Japan. It's, 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 um, there's a lot of stuff from Japan. Um, I actually, whenever I see things online that I don't have, I try to save images of them and put them into folders just so I can have, go back and, and get reference stuff for it. And sometimes I've, I've grabbed a picture of something and lost it on eBay or wherever, and I've never seen it again. Uh, right. So, the international stuff, as far as well, as far as I'm concerned, things from like Italy are really tough to find. It's great stuff, but it's hard to find. Um, and anything from a country that that I don't have something from, you know, these things pop up every so often. But a lot of times, collectors know that they're a premium, and, and you're going to spend a lot for them. And um, I look at it and say, well, I think I can wait. <laughs> I can, I might be able to find that someplace else, but. Uh, there's no real grail. Well, actually, any grail thing would be any sort of production item stuff. That stuff is really, really hard to find. Anything used in the anything but uh, between, um, you know, the creation of the uh, the record itself or uh, test pressings, you can find those. I have a few of those actually. I have a, a few different test pressings of. Um, uh, I think. Uh, 
Would you would you say the most expensive sort of thing to collect would be sort of like a gold or platinum? Oh yeah, I mean if you can find gold or gold records from a collector, yeah, those are on hundreds if not thousands of dollars. You know. Really? Oh yeah. I mean that's someone was issued. You know, some some artist was issued that and put it up on his wall when they sold a million records or however many records. So yeah, those are those are really really tough, but they're so unique that they're. You know, they're tough to find if you can find them. You know, there are easier things to find than that. Like I said, like test pressings or uh, promo copies of records that go out to um, to uh, radio stations for them to, to to play for free. You know, they, here's a promo record. Please play it somewhere. Um, there's in-store promotional albums that they've had. Uh, like if they're doing some big Star Wars event at a, at a toy store or something, and they would do this. They would have a record that they would play over the over the sound system that was made just for this promotion. Um, there's even an A-track that, that, believe it or not, there's an A-track of that as well for the store promotion stuff. Those are very very hard to find. I think any, nobody really kept thought of keeping them at the end. They just oh great stories over and promotions over and they just throw the stuff away. Right, but where would something like this come up on the market then? Where would you find? Things like that. eBay is usually your best bet. If somebody grabs something and they don't know what it's worth, they usually find it on eBay. Most of the stuff I found, um, most of the, those weird, interesting things I found, like the the stamper and the the master and the pressings, you usually find on eBay. Unfortunately, that's uh, that's right. the biggest market for them. That's because there isn't really any other place that sells. You know, like Discogs is all actual music and records and, and all that. I don't think I've ever seen uh, any sort of production stuff on there. One of the pieces that you give me was from a band called Rebel Force Band. Yeah. And they seem to have released an entire album called the Star Wars album. Yeah, Living yeah, in these Star Wars. I think that's what it was. Uh, living in, is, is this unique to the time? Is there any other bands that sort of like uh, are completely a Star Wars affiliated band that makes Star Wars affiliated songs? They were pretty unique. I mean, they pretty much wrote um, uh, a whole album themed around Star Wars, but had nothing to do with Star Wars. Uh, like, n- it didn't sound like Star Wars. It didn't have any themes from it. They just made their own Star Wars music. And uh, I think there might be one or two other guys that did uh, did maybe a song. You know, they, they made one or two songs, you know, inspired by Star Wars. But these guys did a whole, um, you know... Album, a whole, uh, what's the word I want? A concept album, uh, you know, inspired by Star Wars, and it's it's hokey. It's just it's just silly. It really is. Yeah, I, once again, I could barely listen to more than a minute. Yeah. I'm gonna play um, Rookie Wookie. Ro- <laughs> Chewy the Rookie Wookie. <laughs> yeah, and maybe uh, yeah. Uh, I wonder how long I'll let it play for. <laughs>
Okay, Tony, just to sort of uh, start wrapping uh, this interview up, what advice would you give to collectors who are uh, sort of inspired to look for this kind of music? Well, um, and I've said this in, in, in other things. It's, you know, if you're collecting Star Wars, there's more to it than just toys and action figures. And it's it's a shame that the, the biggest focus on collectors out there is always, I want the toys, I want the action figures, I want the play sets and, and all that kind of stuff. And there's a million, literally a million other items out there that you can get. Um, so one of the things I always say to collectors when I give talks and stuff is that, you know, look for other things that fit in your focus or your theme and because you can add them in relatively inexpensively. The great thing about, like, albums is that they make great backdrops for your other displays. Yeah. You know, if you are if you have displays for, you know, action figures or toys or something, you can always put the albums against the wall behind your stuff in some case, and it becomes a backdrop, and it's also a collectible. You know, there's plenty... If you're, and if you collect, like, Darth Vader or Yoda or the droids, uh, you know, especially, like, those things... There are so many other things out there that you can add to your collection. Not, and I mean, not just for music. Like I've said it for watches as well. Those are the three big characters that are on all the watches. Um, so there's always other things to add to your collection, and they're great pieces to add, even if you don't have a record player. The artwork on them is amazing. If you collect artwork, if you're an art, if you're uh, a collector that does artwork and posters and things like that, some of the artwork on these albums is is beautiful. The stuff on like the Japanese stuff and the Italian, um, the, the Hildebrand style artwork or the Gone with the Wind style stuff, it's really, really great. And there's not, you know, you're not going to break the bank trying to collect it. The stuff is relatively inexpensive. Yeah, amazing. I'm, I'm definitely going to uh, check out, especially some of the more of the bizarre stuff that you've uh yeah, that you've sent our way. Yeah, I mean, there's there's one album that you can find every so often, and I always try to explain it. I'm going to try to pull it up. Um, it's a. Give me one second here. I'm glad you can edit this. I wanna... Is this <laughs> the one with the weird sort of. Tauntaun uh, on the front. Yeah, The Empire Strikes Back with the crazy yeah, looking creatures. Yeah. So that was, almost Star Wars. There was another one. There was a Spaced Out Disco by the Galactic Force Band. It was a compilation. And on the front, it's. It's a you know it's a cartoon Chewbacca with a tail, and a uh, cartoon C-3PO with a big smile, and they're dancing on the cover of that. That one's awful. Um, it's right. Oh, there it is. Yeah, the Empire. There's a a uh, let's see main title themes from Empire Strikes Back and Star Wars 2001: Close Encounters. I think the Yoda's themes in there, and I always used to, <laughs> I made the. I made the joke about this album cover, and you can find this. Um, that It looks like the artwork was developed by someone who never saw the movie, but it was described to him from somebody who did and said, this is what you need to do. This is the caliber. He's like, there's a guy with a mask, and there's a guy riding a, this two-legged thing, and he's got a laser sword, and, and there's a this round space station in the back with this on it and spaceships and all this stuff. And he explained roughly what everything looked like and the guy says oh yeah i'm gonna go with that and he ran with it and this is what he came up with and it's a green scaly tauntaun and and the 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 tie fighter and the x-wing look awful and darth vader looks like a scuba mask with a fin on his head and it's just awful but it's awesome at the same time i think it was put out by uh, uh peter pan in uh, 1980 and uh it's one of those things that boy if you can find that that is a great thing to add 
to a collection because that would make a it's a great display piece and it's a great conversation piece. You know, it's one of my it's actually one of my favorite covers. Yeah, these it actually came up for sale on a Facebook group yesterday. I think it's called Jabba's Court, and it was uh, taken straight away. And I thought, you know, the timing of it was was amazing. Mm-hmm. I thought, yeah, we'll definitely discuss this tomorrow. But um, every time I see one, I every time if I'm out somewhere, I go to like flea markets and things like that looking for stuff. And if, whenever I see one, I grab it. You know, it's one of those things that's just this interesting. And one other thing that that I there was a sort of an adult. Uh, I don't want to say X-rated, but sort of an R-rated comedy album. I think it was called like uh, Star Wars. Yeah, Star Wars, and it's a it's a Star Wars parody. And the cover of it is even the cover of it is sort of adult R-rated. Uh, it's a guy, you know, it's a desert scene, and it's a guy. It looks like Darth Vader, but his cape is flapping away, and he doesn't have any pants on, and he's got yellow sneakers. And then, you know, there's R2-D2 and C-3PO, but R2-D2 looks more like a sex toy. Uh, you know, so it's this crazy thing, and it's this whole story album that was made by these guys in college back in 78. And I had this up on my, just a quick story, I had this up on my site, and um, a guy emailed me and contacted me and says, I was on that album. He says, I was one of the voices on that album. He goes, and I haven't seen that since 1978. I haven't even seen a copy of that album since then. He goes, I was in college at the time, and uh, I, I was asked to be on it by some friends or something. And ironically, the next week, I found another copy of it and bought it, and I sent it to him as a, as a thank you for contacting me, telling me more about this thing and, and what it was about. So he was able to get him a copy of it again. And then I haven't seen another one since, and that was probably eight years ago. Amazing. And it's Star Wars. Star Wars, B-O-O-R-E-S. You can see it on my website. Um, if I can plug my website, it's uh, restrainingbolt.com. And uh, there's uh, a section called uh, just uh, the music, uh, Star Wars music. Click on that link. It opens up a whole page, and it has all, uh, most of my collection. I, I, <laughs> I'm slow sometimes to put stuff up because I, I grab it, and I stack it up, and then... When I get to a point, I go, okay, I'm going to take pictures of it. I probably have uh, 15 45s, five or six cassettes, and about a dozen albums I have to take pictures of and put up. That's why I have a new edition link on there. But, yeah, it's getting up there. Like I said, I think I have close to 400, 400 different things. Amazing. And, sorry, what was the website again? Uh, restrainingbolt.com. Fantastic. Well, Tony, listen, thank you so much for coming on the Vintage Rebellion podcast. I know we've only just scratched the surface of uh, music collecting. I'm not sure how, how this is going to go down once I start playing those amazing <laughs> tunes you give me. But I'll do my best. I try not to play them for too long. I appreciate um, you having me on. Thank you very much. No, it's great. Are you going to be at Orlando? Um, I'm 99% sure I'm going to be in Orlando it, because it's on Easter weekend. That's going to be a tough sell. Uh, with the family, but um, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be there. And if you and if somebody does come, um, come down to the collecting track where we do yep. all the panel presentations and everything. You'll find me there. I'm I'm the volunteer coordinator for the uh, collecting track, and I run the room. You know, the day to day operation of the room. I make sure everybody gets seated and the giveaway happens. So come say hi to me. Ask for Tony and talk to me. Uh, I, I love talking to other collectors about music. Fantastic, Tony. Thank right. you so much. Right. Thank for you for coming on. And uh, I'm going to leave everyone with Empire Jazz, the Imperial March.
forces heading your way. They bring with them precious cargo. Star Wars Yogurts, with out-of-this-world characters like Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Darth Vader, Chewbacca, Yoda, eight in all. Everybody's after them. Will they get through? Yes, Star Wars Yogurts have landed. Star Wars Yogurts, there's nothing on Earth like them. Hello there, and welcome to the Market Watch. If you are a regular listener of the Vintage Rebellion podcast, you may have caught my interviews with shopkeepers from the 70s and 80s in my hometown of Levington Spa. This month I visited the Leicester Vintage and Old Toy Shop. It's not just a shop, it's more of a showcase of our childhood toys, and has a wonderful array, floor-to-ceiling of not just Star Wars, but die-cast cars, trains, Lego, He-Man, Transformers, and of course everyone's favourite, She-Ra, Princess of Power. The delightful Joe Hand is a proprietor, and he was very welcoming. So, sit back, crack open a pack of Mbongo, unwrap that wagon wheel, and take a listen as we have a good old-fashioned chat. I started the questioning, and asked Joe how he got started in the business. Um, essentially, I always liked old stuff. Right from being a kid, um, I went in my mate's old car, and I thought, this is cool. And old cars are cool, turn into old stuff's cool, turn into my toys were better than the toys that are about now which makes me sound really old and I went to an auction and I won some stuff for one pound and then there was a there was a 30p commission charge on top which I remember being indignant about at the time <laughs> but, well really it's only a pound yeah 30p commission and then I, I, I got some stars and I got some action men and I, I put them on eBay with the heads under their arms because you know the heads always fall off with a pallet yeah, toy yeah. Oh, they go funny well I didn't know how to put the heads back on them so I put the heads under their arms and they sold and it was about 35 quid I remember thinking, heck, that's really good. <laughs> and then I had a, 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 a Spider-Man, uh, a, a Mego or Mego, I don't know if I'm the Americans. Uh, there was Mega Spider-Man and an Evil Knievel, and I put them on as well, and I think I got about eight, nine quid for that. And I thought, oh, that's half a pound. And I kept the Star Wars bits for me. Yeah. They were kept for me, and there was a, a, a Luke Bespin, so a cool figure, and a couple of other bits. So I seem to remember Luke Bespin being really nice, and he went on my shelf, and the other two were a bit ropey. Then that was it, really. And then I sort of went I was scouring car boot sales and... Started out, then I discovered a guy in Leicester some years later that had a shop with some bits and bobs in. And I went and cleared out. He had a, an upstairs room. Some of the listeners might know who this is. He had this upstairs room, it's full of stuff. And I bought all these vehicles off him because I like, I love Star Wars vehicles. Yeah. The figures are great, but I'm not into the films massively. It's the toy line I love. So the, the vehicles are great because I, I, and it was all bits. And I was able to build up loads. I had like, it was ridiculous. I had like sort of five or six Death Stars at the time. It was, it was oh And we had a pile of mini rigs, I remember. I had a Citroen XM estate, and they're massive. I mean, they're, they're huge. And I put everything, and I filled that twice, and I was putting stuff under the seats. It went in boxes, it was all loose. Imagine what it looked like going, down the, going up the M1 back to Derby. It was awesome. So it was all parts and bits. And I, I did eBay for a long time. And then 2008, moved to Leicester, well, moved to Leicester because uh, my wife, is from Leicester, so I had to move to Leicester. Um, not for football reasons, it's always a bit awkward. Um, but yeah, uh, moved to Leicester and and uh, and got a little indoor market shop, which was £17 a week. Was that in the flea market, was it? It was in the upstairs Leicester market. It was really good, because it was cheaper than storage. I've got a feeling I might have been there years ago. I used to live in Leicester. Because I remember going in there to find Star Wars stuff, because I was, I was, at, at the time I was just trying to find something. But I wasn't really like an active collector, just thought, oh, I'd try and find something old in Star Wars, either 
We didn't uh, realise we were collectors. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Up so. But yeah, there was a, there was like a I can't remember. Is it called the Silver Market or Flea Market? So, there was Silver Arcade. There was a guy in Silver, Silver Arcade. Arcade. There was two that's guys it. in there. One of them was the guy that I eventually bought a lot of the stuff off. He was then there. Okay, that's and then there was another guy as well who had who had stuff in there who has a bookshop or ish does the market still, but he doesn't really. Neither of them really like toys. That's why I always found. I think if you're going to do this, you've got to love it. Yeah. You can't, and these guys didn't. They just went, well, I can make some money. I'm not really money motivated. <laughs> I had a guy spend a load of money in the cabinets. Of a, uh, I still say it the other week, wasn't it? it was about, truth be told, it was about six months ago. And he said, oh, he's, he, you know, he's spending all this money. He was like, you're not very happy. I said, yeah, I'm going to replace it. Come and buy me stuff, man. It's See, if I sat here, I wouldn't let it go. I'd be like, oh, no, Well, no, everybody no, says no. that, but then... But yeah, I understand you have to like, you know, make money, but... If you'd met my wife, you'd realise my business was run on fear. <laughs> Um, but I would be, I'd be like, oh, but that's rude. I mean, like, those things that I mean, I think, no, they look too nice to let go, you know. Some of them have to offer me a lot of money to get rid of them. Yeah, there is some of that. There is yeah, some of that. Just stuff the, the cheap stuff's oh. cheap, and the expensive stuff, I don't know, it's not always the expensive stuff, because I've got card of figures. Come on, really how many people in Britain, right, in this shop have Snake Mountain in a box? I don't know, we've got, we've got, we've got five. But there can't be many shops in Britain who's selling that. Probably, you, got, you might be the only one. I've got a stack of them out the back. <laughs> yeah, but still. Uh, Snake Man's in Castle Grayskull. You, you might have all of them. I can't yeah. think of any shop. I, I mean, that, but that's interesting, because that's a, uh, uh, that's the, the variant box. I can't remember which variant box it is. But it's a variant box with the, with the Iron Snake, which is what, I love that box. That's why it's that. <laughs> so, but we did, we had to be really, really strict, not so long back, we did send a lot to auction, because it was like, so we're clogging up Vectors at the moment. Really? <laughs> We've got about three pallets at Vectors. Because you, you don't do eBay, do you? No, not, well, not really. Some guy put something really nice about the shop performance, and he went, and this other guy responded to it and went, yes, but you've got to watch their eBay page. I had an undeclared um, reseal on that. <laughs> We've not sold a card of figure on, but you don't respond to it, so yeah, you're yeah. just into the battle. So we do a tiny bit of eBay. It's either lots and lots of like stuff that, to be quite honest with you, you can't get rid of, or it's stuff that's like left field, like stuff for the Americans or the Japanese. So weird robots that, you know, if you put them in the shop, they'll go, how much? Yeah, but you put them on eBay, and people go, oh, that's cheap. So it's that sort of perception. But if we really like it, we probably won't put it on eBay. I couldn't visit the store and not walk out without making a purchase. In fact, I challenge you to go there and not be sorely tempted by something from your childhood, even if it isn't Star Wars. I picked up for a very good price a boxed open speeder bike. I had one as a child, but I sold it. and only have the instruction sheet remaining, which I had actually coloured in with barrel felt tips. Speaking of kids colouring things in... You know the back of the, the, the Falcon boxes and the, the, the Atom box with the line art on? Yeah, yeah. The amount of time I picked up and mint one of those a few years ago, I remember thinking, this is amazing. I didn't look at the back, did I? <laughs> so I bought it. It's a beautifully coloured one. Oh, it was amazing, yeah. All the colours. I mean, you see, I, when I want to collect it, I don't mind that sort of thing, right? If I, I mean, like, like, if I've got a book, you know, a book like an annual, and someone has written something in there, I find that just as important. I don't like it mint. Oh no, I love stuff like yeah. price stickers. Because it's got, yeah, exactly, it's got some kind of like, you, you know, it's been there. I mean, I have no problem buying it. They're full of stickers, they've, they've, they've got shelfware, there's the tabs half hanging off, you know. I don't, that, doesn't, that doesn't bother me at all. It's part of it. It bothers most collectors. Yeah, exactly. I suppose yeah, from right, a right. dealer point of view. Yes. But, um, but for me, from my point of view, I, I'm going to buy, I'll get very excited about this. I'm buying a collection of Transformers tonight, and in the collection of Transformers, there's a Fortress Maximus. I have is no idea about Transformers. Big, 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 the big one. It's big a monster. One. It's, it's, it's kind of like, ooh, Fortress Maximus. In America, it's more like, oh, Fortress Maximus. But in the UK, it's ooh. And this one has a price sticker on it from a shop in Great Yarmouth from 1994. A toy that was released in 1987. So 
that's not unusual, but it's interesting to know there yeah. were because they were such a big toy, and they weren't stocked to standard over here. It was like it was one of those things where you kind of like it was when they couldn't sell them in America, it got shipped over, and it was normally seaside towns. And things like the GI Joe USS flag, things like that, they're normally found sort of in seasidey places. Yeah, yeah. In the UK, uh, Wales, we found uh, the th- we've had three flags. One was found um, via a guy in Leicester that was at a car boot years ago and bought it off an American woman. So that was probably an American one. And the other two are both been found in Wales that we've had. Because they are enormous things. Massive. How much do those sell for? My prices from a few years ago were about, I don't know, loose, 400 quid each. And people listening go, oh, that's cute. Um, but I'd, I'd pay more than that for one now. You're far more. Um, and I wouldn't find one. If only they'd made something that size, like a you know, Death Star or Star Destroyer. I'd be in yeah. heaven. Yeah, it's never going to happen. Yeah, it's, yeah. It would have been cool, though. <laughs> it's always the what, what could be. But there's loads of pictures we're, we're doing. And we've got a new display. We're building some cabinets when we cabinets built. And there's going to be a big display bit. So we've got these plans for like. We've got these Hoth diorama plans in an end. Well, what, in here, yeah? In here, yeah. It's going to be. Where's that going to go? Be, no, fit here, it in here. Yeah, here. So, you know, like these cabinets there, they're all going. And then this unit here with all the diecast on, that's going. And we're going to have a similar sort of thing with the diecast, but with an end piece. And then we're going to put a big display unit on top. And the display unit's going to be full of cool stuff. Is there any like, room out, out, outside of here, like, in your store, and you can just, like, expand? Or? No, because it's full of, that's full of boxes. That's full of toys. That's auction stuff and the tiny bit of eBay. We've got one little cupboard that's just got eBay bits in it. It's mostly yeah, yeah. full of great Castle Grey schools and State Mountains, basically. That feels really weird that those, those aren't, like, flying out. Cause but, but, they, but, it's, but anything big isn't there, mate. It's like, fal- like towards Christmas, we'll sell it. But, like, the Falcons at the moment. You can't sell a Falcon for the money. And like Falcon, you always sell a Falcon. I mean, I, I remember saying that earlier this year. Well, you always sell a Falcon. And now I've got a glut. I could probably build ten. What of uh, vintage ones? Vintage or? Falcons, yeah. How much are you for a, a box? For a complete Falcon, yeah. loose, uh, loose complete Falcon, anywhere eighty-five to hundred quid. Exactly. People snap those up. I know because if we make one, they're selling flipping parts. Well, yeah, you can, but, but that's, yeah, but don't tell but me. That, you can't. You can't have. You can't I don't be too up. busy. People always think you want to make more money. I'm not really bothered. No, I'm, thinking, I'm gonna, talking about okay. collectors who want to have them. Bring toys in. <laughs> it doesn't have to be Star Wars. It can be anything. You know, Star Wars are getting enthusiastic about them. It doesn't have to be Star Wars. If it's weird or unusual, bring toys in, and we will swap them with you. Because that that sort of reciprocal. As long as we can make a little bit at the back end yeah. of the other toys, that's great. But some of we've got like Falcons. We've got loads of. I think after this you'll get phone calls going, do you know those Falcons you've got? Can I have one? Yeah. But it depends how far gone they are, but it's, um, most of these are all nice with... Can I ask you a cheeky question? Yeah. How do you make money in here? Do you tend to want to keep it all? No, we don't want to keep it all. We'll sell stuff. But we sell... <laughs> we, we sell the, no, because we do. Because we're friendly and we get more people. I know, but I, I love it. But, and, people, and you've seen people coming in there. I could spend all day in here. Seriously spend all little bits. And then we get one guy that comes in and he'll buy something for... But we don't want to earn too much money. It's like, we want more toys. I like that. <laughs> it's like crazy, we, but I like it's it. It's like we're ill. <laughs> I'm just a crap businessman, but quite, quite <laughs> like toys. <laughs> so it's like... Um, I mean, I mean, do you, I mean, assuming you're, you're, you're head above water, you're, you're not yeah, losing yeah, yeah, money yeah. or anything. Oh, we won't go back. No, 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 no. no. Otherwise, I'd have to sell stuff. No, I am very <laughs> much um, I am very much a guy of going, uh, no, I, my wife keeps control of everything. So she just goes, you need to sell some stuff, because... Uh, we need a holiday, so in that case, and we, you know, and I keep buying yourself. Sell, sell some falcons and you can go holiday. I know that's it. You know, if we go abroad with ten falcons, uh, so 
but yeah it is that it is that thing and I could put them all on eBay and make the money but I'm not really motivated to do it it's, it's a really long winded saying I'm quite lazy <laughs> <laughs> I mean a lot of styles collectors now are not going on to eBay I mean a lot of it's happening on Facebook transactions so I know yeah yeah that seems to be where it has shifted big time you go on eBay now and you you will find stuff but most of the time it's repro rubbish so yeah we won't have anything repro good I like we, to we, we tend to make a point of not having it well, I've got one yeah. repro weapon yeah, there that I keep to show people the difference Whereas I understand that the entry-level guys that want to buy some figures and they're just not really too bothered about condition buying fully coloured weapons to go with it because it used to be fully coloured as well. Every, all the weapons different colours. Yeah. Oh, okay. But yeah, things like and also it's, I think it's just known with the repros. It's just known. Don't get me wrong. We'll all they're getting better. I think so. Yeah. You'll always get caught out with something. Oh, I've been caught out. Um, when I started. Oh, don't even start me on that. I got caught out with the Titanium not so long back. <laughs> really annoyed me. It's graded and everything. I know. I know your Star Wars curtains. We've got loads of them. Oh I use them for table coverings at toy fairs. Yeah. When, when I when I do occasionally venture out the shop, and then bring what I do is bring the bring the tablecloths, but no Star Wars. Because because <laughs> it was like last year there was so many such an influx of new collections, which is all very good, very positive. So I'm not I'm not going moo moo moo. I am a bit moo 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 because everything's gone up in price, which you'd think for a dealer is great. Yeah. But it's actually not. It's, it's sort of adverse because it now means that it's sort of everything's a bit more pricey. And the, the Commodore Garden stuff doesn't sell as well. Taking Star Wars stuff to shows, I try not to take very much because, I mean, I had two guys that were looking very confused at Pally Toy Vader that I had at a show about a year, about, not, not a year ago, just after the new film had come out. And they were looking very confused at it and going, ooh, it doesn't say Kenner on it. <laughs> it's a repro. <laughs> like, and they were whispering like that, it's oh a repro. And the bloke behind him, bless him, who I, can't, I don't know his name, but he was a very nice man, so if you're listening, um, thank you. Said no, this car doesn't have repro stuff. And I went, yeah, what does it say? Can I? So it's Pally toy. And they had no idea that. You see, when I started out, well, restarted out, shall I say, back in about two or three years ago, and I thought, well, I'm going to finish off my my vintage collection. See, I'd have been in that boat if I'd seen like a Lily Lady something like that. I'd have gone, what the hell's that all about? I'd never heard of it as a kid. Why would that have ever come across me? I'd have been totally like. Not sure about that. Yeah, but that's that's yeah, yeah. I, I do, I do, I do. See what you mean. And there's stuff that I don't know about. There's you oh. guys on that. For, there's so much more knowledge than I have. <laughs> not all of us. Some, um, some people know a lot. Some people know. I know a little bit. Yeah, but, not but it's. I have to look like the. Uh, I can't even remember the name. Is it PBP? Yeah. Um, PBP and uh, Pop Park and all that, uh, stuff, all that yeah. sort of stuff. And then I go. And then now I'm looking at the two pound, three pound figure box, going. <laughs> Why have you got dark brown boots? Why have you got dark brown boots? And then you go, oh, it must be this. And then you look it up, and it's like hundred quid, and you're like, oh, that's sort of. I know. I mean, I mean. I don't know if that's a positive. Check bit. your fets. Yeah. Check your fets just in case you got like you got to try logo one. That should edition. be a t-shirt. That should. Check your fets. <laughs> check your fets. <laughs> well, yeah. Maybe we'll do it. That's the kind of stuff we we get up to. Check so your fets would be a good. You'd sell loads of them. We shouldn't. I, what I did like about the new figures was that they didn't have too much articulation. Whereas other people will go, and my mates that come in here, some of my best friends that come in here will go, I didn't like them because they didn't have points of articulation. For me, it was quite charming, this sort of point, gun, straight arm. Yeah. Um, I like that. I like that aspect. I like the, um, what's the mate like? Is it Kylo Ren? Yeah. I sound like a right idiot, doesn't I? <laughs> but uh, Kylo Ren, him, I like that figure because he looked like kind of Vader-y or Emperor-y, yeah. uh, which I quite like. Um, but no, I, I am a, definitely a toy guy. Well, no matter what toy line it is, I even know things about that's kind of this is how degrading you have to be as a toy <laughs> dealer. I now know things about railway. There is a point where you kind of have to go, oh no, 
life see, is over. Even you see, I think I'd stop. I mean, this is beautiful, but this stuff doesn't. I, didn't, I mean, this is kind of the old school stuff. Yes, I mean, but that's I, but that's why we make money as a shop because oh, we have that's the thing because we have the railway and the die casting for the old guys. And I do like some die casts. I do like weird stuff that goes wrong, citrons and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, you know, um, I love the fact that Citroen made a helicopter and sort of knowing the reliability of Citroen back in the 70s they went oh you know what we should do is make a helicopter put a Citroen CX engine in it that'll be reliable but but the point is with the Citroen you can fix it with a spanner but when you're at 2,000 feet you know it's a bit more sort of it's alright lads I think I can sort this (laughs) plummet death Um, so I like things like that that are a bit flawed I think for me it's totally about the toys and the films are like kind of like if somebody said what's your favourite film Star Wars would be in my top ten. Oh. So, but it wouldn't be in my top one, two, three. Come on, what's the top one, two, three? Roughly. I really like the Blues Brothers. Okay. But that's very much a childish sort of like... <laughs> explosion. With Nell and I, like, that's a, that's that's a, that's a great film. Everybody has Shawshank at number three, don't they? <laughs> I like Convoy. <laughs> Do you remember Convoy? It's Convoy. Because when, when I was a kid, um, you know, like, you have friends, like, mum and dad's friends, and they're always uncle and auntie, even though they're not uncle and auntie. But I had Uncle Mick and Auntie Pat, and they had Convoy on seven-inch single, and I used to play it to death. I borrowed it off him and virtually wore it out. So I had quite, I didn't have a TV. That's so as, random. No, no, but I didn't have a TV when I was a kid either, which is probably my love of toys comes from that. Because yeah. I didn't have a TV. My mum used to cut out things that I liked out of the catalogue. Yeah. Like K's or Woolworths or Woolworths, Littlewood, sorry, all these catalogues and cut them out, and it'd be on my breakfast tray. No wonder I'm fat. <laughs> <laughs> be on my breakfast tray and then she'd like laminate across the top of it that's awesome and it would be stuck there. so every morning I'd be eating my breakfast looking at a big track and like an at and um, was this taunting you or was this a promise no it wasn't really I was, I was just <laughs> I just love toys so much. I just love toys so it was like I played with toys all the time I read a lot of books Lord of the Rings favourite book brilliant absolutely brilliant films yeah alright what was your main toy then as a kid was it, was it just Star Wars, Star Wars. And what, what it was else? Always Star Wars. It was Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. And even though I didn't know who was goodies, who was baddies. So anybody that looked vaguely human was goodies. Anybody that looked like they weren't human was baddies. Okay. So even now, I couldn't yeah. tell you some of them. I couldn't tell you which side well, they were I, on. I, I think so. I knew how they were in my head. Some of the cantina guys, you haven't got a clue because they're just they're just a random yeah. bunch of thugs in a cantina. They could be good or bad. But, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. I, I, actually, I was interested to ask this to people is who, who actually play the toys. I mean, look, a lot of people that you meet are just collectors and they always have them and, yeah. they, and they, didn't really, they just had them they put them on the shelf and they look great now I play with mine I had all sorts of adventures yeah. for me Cloud Car Pilot and, and the Black Best Guard were my two main guys yeah, yeah. Ran, just randomly going in the universe killing people and all sorts what, what, what was it for you then what, what do you reckon it was your right so we were next to, my dad was the supervisor of Derby Market okay. right? so on Derby Market there was a legendary store called Keith so I've mentioned before in different things now Keith's shop was brilliant because I mean, there was a picture of me as a kid next to like a pile of last seventeen figures, all on card and like fifty p each or something, whatever <laughs> they were. And and like I used to have this figure box and like because it was me, I used to go, yeah, yeah, just take what you want, Joe. You just get your dad to give me a quid or something. And it was fantastic. So I had loads of stuff. Um, so, but for me, what we did, we we had where I lived in my old house, it had a, a um, the stairs went up first level, second level, third level. It was quite a big house. We weren't a well-off family, but somehow we'd fallen on a third with this house. I think when my dad walked in after buying it, he fell through the actual lounge floor. That's the kind of, it was dilapidated, but huge. So I lived in this massive house with virtually no money, but my dad used to repair things with, you know, bits of glue. And, um, so we would battle 
one of my, my nephew Ruben, who was two years older than me, messed up family, don't ask me, two years <laughs> older than me, he used to battle for, from like upstairs, downstairs, and I used to battle from upstairs. So we had Action Force going one way, the Star Wars coming down the other. So what I found out was, because we had elastic bands to fight, we didn't use, it wasn't just like a thing of like, boom, 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 he's dead. It was boom, elastic bands, boom, explosion. And what you do find out is which figures are more frail than others. <laughs> I went through a lot of Rebel Commandos, because oh. they just split apart. Because okay. they were really cool, though, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, they do look like they've got like jodhpurs that have slipped. A much unloved figure. I, I mean, I, 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 I was, was going to bring this up on the next podcast. Is no one ever talks about it. Oh, he's brilliant. B-wing pilot as well. I love the B-wing. Exactly, pilot. but no one ever talks about it because I mean, because most people collect on cards. So the cards are right, but it's not like spectacular or as interesting as something like FX Seven or something. Yeah, yeah. But the figure is it just rarely ever gets talked about. And FX Seven as a figure is a bit pants. It is, but on the card it looks amazing because it's got like. Yeah, 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 so yeah. I bought one. I bought one at the last farthest from. Um, one of our friends was, was selling a bunch of reasonably sort of battered ones, but I've cleaned up and it looks really nice. But it's just the picture. The picture yeah. is of FX Seven floating in space. And that's why we fall in love. That's why we fall in love with uh, with with. I mean, kids that bought Airfix kits. I remember buying an Airfix kit on holiday in Abbasot when I was a child <laughs> and gluing myself to a yeah. Harrier cockpit. That's why. I stopped. literally gluing myself to it, and and. We had to cut it off. I remember a very distressing experience of my dad actually cutting, like with his pocket knife. My dad's from North Derbyshire and he's a farmer. So he was like, get it, right, we'll have this off. And he cut in my finger, like the top skin off my finger to get the Harrier cockpit cover. And the, the model after you've made it is awful. It's covered in glue and fingerprints. But you fell in love with the box art. So that's how important art is. And that's the difference now. When you look at, you mentioned the Snake Mountain earlier. The reason why you go, ooh, is because you look at the box. It's and awesome. that's the same with the Star Wars. Have a look at it. You don't even have. To, I mean, I'm not. A, I'm not a massive fan of keeping things in boxes. No. Right. That's why I never ever sell me anything that's neither, sealed. No, 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 neither. Because I'm just going to be like, I, if we sit there again, I can't have that. that, that you realise you, you don't admit this on a public forum. People will. I mean, no, 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 no. I've said never. I've said to everyone, do not sell me anything that's that's really mint and sealed because I'll be so tempted. So just that's why I buy everything second hand and battered and a bit. I've, you know, for, I've got to say, I'm, I'm the same. So I can touch it. I mean, all right, card of figures is different because you can hold that and you can see it. But when something's in a box, I can't see it. Could be air. I don't know. How many people do you get phone you up regularly-ish? I've got two appointments today. One is the most amazing Transformers collection, yeah. which we're dead excited about. Um, but it's but it's kind of flawed. Um, uh, and it's kind of like... It's, it's been really nice because they're lovely people. Yeah. And we felt really sad because we couldn't offer them what we wanted to. Because And that's how we feel. We want yeah, 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 yeah. If we like the people, you kind of like want to do your best for them. I like this. I like this guilt thing where you're, you're thinking, I don't want to, because I mean, I've, I've met, met, I'm sure you have people who you know they're only there for cash. Right? Yeah, they yeah, are, yeah. That is it. And that's fair, that's fair enough. That's yeah. the thing. There's no heart in them. Yeah. Like, all, all, they're, all they're seeing is money. And I, I get too attached to things. Well, is it you have to? Well, I, I can't I, let it go. I, I've, I've, yeah, I, I'm the same. I have, like now, I look around and I get a bit of, like, I look around, like, that cabinet there now, that's embarrassing. Because there's not enough stuff in it. It needs more card <laughs> figures. That cabinet's embarrassing me a bit, but I know there's a bit of quality in there. There's a nice yak at the back, yeah. and there's a nice last 17 there. Yeah, but it looks good. I mean, you've got, I mean, you got a Death Star. Pilot to Death Star. You've got tons of stuff in there. The figures look great on those, on those shelves as well. Yeah, I mean, we sold quite a bit yesterday, um, but but that, that 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 cabinet bothers me. So I want more of that. And it's just things like, and you never, you, you know people like with money go, they're never happy. You know people with money, and they go, oh, you know, I need more money. I'm not like with toys. I'm never happy. <laughs> want more toys? Want more toys? And then you end up spending too much money on a sector's hive. Uh, that that owes me far more than it's worth. Because I just got overexcited. I don't even know what it is. It's a sec- it's a hive from uh, 
toilet. I, ne- I never came across that toilet. Yes, very, very cool. I never, ever had one until That's I had ridiculous. that. ridiculous. Oh, it's mental. Yeah. Was that sold in a box? Yeah. You have the box? No. Oh. No, that's the point. That'd be amazing. When I bought it, Rick that works for me went, oh, right, okay, is the box nice? And I went, oh, no, it's loose, mate. And he went, what? You paid that much for it? It's ridiculous. ridiculous. Oh, is, that, is that a glove puppet? Yeah, these are, these are all glove puppets. They, and they all work. They, they, they fly. Well, they don't fly, obviously. In your imagination, they fly. Yeah, yeah, but it's still. It's amazing. I wonder how much that retail for. Well, when it was new? Yeah. I don't know. We've not found a box yet with the price ticket off. But it had only been in America anyway. Oh, okay. I don't. I, there probably is. There probably was one or two made over here. Because they were, they were found like sectors like the actual. You see that box there? I bet you that's got a like, local news agent price sticker on it. Because it would have been. They were all bombed out because it didn't do very well as a toilet. But they were fantastic toys. I'm not surprised because it's just fantastic it's toys. Enormous. Well, that yeah. But that's like every big place that they have these great. Art. I keep looking around. There's another car. I keep appearing. Massive universe stuff all over the place. How much has this thing got? Well, that's, that's the only modern thing I've got yeah, in yeah, the shop. I didn't, know, I didn't know they did that one. I've actually gone after. And that's the classics, Castle Grayskull. That is stunning. That is so cool. But that's, that's sealed. It's never been out of the box. Which is why I'm not allowed to take it home, because it would come out of the box. And also, it's big. Yeah, we do have a lot of stuff, don't we? The, the thing I coveted more as a child than anything else was a B-wing. Really? The B-wing. Yeah, because I, I didn't know about A-wings or something. Yeah. Like We're talking about... Cause it, so it would have been 83, 84, so I would have been yeah, I can't see that. Um, eight. I remember the trilogo box and everything, I was just like, oh. But I had a wiring, which was kind of... See, I'd gone by that. I mean, that was it. I was out of it by then. So when, when that sort of trilogo stuff appeared, and I started seeing you know, characters like a man and stuff, I thought, I'm, I know Ewoks. I was like, I'm out of it. Oh, I love I, Ewoks. I, I was done. I was, I was computers by then. No, no, no. No, no, I didn't have a computer or a TV. I was totally into it. Ewoks were brilliant. Ewoks were amazing. <laughs> Um, bears, okay. yeah, bears. Small bears. They were, they were just cute, and I think that's why. And lots of people that are into Star Wars will not, will go, oh, flipping Ewoks. And other people go, no, actually, Ewoks. And then we've got Ewoks, and then we've got droids, so, well, or vice versa. That, for me, I, I love that aspect. I love the, the droids line, the, the Ewoks line, the, all, all that sort of stuff is great. So Ewoks, for me, uh, that, that owes, that, that's, we've got a lot. Do you have a collection of any of them, like, like Ewoks? You actually have No. Them? I am really, really. I've just moved house, and I have said I've started taking. I've started taking stuff home that I kind of like. Like, so if I get a collection of Ewoks, like loose minty Ewoks or droids, they will be going home. Um, but I, at the moment, I haven't. I haven't got much Star Wars. So I've got a bit of diecast. Yeah. Star Wars at home. Everybody thinks you, you've got all this stuff. You must have loads. Yeah, of stuff I, at home. I mean, I would have thought. I would have said you, you would have had like. I reckon you might have had some kind of range of things, but maybe not. A focus, focus, but sort of like I said, you've got Ewoks, so you know, everything, all the paraphernalia and stuff. No, I would, I would love that. But the, the problem is, I've got, I've got two children, I've got a wife, I've got guitars, I've got like stuff that I like. I've got a bit of, um, I've got a really nice car transport with loads of plastic cars on, from from the seventies, which is really beautiful. Mint loose Star Wars diecast. I've been taking out loads of GoBots recently. That's kind of like a new illness. Um, I've got so I just GoBots coming. I'm just like okay. I am on the cusp again because remember I've done it all before yeah. and I collected it but because and this is what people don't because you have to make sacrifices to have a business like this one of my sacrifices was my awesome Star Wars collection now it's not awesome in the ways of people going oh it's carded this yeah. and this variant and this variant but like lots of box of it every, every vehicle I had was boxed and all the figures
Now I want to welcome back Simon McCohen for this month's Rapid Fire. Are you ready for this, Si? As I'll ever be. Your favourite Star Wars movie? Empire Strikes Back. Your favourite Star Wars scene? Uh, Walkers on the North Ridge. Favourite on-screen character? It's got to be Han Solo. Which actor or crew member would you most like to meet? I've got to say, it's got to be George Lucas. I've got to ask him what went wrong and um, thank him for the first three, at least. Your favourite lightsaber duel? Uh, that's the final duel. Leia, Padme, Ray, or Jin, which would you most like to ride a tandem with? I'd love to ride a tauntaun with Leia, I think. Your favourite figure as a child? I've got a feeling it was Leia Bush, but I really, I really don't know. It's just that figure now is just epic to me, and I'm sure it must have been then. The only thing that annoyed me, there was no right way for her to hold that big gun thing. Uh, your favourite figure now? Yeah, Leia Bush, still. Uh, which figure do you wish they'd made? Grandma Tarkin. Uh, what one thing would you do to one figure to improve it? Uh, make Luke's head bigger on the Imperial Stormtrooper, or at least make the helmet more Stormtrooper-like. Because I did that when it, when I didn't have one, when I was um, collecting again in the early 2000s, I got a Beta Stormtrooper and a Dremel, and I made it fit, and it looked so much better than the rubbish they produced. Which figure best resembles you? Uh, well, uh, I reckon it would have to be Chewy on a hairless day. Really? Not not Lobot? <laughs> Favourite vehicle or playset? Uh, I love the Probot and Turret playset. Vehicle or playset you wish they'd made? A carbon freezing chamber. Favourite vintage Ewok toy? I actually quite like... Uh, it came in a load of oddball stuff from Vectis, and I like the, uh, the wind-up musical box, the Wicket wind-up musical box. Uh, box that goes on a crib I think it's absolutely brilliant Rank the Cantina aliens from favourite to least favourite Greedo's the best, I think Hammerhead then then Warus Man just because of the funky colours and then Snaggletooth What is your favourite callback image? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say FX7 just because it's so trippy Your favourite oddball item? I think that would have to be, at the moment that's, that's going to have to be one of my uh, latest acquisitions and I'm I'm going to say the Yoda Sigma vase. Uh, your favourite Star Wars book? No, it's got to be the Empire Strikes Back pop-up book. Your favourite, well, this one from Jez here, favourite Vintage Rebellion podcaster? Oh, gosh, you're just, you're just all so sexy. Um... If you get it wrong, we'll let you have another go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to answer that. You're all equally gorgeous. Last vintage Star Wars item you purchased? That was, that, that, that really was... One that I've just picked up whilst out in LA, and that was the the R2 string dispenser, Stu. Yeah. And finally, what is your holy grail item? Vinyl cake palatoy <laughs> twelve back. Boom! That's it. That would be it. I would be. I would be. I would be happy with that. Well, aside, thank you ever so much. <laughs> Cheers, mate. So on to our rapid fire question for this month. And I'm, I'm trialing a new one, which I'm not used for an interviewee yet, okay? So from all of the expanded universe, canon or not, which character would you most like to see make an appearance on screen that we haven't in the past? We're going to go to Rich first. Probably Exar Kun, I think. Just because back in the day it was interesting for me having a Sith trapped in an artifact it was trapped for a thousand years or however long it was being released into the new the new timeline I, th- I thought it worked really really well it was really interesting PD? it's probably quite an obvious one but there's two people 
because they come they come as a pair. It's got to be Jackson and lovely partner Fox Train. They're just legends in the in the in the Marvel comics. How would you bring in a bright green rabbit? Pretty easily. It's just big. His sidekick, who is a very attractive female in a skimpy outfit, you'd be absolutely fine with her. So that would take away the attention of the large green rabbit. Fair enough. Grant. I was going to say, like, Kyle Katarn and Jan, or I can't remember her name, but we, we're kind of getting that now with Rogue One, aren't we? They, they, they got that kind of Kyle Katarn, Jan version, stealing Death Star plans. I quite like the Darths from the Old Republic. I don't know anything about them, but, like, uh, is it Darth Nihilus, Darth Revan, Darth Bane? They all look really cool, but I don't know anything about them. So I will say uh, Princess Nisa. Jez. <laughs> Um, yeah, I just say the many boffins who died because I haven't really read any extend, expanded universe books. I would love to see a standalone film about Darth Plagueis and his backstory. I've read that book and it's amazing. Yeah, that's a good book, Jez. If you if you've learned to read, go and read it. My Star Wars knowledge is pretty much just the main films without going into all this other stuff. You can tell he's got Chief Chip and Mark, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you talk about all these people and is it canon, is it not canon? It took me ages to figure out what you meant by canon. I thought it was something on a spaceship. Bless him. Well, let's move it on. Now, episode 27 has been one of our fastest and already one of the most downloaded episodes in our show history. So I'm imagining we've had a fair amount of feedback, Rich. I certainly have, Stu, and you're just stalling my opening line there in the feedback. So we received a lot of feedback on this episode, especially from the guests. I think nearly every guest to contact us and said they really loved being on the on the show. They would like to come back on again and appreciated our efforts. But how many times have got to say this? It's the guests that make the show. And, and thank you to all of you guys who came on last month's show. It was absolutely brilliant. Starting with the negative, we're aware of the stereo mono issue in the last show. I think at some point in the last month or even two, all five of us have had recording gremlins at one time or another and hopefully they've all been resolved now and we're going to get you know the quality podcasts that we've been releasing up to now now as was totally expected the toy polite interview was very divisive and indeed it was amongst us five as well and we all have our own different boundaries and what we believe is acceptable and the point of the interview was to present something to discuss and it wasn't to promote any kind of mass scamming it wasn't to promote bleaching it wasn't to promote using rep rolls and painting figures it was a, a discourse that was put out there to get people to think to to get people to think about the boundaries, to get people to accept what other people's boundaries were. And personally, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought it was going to be. And and I love the thought of using modern figures to repair vintage. I could understand what that person was trying to do. There's no way that I would do that. But good on them for trying and, you know, not for trying to, to con anybody. We got some feedback from Lawrence Dyer with regards to the eight packs. Down in Father's Farm, I bumped into a guy who was arguing with a seller about APAC, saying that his was heat-sealed and he was convinced they were genuine. Um, I just want to reiterate that Frank said, well, Frank posted online, that to the best of his knowledge, he hasn't seen any heat-sealed ones. He's not ruling them out, but you know what he hasn't seen any yet that he can say, yes, those were genuine. But Lovenstar has sent me a photo of his APAC, and he's a little bit concerned with some of the information that were put out last month about the combination of the figures, namely in that Jason said, it was, this was Jason Joyner, who said that some of the cantina aliens shouldn't be in the eight packs because they were so difficult to get. So Lawrence has posted a photo, uh, sent a photo to me of Death Star Droid, Prune Face, Weakway, ATST Commander, Reyes, which all fine, but then it has Hammerhead, Greedo, and Walrus Man. You know, that combination, according to Jason Joyner's theory, shouldn't exist. But 
there's no reason to believe that this isn't legit the stick has torn a bit it looks a bit tatty we're just giving you guys our best advice on what we've found so far now over on Tantive 11 Clint who often does these great posts and reviews of our podcast he, he posted a lot of photographs discussed a lot of things that that were put on there he, he thinks that the G unit is hilarious he thinks he's much better than calling him the G spot which I don't think we've ever called him the G spot but uh, he thinks that the G unit was a great moniker for, for Grant he agrees <laughs> he agrees with Jez that the Graveyard of Giants by Mark Between is a beautiful piece and he, he'd like to see some photographs of Jez's uh, artwork hanging up perhaps when you moved in Jez have you got some space set out for your Malcolm Tween prints yeah yeah I'm sure you will somewhere. it's Pete's space lug puppet which sounded so interesting so you had to go and google it and he found one and he's just yeah, I can imagine all the big kids and Pete running around with that on their hand so he found a, a photo of Pete's space lug puppet the tribute to Kenny Baker was a hit as well and Tantive 11 appointed us to a thread that they've got on Kenny Baker so there's something to go and, and check out and it's interesting that Rebel Force Radio have also started looking at the Tolpillo interviews now I don't think they'd necessarily listen to our show but they've also started promoting um, Tolpillo on their, on their show now so you know, certainly something to go and uh, check out and Clint also uh, dismantled a couple of these figures and to show us the two different neck style posts that Tolpillo was talking about where you had the the post where the the pin was on the head and the and the other style where the head is a hole. So he had some great photographs of them. Talks about some of his customising on there and how he uses small screws to hold neck posts in place. So I urge everyone to go and check out his uh, article. And finally, we've hit 20 reviews on iTunes. That means absolutely nothing. We've got nothing. You know, 20 reviews, absolutely fantastic. Thank you for 20 people for taking the time out to go and post a review on iTunes. I believe it's something to do with the ranking system and the order. So if somebody just typed Star Wars podcast in iTunes, it perhaps, you know, ranks the ones with the most reviews at the top. So, so 20 actually means that we've moved above some of the podcasts that's been out for you know eight ten years and some of the podcasts that are quite mainstream we've actually moved above those with our itunes reviews so thanks to everybody who's left us an itunes review 20 is a funny number roughly equivalent to the number of drinks stew buys on a night out multiplied by the number of people grant can remember meeting at ce3 subtracted by the number of times pete has been funny divided by the number of hairs on jess's head and that can't be a coincidence if you want to contact us to ask us what the hell he was going on about there or regarding an item we've covered whether you want to be on a future show or just leave feedback you can do so at a whole host of places you can email us at show at vintagerebellion.co.uk find us on facebook by searching vintage rebellion twitter at swtvr podcast and on instagram by searching vintage rebellion also you can also contact any of us directly via facebook or the many forums we are members of if you're a new listener or have missed a show, you can catch up on iTunes where all of our back catalogue is available or directly at swtvrpodcast.podbean.com. Thank you to the guests this month, Simon McCohen, Joe Hand, Tony DeMarta and John Paul Ragusa. And please, if you do see any duck-related items for sale, Star Wars or otherwise, please tag Richard in the sales post or send him links. The more links we can get sent to Rich in the coming weeks, the more he will appreciate it. He does a lot for the community. Let's give something back to Rich on his duck hunt. So for this month, it is goodbye from Rich. Later, guys. Oh, he's gone back to his uh, miserable self. Goodbye from Grant. <laughs> <laughs> Rich, you were really funny tonight. Um, yeah, see you later. <laughs> What's going on? Uh, goodbye from Jezebel. Guys, I've sold up a little bit, but I'm not down and I'm not even close to being out. See you next month. We're going to make you cry next month, Jez. And goodbye from Peter Weedy. 
Remember, guys, check out our videos from Star Wars Celebration. Uh, we have one already out, which is everyone doing a Tauntaun impression. Very soon it's coming part two, which is the Tuscan Raiders. And goodbye. And it is good night from me. And remember... Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual property rights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? Teddy! I thought it was brilliant. I loved it. I absolutely enjoyed it. I got frustrated <laughs> by that vehicle maintenance energizer because I knew it was eight. Cause yeah, I'm surprised you got that one wrong. But uh, I loved it. God, it's so much better sober. <laughs> I reckon Pete's right. I reckon I could get 12 figures into an attack. Well, you can't. You get a load you of I, 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 I could get 20 Ewoks in there, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, it depends on the figure. It only fits, it only fits 10. Yeah, exactly. Who made that up? I think I was right, whatever. You can get, you can get more than 10 Yodas in that, that thing. Because it's got, it's got 10 pegs in there, you freak show. What would you call a group of Yodas? <laughs> you would I. What would it be, like a, a knowledge? Plus, you take out the battery thing, you could whack a couple in there as well. It's a gaggle, a gaggle of Yoda. Gaggle I've seen that. Yodas. Yeah, yeah. Oh, A force of Yodas. Surely it'd be a school. Yeah. <laughs> a Dagobah of Yodas. A temple of Yodas. <laughs> a Minch. A Richard Hutchinson of Yodas. A girth, a girth of Yodas. <laughs> Anything girthy about Yoda. <laughs> a moist of Yodas. A clump a moist of Yodas. Of Yodas. <laughs> Why are Yoda's getting moist, Grant? Are you exciting them? Okay, move on. I think so. Yeah, that, was, that was brilliant. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> I'm still laughing at Jez. What, his head? No, just him going, you don't know anything. Got the same points as you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I just did that for the team. <laughs> you threw some points, Jez, didn't you? I did, yeah. yeah. It's what they teach me at sort of leadership you. college. Rich, 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 the reality was he was too slow on the Google. Jez, how many strews are there in a Millennium Falcon? Pete, <laughs> how many bald heads does Lobot have? <laughs> He's got three. Right, I, think, uh, I think the Hoover noise is going to have to come on. Hey, guys, guys, do you know what I think was funny as well? The amount of times Rich is like, the rules are simple, and you guys would go, four, higher. He's <laughs> like, no, it's the wrong way around again. I think, I think Richard, you did set the start that that you could get the same. And that's what that's what a couple of us said, that oh, I was the same number. Oh, didn't say it was just I low. I hope I didn't. No, I don't think you did. Yeah. They were, they were none the same, though. Yeah. No. I know, but I think you did say it. Yeah. That's what me and Stu both, both said this at one stage. Oh, I reckon it's the same. <laughs> Stu's two Death Stars to make it round. <laughs> I, thought you said, I thought you said Palatoy. I was backing them onto each other. Yeah, Pete. I was with you, mate. I was with you. Pete, what's Han Solo's last name? Come on. Bernard. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh yeah, so Jez and his megatomes. <laughs> yes, Jez. He What's a megatome, Jez? <laughs> Where Come was on. your megatome question, Jez? <laughs> uh, should we just do rebel briefings? <laughs> yeah, let's 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 do it. You have to introduce it, Stu. Oh yeah. Got to give the titles, yeah. Why, Chewy Beans? <laughs> you have to go. Let's move on to rebel briefings. <laughs>